this out on the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. We're going to give Donald Trump a little bit of a rest. I know you've been uh, jawboning away with Rita Cosby about his uh, trading cards. Talk about that later on compared to the top baseball trading cards that we all grew up with. I wonder if uh, the Trump cards come with a stick of gum that will force you to go to the dentist's office. And then, yeah, yeah, I know the January 6th committee expected to announce a referral of criminal charges to the Department of Justice against Trump, including insurrection. That ain't going away. That's here each and every day. And then later on, um, uh, Avery, our uh, phone screener, we don't use the term here, telephone talent coordinator any longer, and our nighttime producer, uh, we're going to try to convert him to the Frazier show, which he originally indicated was the ultimate McWhitey-Whitey show. And I said Mayberry RFT. So I think I think possibly we've uh, we made some headway with uh, Avery uh, over the Frazier show. You know, it's supposed to come back for a third time. So we'll be getting into it with uh, Avery. And, of course, um, Bill Lee... Uh, are uh, on loan from WCBS-FM, 40-year veteran there. I see Scott Shannon bid adieu today. You were there with the rest of the uh, alumni uh, saying goodbye, goodbye. But, uh, you know, our, uh, our traffic guy, Joe Nolan, was there instead of here when I was on with Sid. And she, he should have gotten fired for that. You know, where's his... Uh, what is the term? Where is his uh, bread buttered, toast buttered, or whatever with marmalade? Or God only knows if you happen to be a Nazi from the land down under. Uh, your uh, what's that crap they put on their crackers down there? Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you happen to know, that's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. And then, of course, I was challenged once again by James Golden, who knows nothing about nothing when it comes to uh, musical accoutrement. And he challenged me, Billy, uh, to my knowledge about Prince and all of his uh, ancillary participants. We're going to get into that in the last hour. How dare he? And what uh, a lot of people weren't talking about, because they really don't know much about it, 
Today uh, was the anniversary Friday of the hit at Sparks Steakhouse. Remember Paulie Castellano, Tommy Bellotti, getting whacked by Gotti and uh, and uh, his underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano. And I cheered that, not realizing eventually it would lead to them attempting to whack me on June 19th of 1992. We'll get into all of that. So much to cover. And nobody's going to sleep until the break of dawn. That's for sure. And then, naturally, we got to talk about the Cambridge Dictionary's new interpretation of what a man is and what a woman is. And then also, oh, yeah, Gary Glitter is out. Oh, my God. Lock up the kids, boys or girls, wherever they may be. Yeah, Gary Glitter, probably the poster child for pedophilia, has been released from jail in the U.K. and swears he'll never do it again. Yeah, 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 right, right. I mean, so much to talk about. And, boy, the pressure is going to be on Avery tonight, Bill. The, uh, we got to convert him to become a fan of Frazier and his brother, right? I mean, his brother, uh, the father, uh, the therapist, uh, all them are quitey whiteys In fact, we've actually picked an episode in which um, he stuck with two black women. In his broadcast studio, you know, as a shrink in Seattle. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about radio. Well, we're, we're going to convert you, Avery. Uh, get ready for that later on. But what I am amazed at, what I am amazed at, is that right now you could be walking into an ATM machine and you're making a withdrawal. And some black kid comes behind you and sticks a 22 in your back and says, your money or your life. And then he runs away. Thank God nothing happened to you. You didn't pistol whip you. You didn't stomp you. They didn't beat you. But he goes running away. He gets caught, and you want triple life without parole for him. I don't blame you. But all of a sudden, we have these crypto monsters. And it's almost like, uh, I don't know. You know, yeah, yeah, crypto, uh, Bitcoin, uh, blockchain. Oh, no, 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 no. I've been talking to all of you about this for six months. And I've been screaming, lock them up. Lock them up. We're not talking $25 here. We're talking $32 billion. And this goes back to uh, 2008. Remember the implosion of Lehman Brothers when they claimed that, oh, man, you gotta, you got to rescue us. We're too big to fail. Oof out of you. But the bank said, oh, no, no, we're big to fail. And we bailed them out with our money. Oh, money. They got free money. Uh, they supposedly passed a test called quantitative easing, which to this day has not adequately been explained to me or anybody else in society. They wanted a bailout, and they got a bailout, even though they were crooks and they should have gone to jail on the daisy chain perp walk. And at that same time, remember, Bernie Madoff had his Ponzi scheme going. People ran to get their money out because the economy was imploding. And guess what? Psych! There was nothing there. And who started at that very time? What we now know is the Bitcoin madness. Supposedly out there in Japan. Hi, hi, hi. It was a guy that nobody has ever seen. This is what makes this so amazing. Nobody has ever seen this guy, and yet they claim that in 2008, in the ashes of what could have been a worldwide economic crash. 
All of a sudden, a man emerged to save all of us, uh, Broadway Billy. His name, Satoshi Nakamoto. Hi, 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 Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, you say, who the hell is he? Is he a Japanese baseball player that either the Mets or the Yankees have signed up? No. But there is a statue in one of the most corrupt countries, of the many corrupt countries in the con- in the world, in Isana, in Bulgaria. Yeah. <laughs> you do not want to invest any money in Bulgaria. But they have a statue in Isana because they say he's the father of Bitcoin. So as the implosion of Lehman Brothers took place in 2008, as the Ponzi scheme of Bernie Madoff became unglued, all of a sudden... A new scam emerged, Bitcoin. And now we see the Bitcoin bandits, the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, and the blockchain criminals. Oh, they all say, no, 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 it's one and one. It's you know, you Don't blanketly indict us for the actions of Sam Bankman Fried. And you say, who's Sam Bankman Fried? Well, you've seen enough of his pictures of late, right? Sam Bankman-Fried, who was in charge of FTX. We were told that the um, students of MIT, the students of Carnegie Mellon, they're so much better than us uh, because they're intellectually part of the elite class. They study hard, graduate degrees, right, eventually PhDs, that we should trust them. And then all of a sudden I see this kid who looked like he fell out of his bunk bed in a drug-induced psychosis at summer camp, and I see millions and millions of dollars were given to him by a million people. $32 billion gone. Finito. It ain't around. And then you begin to track it. Because how is that different than a black kid who takes a gun and robs you a money you just withdrew at the ATM machine? Hey, you want to give him triple life without parole. But this guy, I heard some people say, oh, look at him. As I took him to jail in the Bahamas because he's fighting extradition to the United States. He's such a mamaluke. Well, he is a mamaluke. Look at him. He's a mama's boy. And in fact, when all of a sudden in the Bahamian court, they don't use the powered uh, wigs any longer, part of the British system. When all of a sudden they said he's potentially a fugitive of justice, his mother was laughing. A Stanford professor along with uh, the daddy, a Stanford professor. Oh, there should have been the checks and balances. They're crooks. White-collar crooks. And the person who first invested in this scam, it was called Sam Coins, a.k.a. Bitcoins of FTX. Now it's called Scam Coins. Was the infamous fig- figure known as Zhao. Now, nobody is talking about Zhao. I'm always ahead of the curve. I've been talking about this scam for six months. Finally, people are catching up. Finally, people here at WABC are acknowledging it and talking a little bit about it. But you know what they're talking about. Trump, Biden, Democrats suck, Republicans are great. I don't know if I want DeSantis or Trump. I can repeat this. Same program over and over every day here at WABC on Talk TV. I have a migraine. I mean, do you think maybe we could deal with this? Because they're going to want to bail out. And you know where they're coming to. They're coming to us for the bailout, just like in 2008. That's right. They want us to bail them out, even though it's like um, it's like going to... Uh, shoot craps or play roulette or play, uh, you play blackjack or poker in Atlantic City or anywhere else and then you lose your money and you want us to bail you out. 
You want us to bail you out. And they're moving in that direction because of the incredible amounts of money that this cryptocurrency Ponzi scamming industry has been donating to mostly Democrats, but a lot of Republicans, too. Remember, Enron, it was a Republican, so they flipped the script. One bunch of crooks, another bunch of crooks. They all have their beak in the trough. They're all whining, dining, and pocket-lining these politicians, and they're going to want a bailout. But who is the guy we ought to be looking at? Obviously, Sam Bankman-Fried, it was a major player. But the guy who put him into business was the infamous Zhao. Formerly from uh, mainland China, a.k.a. Red China. Now he holds Canadian citizenship. When people uh, ask, uh, Zhao, Zhao, he owns the number one Bitcoin business in the world. The number one cryptocurrency business. It's called Binance. And they say, well, where can we find him? Uh, We'd like to have an appointment with him. Well, you know, uh, knock yourself out. Uh, because he moves between Japan, Singapore, Lithuania, Malta, and Dubai. <laughs> Where's their headquarters? Where's Binance's headquarters? They're ten times larger than FTX. Oh, they don't have a headquarters. What do you mean they don't have a headquarters? No, no, no. They don't have a headquarters. They're on the move. But you need to trust them. And remember, it was the infamous Zhao from mainland China. We were told that the Red Chinese didn't want to deal with the cryptocurrency, true. And Bitcoin bandits, true. And blockchain criminals, true. And that they kicked, uh, they kicked Zhao and Binance out of their country, out of Hong Kong, true. But it was all a ruse. Because through TikTok and Binance, they had their hooks into America. And now we're trying to reel back from TikTok ever so slowly. But Binance, the damage was done. In fact, uh, Zhao, the infamous Zhao, gave the money to Sam Bankman Freed to get him started in this rip-off business. And recently, all of a sudden, Zhao realized, I better emerge so that people know that I'm a real person and I'm not the Wizard of Oz. He was on uh, CNBC, Squawk Pop. Aren't all these financial channels, don't they have experts, right? You'll watch the Fox Business Channel, CNBC, all these other, oh, all their experts, and they were pumping bitcoins. They were pumping cryptocurrency. They were pumping blockchain morning, noon, and night. And then all of a sudden, the question came, Xiao, what about this guy at FTX, Sam Bankman Freed? We understand that you were very good friends with him. On a very personal basis, how do you think about Sam? And, and the reason I ask is I think at some point, obviously, you were friends. You were his original investor in all of this. Can you fathom that yeah. he lied to you like this, if that's the case? Yeah, so I'm very shocked that I, I, I obviously did not know him until about a week or so ago. Um, so I'm, I'm just shocked. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, he lied to everybody. You didn't know him till a week ago? I didn't know what kind of person. I didn't know that he lied to everybody <laughs> until a week, a week ago. <laughs> And this CNBC guy didn't even follow up. You funded Sam Bankman Freed. You put him into business. What do you mean you didn't know him? You know, uh, sort of reminds me when I was watching him for the very first time, Zhao on CNBC Squawk Box. He was sweating like a pig, a hazerai. What the hell does that mean? 
You know, I slopped the hogs uh, in Illinois when I visited my uh, grandfather, Anton, and grandmother Wanda on my Polish side, uh, the Chicago side, uh, the Sliwa family side. I slopped the hogs after um, after dinner. You know, I put the scraps out there. Suey, 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 suey. I never saw pigs sweat. Where the, where the hell did that term come from, to sweat like a pig? But I will tell you this, Yah was sweating like a pig. Man, he was nervous. Because probably Interpol is trying to find out where this guy is. He hasn't surfaced since. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Somebody out there has to tell me what this term, to sweat like a pig, means. When, in fact... If you've ever observed pigs who are very intelligent animals, I'm on there, very intelligent, they never sweat. How the hell did they create a, a statement like that? Oh, you sweat like a pig. Well, wait a second. How can you sweat like a pig if, in fact, pigs don't sweat? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But you see the audience, Bill Lee, they just want to talk Trump, trading cards, Trump. Trump possibly getting indicted. They want to do the whole thing all over again. I'm beating my head up against this microphone. The endless discussion, the same thing. Over. I, I don't do that kind of a program. I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do that kind of a program. I I couldn't be any less interested because it's the same thing every day. The same words you people use. That, oh, He's crucified. He's a uh, Trump is God. Trump is evil. Biden. Biden was telling a story about somebody in his family got a purple heart. It was all BS today. Uh, every day this guy tells stories. Get him out of here. Both of them. Out with the old, in with the new. Enough of this, Michigash. Freaking trading cards. Yeah, yeah. I'll put him in the spokes of my big chief uh, uh, Schwinn bicycle, right? Remember? <laughs> Maybe I'll flip them. Maybe I'll, I'll topsy, play topsies with them. one 800 And then that ultimate sleaze bag. I've heard him often here at WABC of late. He's emerging out of his lair, his uh, snake den. The evil Scarmucci. They call him a mooch. By the way, who knows what mooch means? I mean, why, why would anybody want to be called a mooch, right? <laughs> I know when I was growing up, that was not a positive thing. I had John Katsimatidis, hey, what do you think, Mooch? Uh, Sid Rosenberg, uh, you know, in the morning, hey, what do you think, Mooch? Do you know what a Mooch is? And this guy just stays on the other side of the telephone. He's impervious to criticism because he's Usinit. He's a snake scarmucci. By the way, does anybody happen to know what a Mooch is? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. It's not a single call. What the hell is wrong? Did they sabotage us? What what's going on here, Avery? I can't believe this. What is everybody going to sleep? Because we were talking Trump. Because we were talking insurrection. Because we were talking January sixth. I don't play that, homie. I'm sorry. I do talk radio, right? Talk radio. You, you mean one person out there with all the people listening in the tri-state area. In 38 states, parts of Canada, you can hear us in a sliver of Europe. Right on down to Davy Jones's locker. 50,000 powerful watts of sound. 
you know, out there at the power power tower in Lodi. That's where the strip club uh, is, still is, Satin Dolls, uh, in the uh, Sopranos. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Flat Top later on, Schmanta Boy, Stevie Van Zandt, who, uh, <laughs> Sid Rosenberg and friends, and I've added the addendum on Fiends and Foes, that's the name of his show, was on. And this guy, Stevie Van Zandt, made the dumbest statement I have ever heard. Uh, I don't understand why, why we can't live with black people. It's like, well, well. Let's say Stevie Van Zandt, you, you, you grew up in Middletown, New Jersey. Last time I looked, Middletown, let's see, uh, 90% white, you know, like 2% black, like 5% Hispanic, 3% Asian. Uh, where do you live now? You don't live in Middletown. I know that's for sure. What, average income in Middletown is about $126,000? He don't live in Middletown. It's probably a 1%er with his homie, you know, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, working class hero, right? Freehold, New Jersey. Ma Quanamai, working class hero. Rumson, one percenters. How many black people live in Rumson? Probably you can count them on one hand. Likewise in Middletown. I couldn't believe what he said. And there's Sid. He's like, it doesn't say anything. He said, of course, Sid moved to the Rockaways. The Irish Riviera. Let's see. Uh, Breezy Point, Ponds in Pearl Harbor. Not too many black people live in there. Far Rockaway, yes. The Irish Riviera, no. And they're all like, yeah, we we should live with black people. Uh, Yeah, do as I say, but not as I do. As if this is like some boy genius, Stevie Van Zandt, schmata boy. My God. It's like a love fest. If uh, if the person's your friend, you kiss their talkers, right? I'd have been right in his face. What the hell are you talking about, Stevie Van Zandt? Nothing stopping you from moving into Newark or Patterson. I just had a shooting. I heard it on our own news. Well, Trenton or Camden, we're stopping you, homie, with the schmata on your head. Oh, sanctimonious hypocrites. one 800 But I really loathe, I hate, I despise Scarmucci. And he's still trying to lure people into the belly of the beast, still trying to get them to buy Bitcoin Get involved with blockchain and cryptocurrency scams. Listen to him talk, FTX. Ultimately, he's going to have to answer for this. I don't, you know, I don't understand why he's getting this sort of treatment from the American media, where they're they're fawning over him for for, for this. Fawning over him. <laughs> it's Carmucci says the crypto has hit rock bottom. Um, I think what's going on right now. Uh, is a bottom. I could be wrong. Obviously, it's very difficult to predict bottoms. Um, but the pessimism out there is uh, incredibly strong. Uh, and I would just point this out to you that when Sam Bankman Freed was uh, accused of fraud, uh, the markets uh, dropped anywhere from 15%. When he got arrested uh, and now he's in jail, Bitcoin actually rallied. Rallied! So you see, he's still pumping Bitcoin. Which was called Samcoin for FTX, now called Scamcoin. And then he's talking to Sid, and he's defending crypto, talking about blockchain while being stuck on an elevator. I mean, he gave me vertical. If you and I were in an elevator, we were going down together, I had to explain the blockchain to you. I would say this is a delayering mechanism, Sid. Uh, someday we're going to go into the restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club, and we're going to pay 
uh, with our telephones. Uh, I'm going to wire a stable coin of U.S. dollars or a Bitcoin or something to the waiter, and I'm going to bypass American Express. Yeah, and bypass America. It'll be offshore, right? Get out of here. Notice he got a restaurant, the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club, in honor of who? John Gotti Sr. What are we talking about that? You know, Friday was the anniversary of the execution of Paulie Gastelano and Tommy Bellotti outside of Spark Steakhouse. By who? John Gotti Sr. Sammy the Bull Gravano, I applaud it. I'll tell you why, because I really hated Paulie. And then all of a sudden, they turned on me, right? Should I? Be- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. The guy beat the dust. And then, oh, oh, oh. Well, this piece of work, this Scarmucci, right? Still believes in crypto. 30 seconds so, to go, Anthony. Should yeah. cryptocurrency just die altogether? It's not going to die, Sid. It's already out. The beast is already out of the cage. You know, the question is, will these use cases proliferate? I think that they will. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a long-term bull, and I'm sitting in my positions. Unlevered, though. Stay unlevered, and don't invest more than you can afford to lose. That is great uh, advice right there. Anthony Scaramucci, it is great to catch up with you. Get out of here. Get him out of here. Great to catch up with this fraud, this crook, Scaramucci. I'll say it before another time. He tells Sid, oh, I've been a lifelong lifelong Republican conservative. You full of bull feathers. He voted for Bill Clinton. He voted for Barack Obama. He wrote about that. He gave money to Hillary. He gave money to Barack Obama. I was a lifetime Republican conservative. See, that's why they say there's certain persons you would not buy a used car from, right? Him, the grease is coming out. The the olive oil is coming right out of the pores of his skin. Remember that uh, movie, uh, Boilermaker? Not Boilermaker. Boiler Room. (laughs) That Boiler Room, oh, that was so good with Van Diesel. Remember then, Ben, quack, quack, Aflac, when they were shaking down people. For penny stocks doing pumping dumps. That's what you would expect to see Scarmucci in, right? Uh, talk about a pig in a trough. A Hazarite. By the way, uh, this term, still no, nobody has seemed to uh, respond. Sweating like a pig. That was Zhao on CNBC Squawk Box. I'm telling you, having been up close and personal with pigs, I've known a lot of pigs in my lifetime. Well, let's talk about the four-legged ones. I never saw a pig sweat. I never saw a pig schwitz. Impossible. 1-800-848-9222. And then I leave you with Sam Bankman-Fried, who after everything came tumbling down like, um, what do you say, like Humpty Dumpty, who took a great fall. Wasn't anybody to put them all back together. Listen to his sage words of wisdom. Ultimately, he's going to have to answer for this. No, no, that's eight, eight, number eight, number eight. You said FTX has a responsibility to seriously consider stepping into the time to save companies. Why did you have that sense of responsibility? It's not going to be good for anyone long term. If we have real pain, if we have, like, real blowouts. And, And it's not fair to customers. And... Uh, it's not going to be good for regulation. It, like, it's not going to be good for anything. And, and so from a longer-term perspective, it's just that was what was important for, for the ecosystem. It's what was important for customers. And it was what was important for people to be able to operate in the ecosystem without being terrified that unknown unknowns were going to blow them up somehow.
I don't want you to suffer. I want you to do 150 years in the slammer, you punk. I want you to get the Bernie Madoff treatment. What was his sixty billion? Your scam was thirty-two billion. Hey, remember Bernie had an accountant in uh, New City in a storefront. One accountant, uh, and he had his secretary at a kitchen table in Howard Beach cooking the books right there with a a pot of uh, a pot of coffee there, Medallia Doro, and some biscuits. What? A, and he went on for years. If the economy hadn't imploded from that subprime mortgage mess. The Democrats and Republicans were pumping. Bernie Madoff would have continued to run his his Ponzi scheme. And notice, I told you, at exactly the same time that the world economy virtually crashed, and while Bernie Madoff uh, had to acknowledge he had no money, it was a Ponzi scheme because everybody was going to withdraw their money. Came along the infamous Satoshi Nakamoto that nobody has ever seen, who supposedly created Bitcoin. It's a scam, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I couldn't even tell you how to balance your checkbook, but I can tell you this: if you have money invested in Bitcoin, um, blockchain, or cryptocurrency, man, cash in now. Get the doc. Get the paper. Get the paper. The Sage of Omaha, right? Warren Buffett has said, paper, no crypto. Our own John Katzmatidis has said, get the paper, no crypto. Especially, don't go all, all, all offshore. And Donald Trump said that before, but now that he's into trading cards uh, that you can buy with cryptocurrency, he sold out on that. Get the paper, no crypto. Get the paper. All night long. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. The genie is out of the bottle, Christina Aguilera. What, she had a cup of coffee in Staten Island and then fled to Pittsburgh, huh? Hey, Christina Aguilera, genie in a bottle. Yeah, yeah, this is quite a genie here. Cryptocurrency, Ponzi schemers, Bitcoin bandits, blockchain criminals. You have any investments in that, get it out now. Get your money out now. It's all collapsing. And in fact, uh, it's down 60 to 80 percent. A lot of the companies are declaring bankruptcy, so you may see, if you're lucky, 10 cents on your dollar. And don't believe these hustlers with their, it's a side hustle for them because they have other business who are telling you, oh, no, 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 invest now, invest now. You won't, you won't even have belly button link. Oh, by the way, uh, Bo, Snurdly, we're going to deal with him later on because he said, I know nothing about Prince. <laughs> Prince and all of his ancillary players will be getting into in the 5 o'clock hour. Finally, he decided he was going to talk about FTX. This company dealing with billions of dollars, billions, they can't find records. They just took the money, apparently, from investors, and the record-keeping was shoddy. 
employees communicated invoices and other financial documents through the workspace chat application Slack. They use QuickBooks, the stuff that we use, you, me, everybody. In this billion, billion, billion dollar company, they were using QuickBooks. So finally he comes on board, right, Broadway Billy? Finally. He sees the light of day. Then he plugs his own crypto guy. I couldn't believe that. He's pumping this guy who sells crypto. I hear the promos all the time. I say to myself, what? You can't be real. You finally woke up and you realize the danger of crypto, that it's a Ponzi scheme. And then you're you're promoting your own Ponzi schemer. And one of the things, if you listen to the Future Is Now podcast that I do with James Eisenberg from Inner Black Capital, one of the things he points out is that this was not a blockchain crypto company. They did things in the same kind of business model that some of these corrupt institutions used that caused the last financial meltdown. So let me get it straight. Let me get this straight. Uh, James Golan, you and a lot of our colleagues here have not been talking about crypto Ponzi schemes, Bitcoin bandits, blockchain criminals. And I understand why you don't understand it. Nobody does. But now you you slam FTX, rightfully so. You slam boy thief who needs to do 150 years in jail for this. And you promote this guy, James Eisenberg. Can I hear that again, Broadway Billy? This is the height of hypocrisy. You slam the number two company. It's like uh, Avis to Hertz. Number one is obviously the infamous Zhao in Binance. But, oh, this guy, James Eisenberg, his tuchus doesn't smell. And one of the things, if you listen to the Future Is Now podcast that I do with James Eisenberg from Inner Black Capital, one of the things he points out is that this was not a blockchain crypto company. They did things in the same kind of business model that some of these corrupt institutions used that caused the last financial meltdown. What the hell is he talking about? The guy's running a Ponzi scheme. And then, of course, there's Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan who's been wine-dined and pocket-lined by these Bitcoin pirates, these blockchain criminals, and these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, when confronted because he's been out there saying, oh, they shouldn't be regulated, there should be no transparency, I want them to be housed here in New York City, I will welcome them. Of course, because they've bribed you. He doubled down, he tripled down. I believe in the new markets and the new currencies, and I'm encouraging my young people to learn about them. We had a, a crypto summit um, that was uh, partnered with the owners of um, the New York Nets, uh, where we brought young people in to learn about these industries. These industries are not going to go away because they reach low points. This is an industry that we must embrace, and I'm looking to further leaning into uh, blockchain and other technologies. Yeah, yeah, you keep doing that. Yes, my, my money's already there. I took my first three paychecks. How come only three uh, when Bitcoin crashed, right? <laughs> and he's teaching kids this to become white-collar criminals. So let me get this straight. Our kids in public school cannot read at grade level. They can't do math at grade level. They can't do uh, uh, write at grade level. But they're going to know how to rob you as a white-collar criminal. Oh, I, I, I'm so proud. So proud of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. By the way, he is at 
Club Zero Bond uh, as we speak. He has entered the house, the private club where everything goes, and you know nothing about it. Interesting because uh, he had a retail summit earlier at Gracie Mansion where he claimed he was going to stop people from <laughs> boosting and shoplifting. Never once named and shamed Alvin Bragg. Never once. So we'll get into all of that. Sanctimonious hypocrite. Oh, that's uh, what about sweating like a pig. Let's see if Craig in Tom's River seems to know what that phrase means, uh, Craig. Hey, Curtis. What's up? What do you mean, what's up? I want to know what sweating like a pig means. I look, yeah, yeah, the origin of it supposedly is something which you would never think of what it would be is uh, when they used to melt iron back in the day when the droplets would fall and it would turn it, when it would harden, they said it would look like a, a pack of piglets. That's what the origin of it. Yeah, yeah pig iron, I get that. Uh, there is yeah, that, that term, that, pig that, iron. It would melt. I guess it looked like a, uh, you know. So uh, sweating like I, sweating like a pig. Now, now I mean, I, I, I thank you for bringing that to our attention. But imagine how stupid that is. We're not, yeah, no. we're not a piece of iron. A pig is no. not a piece of iron. Humans are not. Yet we are sweating like a pig. Somehow that doesn't jive. No, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Don't so you that. see, you see, Craig, please don't bring that to our attention any longer. Hey, that one you could have figured out right away. The hell does this guy want to know what my middle name is for? Michael in Brooklyn. Hey, what are you doing? You checking on my social security? Uh, you're doing uh, identity theft? What do you want to know my middle name for, huh, Mike? You always say don't trust anybody with three names. But on Monday, I thought, I don't know if my mind is playing tricks on me, but I thought you said your na- middle name was Anthony. Oh, yeah, that's my middle name, but I never call myself that. I don't call myself Curtis Anthony Sliwa. I was explaining that I named my oldest son after my grandfather, Anton, which in Polish means Anthony, and that I have that as a middle name. Uh, And then you said that Stephen A. couldn't one you up, right? Oh, Stephen A., come on. He's a soft guy. He's from Southeast Queens, Hollis, right? Acts like a tough guy. They used to smack that Mama Luke around in the streets. Are you kidding? He's all big and bad on ESPN. Get out of here. He used to be over at the old WABC because we shared studios with ESPN and Disney. I'm going to tell you, man, that guy was not what he pretends to be on the air. Yeah, I know a tough guy. This guy's not a tire. I shook his hand, didn't have a callus on his hand. The only calluses Stephen A. Smith has are on his tuchus from sitting so much, making money for screaming, ranting, raving, and talking like a lunatic, which seems to be what you do when you're in sports talk radio, like uh, like uh, Sid had, what, uh, Mad Dog Russo on? Oh, God, was that so patronizing? I love you. You love me. I love you. Oh, you're the greatest of all time. He's not. And mark it down on the calendar, Avery, this Monday at 7.05 when I make my first appearance of the week. There's two appearances a week, although they're trying to knock me out of the box. His whole crew, Sid Rosenberg's whole crew of Lou on the boards and Macedonian Phil, they don't like the fact that I take it to all three of them. He, I, we're going to have a debate. He claims, oh, Mad Dog Russo, greatest sports catcher of all time. No way, Marty Glickman, without a doubt, without hesitation. And I looked at Sid. 
when he finished that. And I said, what? You turned on one of your own peeps, Marty Gilman, to pick a guy who just screams, rants, and raves, and at times knows nothing about nothing when it comes to sports? Marty Glickman. That's the man. We're gonna, oh, you don't want to miss it. Monday, 7.05. Anyway, let's go to Jimmy. And uh, where, where are you calling from, Jimmy? Is that Afton, New York? Yeah, Curtis. I live up in Afton. I'm actually in Jersey right now. I drive truck. Okay, and uh, what would you like to speak about, uh, Jim? I got three things, Curtis. The Mooch, you kind of hit on it. He reminds me of a used car salesman in Lodi who just upped his game and fakes it till he makes it. Can't believe he's where he's at because he doesn't belong there. You know what I mean? A mo- and a mooch is a, is a, a leech. So a mooch is off you. You know what I mean? Hey, you got a spare 20? You know what I mean? Yeah. You got a spare cigarette? That's a mooch. Yeah, now can you imagine he likes being called mooch because he knows he's a mooch. Right. You know, he knows that's exactly, you, you You nailed it with this guy. The, the olive oil comes right out of his skin. And you know what town in Long Island uh, another guy came out of who shared the same responsibility as the spokesperson for the Trump administration? Who's that? Spicer. Came oh, from yeah, the same right. town out there in Long Island. You know, Spicer. He, if he has another another facelift, his uh, face is going to snap like an old rubber band. Look at that guy there. He's on Newsmax. I look at him and I say, hey, you're looking a little too pretty there, Spicer. And Curtis, sweating like a pig to me was always a pig of a person. You ever see real fat people with eight chins? They're always sweating. Sweating like a pig, but like a, a person who looks like a pig. You know, oh. They're always sweating. That's what I always, to me, that was always sweating like a pig. Because pigs don't sweat. They wallow. They wallow in mud when they're hot. Yeah, no, no, they don't. They never, they never sweat. How the hell they Curtis, came up with that? That term is beyond me. I can explain Bitcoin to you, and I'm a truck driver. Okay, I had, I had a PhD IT guy, PhD, explain it to me. I got a very interesting Bitcoin story. When it first came out, when it first came out, I was at a hot dog cart up at Poughkeepsie, uh, by Poughkeepsie, right? And this guy comes up in a junkie car, and he starts shooting this crap with me and the hot dog guy. He says, hey, you guys got to get into Bitcoin. He's talking, he's talking about Bitcoin, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I think they had like a network marketing thing when they first started up. This guy's really hawking us on Bitcoin. He's got a crappy car, right? Hands me his card, his Bitcoin card. Then he asked the hot dog guy, hey, how much are the chips? You know, he's, he's trying to get me to invest in Bitcoin. He's asking how much the chips are in a hot dog <laughs> card. I threw his coin. Now, here's the other end of the spectrum, okay? I buy and sell equipment. I, I, I bought equipment up in um, Endicott, New York, this big manufacturing facility. This guy, this guy owns a construction and demolition company. So I met him there. He bought this big pipe manufacturing uh, facility, and he was going to turn it into a farmer's market. Long story short, he goes, hey, you want to see something cool? I'm like, yeah, sure. He takes me into the basement, this huge, giant basement of a factory, right? There's thousands of computers there firing off. All you see is blue lights, racks and racks and racks of computers. I'm like, is that a Bitcoin mine? He goes, yeah, you're right. How'd you know? I said, I was just listening to a podcast about it. There's a local guy up there. Guy's worth about $700 billion. He's a huge scrap metal mogul. The private jets. I'm, you know, This guy just built a $4 million pool, right? He, he was on a podcast, and he said that he got into Bitcoin. He doesn't know nothing about it, but if it's for real, he doesn't want to miss out on it. So he invested a couple of million dollars in a Bitcoin mining operation. They had Now, the reason they put it in this manufacturing facility is because it had very heavy electric, big, heavy industrial electric to run all these computers. There were so many computers 
in that facility, the heat from those computers heated the building. And there was another building all full of computers constantly firing off. And you know how a Bitcoin is created? It solves an extremely hard mathematical problem. And that's what these computers are doing, constantly firing off, trying to solve these extremely hard mathematical problems. And this was an IT guy who had a Ph.D. that I bought some other equipment off of up in Ithaca, New York, because we were talking about Bitcoin. I said, I have no idea. He goes, tell you exactly what it is. He goes, a Bitcoin is created when an extremely hard mathematical problem is solved. I'm like, this is just a game that some eggheads made up. It's all fake. It's all fake. But here's a guy who can't afford chips in the beginning getting into it. Now, here's a guy who's worth $700 billion, who threw a couple of million right at it just in case it was for real. He didn't even know what it was. So well, now, now these- a question is, Jim, you're a hardworking guy. You're transporting equipment back and forth, 18-wheel tractor trailer. Would you accept payment for your load in Bitcoin? I would cash. I I buy and sell. I want. I don't take checks. Sometimes <laughs> I'll take. Sometimes I'll take PayPal. It, it depends if it ain't a lot of money. But I like cash. Cash is king, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take away our cash so they can control you. The mark of the beast, right? That's the right. The beast. There, there's no they, they doubt. Want, and want, then imagine this, Jim. They tell you, okay, you buy your Bitcoin. It's supposed to be yours. Maybe you want to put it in a safety deposit box at your local Bank of America. They said, no, 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 we're going to store it offshore, uh, and we have it here, so don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's in our exchange. Uh, you have access to it whenever you want it. Here's your PIN number. God forbid you lose the PIN number, tough noogies. You lost your investment, which you might not have gotten anyway in these Bitcoin exchanges. Exactly. Curse, I deal in cash. And I keep minimal money in the bank. I have real estate investments. That's where I invest my money. But in general, I keep minimal money in the cash. I never, never believe in the stock market. Yeah, people make a lot. To me, it's just gambling. It's gambling. You know what I mean? And people make a lot of money in it, but a lot of that inside money, you know? Well, it's all, it's all about, it's all about investing, watching it, pumping it, and then getting out before they dump it. Right. Compounding it's, interest is how you get, you know, how you long-term investing. If you, the rule of 72, money constantly compounding, how you could, you know, small, small investments over time, you'll, you'll have a lot of money when you're older. That, that's a standard thing. But with me with the stock market, never. I, I learned how to buy and sell equipment after I went broke. I used to own restaurants and this and that. I went broke and I learned how to buy things cash. And I learned, I learned, you know, if you're quick with the kit, you can make a lot of money by just buying and selling. Well, no, I mean, uh, you told the best story of all, Jim. You're up there near Poughkeepsie, stopping for a dirty water hot dog. A guy rolls up in a jalopy, right, can't even afford a bag of chips, and yet he's telling you, oh, you got to invest in Bitcoin. It's a fraud. If you are invested in that, get your money out now. It's collapsing all around. And all these guys, oh, no, it's never been better, like Scarmucci. Ugh. You look at Scarmucci, ugh, my skin just crawls from that. I've been a lifetime Republican conservative. And he has the coolions to say that on WABC when everybody knows. This guy supported Obama, supported Hillary, gave money to Bill Clinton, gave money to Obama, was promoting them. And they, oh, I went to the Army-Navy game. Wow, so that suddenly makes you a Republican conservative? Like no Democrats go to the Army-Navy game, annual game in Philadelphia? 
That's a double fire to Scarmucci, the sleaze. If you and I were in an elevator, we were going down together, I had explained the blockchain to you, I would say this is a delayering mechanism, Sid. Uh, someday we're going to go into the restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club, and we're going to pay uh, with our telephones. Uh, I'm going to wire a stable coin of U.S. dollars or a Bitcoin or something to the waiter, and I'm going to bypass American Express. Founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. They're falling one by one, two by two. The cryptocurrency uh, Ponzi schemes are going to come to an end. Blockchain, Bitcoin, all of it. It should all fold. Get your money out now. And I would take on any of these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, blockchain criminals, and Bitcoin bandits. And let them know it's worth nothing. My belly button link is worth more than what you're hawking. Anyway, let's go to Gino. Who's calling uh, from Wilton, New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gino. Hi, Curtis. Uh, uh, Mooch. I would call him Mooch. Uh, some Shadru who lives in his mother's basement and he doesn't pay rent. <laughs> for free. Now, now, here it is. This guy's called Moochie, right? You call him Mooch. He loves he's it. A, he's, he loves he's, it. A, he's a Shadru. He's a real that guy. I totally. 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 And he he's lies like there's no, like, you're like, we don't know who you are, pal? He's a real little greaseball. That's all I call him. Completely. You, you got it. No good. You nailed it, Gene. No from, from, the, from the beginning, when I first met him, I knew he was no good. And Sid is playing into his freaking game. That's a shame. Nah, nah I tell you, I'm, I'm smacking uh, Sid around. Uh, in yeah. fact, you'll, you'll hear me give him a... A beatdown Monday, 7.05, Friday, 7.05. All week long, they were lobbying against me. His guy, Macedonian Phil, Lou, they were saying, oh, don't have Curtis on twice. In fact, if you got to have him on once, that's fine. No, no, no. And I said, I made the appeal to management. I said, we got to have an, uh, an antidote to this Michigan, this love affair. Uh, for Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, this love affair for Scarmucci. And for Stevie Van Zandt, you're going to hear it later on in the show. Stevie Van Zandt, uh, I really think that uh, uh, more of us white people should uh, to to have uh, neighbors who are black. Okay. Schmatter boy. Uh, let's see. You grew up in Middletown, 90% of the population white, middle class. Ah, upper middle class, excuse me. Where do you live now? I bet you you can count the number of black families on one hand. Hey, where does your homie, Bruce Springsteen, the non-working class hero, live? Oh, Rumson, 1% is here. A lot of black people out there. Get out of here. These guys do as I say, not as I do. They stupid. And a lot of you follow them. Let's go to Barry in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Barry. Hey, Curtis. Uh, in light of recent events as far as the rise in anti-Semitism. How do you account for the amazing success of Francesa and Russo given their 9-11 rant? How they survived that, I'll never know, but I know uh, it was scrubbed from the records. Um, ah, to be honest with you, I was so busy here at WABC when it happened because 
Uh, I was on the air with Ron Kuby when the attack of 9-11 occurred. And then every day thereafter, we had to do extra hours because, remember, there was limited TV uh, coverage because the towers had come down. And I was running down to the pit because I had guardian angels there. To be honest, Barry, I'm going to have to find, try to find a copy of that to hear it for myself. All I heard was sort of like secondhand, thirdhand. Could you tell me what they actually said when the towers were coming down? Curtis, I was on duty at the World Trade Center on 9-11, and I was a first responder, emergency medical technician. And when I heard what they was, I'm Jewish also, not that that should matter, but when I heard what they were saying on the radio, I was like, these guys are trying to incite a pogrom. Francesca said Israel was to blame for the attack. Israel is a failed experiment. Russo chimed in, saying that Jews are not loyal to the United States. And he said that his uncle went off to fight in World War II, and he was fighting in Italy. And that if the Jews had a fight in Israel, they would never do it. I thought I was listening to a conversation between two five-year-olds. And this went on. And I'm, I'm working. The dust is coming up. The scene is, like, so chaotic. And my father was a World War II veteran who enlisted at the age of 16. He forged my grandmother's signature. That's, that's not loyalty to the United States. An uncle that fought in the Battle of the Bulge and two other uncles, one in the Navy and one in the Army. This is, and these guys got away with this, and it keeps getting it, – it exacerbates itself. Oh, no doubt. And uh, you will see uh, when I'm on with Sid on Monday, I'm going to be defending Marty Glickman, who, in my eyes, um, what I heard, greatest uh, sports broadcaster of all time. You may have remembered the story. Marty Glickman and his uh, partner from Syracuse University uh, had qualified for the Olympic team. And then the uh, organizer of the Olympic Games, I forget his uh, name, he was infamously a racist and an anti-Semite, came to the United States Olympic uh, Committee and said, you can't have those two Jews in the relay race. Uh, Why don't you have Jesse Owens and the other guy, uh, the two black guys, because that won't offend Hitler as much as having Marty Glickman and his party uh, and his partner. And Marty Glickman sucked it up. He told his story. He was one tough Jew, one proud Jew. And then for Sid Rosenberg to say that uh, Mad Dog Russo is the greatest uh, sports uh, broadcaster or or talk radio show host, uh, he said. Let me correct myself. Speeches, nonsense. Marty Glickman, right? You hear him doing giant games. He did jet games. He did the Knicks. He paved the way for... I wonder if that guy has left any more... uh, of his dental uh, marks in any lady's backs. You know who I'm talking about. I won't mention his name. And he did weekly the high school football game of the week on Channel 11 WPIX Saturday mornings. And Elston Howard of the Yankees was doing color commentation. And you know they weren't getting paid anything. That was uh, that's a Marty Clickman, the best, not like the rest. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah.
Here's Curtis Lewa. Remember when you would hear this song cascading in every arena around America, whether it had to do with hockey, whether it had to do with basketball, mostly hockey, sometimes football, where you'd hear Rock and Roll Part 2 by who? Gary Glitter, that pedophile on a pedestal many times over. In fact, recently, I... uh, Heard that song uh, in the, what was it? The Joker was done in 2019. Remember, Joaquin Phoenix? They're coming uh, around again to make uh, Joker 2. Joaquin Phoenix and Lady Gaga. I think I'm going to have to be like the Joker here at WABC in a lot of ways. Uh, The Joker is played by Joaquin Phoenix, especially in the morning show when I appear twice a week to try to give an assemblance a balance from the uh, Tukas Kissing uh, show that has now been renamed uh, Sid Rosenberg and Friends. When I'm on Mondays at 7.05 and Fridays at 7.05, if you can't hear it live, you got to get it on the podcast. Because, man, I drilled down on not only Sid, because I'm not a friend, I'm a foe. In fact, call me a fiend. And then I go with Lou, the board operator, and Macedonian Phil. I take no prisoners. But when I saw this story coming out of the U.K., they're probably the biggest pedophile in all the world has been freed from prison. That's right. Gary Glitter. How many times were you at a Ranger game or an Islander game or a Devils game? And all of a sudden this came on and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meantime, you were cheering on the pedophile on a pedestal. And he's out. He is a disgraziata. He had been uh, sentenced to 16 years for sexually abusing three young girls. And the Brits, uh, with a lack of wisdom, decided to cut him loose after doing eight years. Convicted of downloading child pornography in 1999. They say, don't worry about it. He'll be under supervised release 
he'll have to wear an ankle bracelet. Bullfeathers. He was convicted of having sex with a minor in Vietnam in 2006. Spent three years in jail there. Still didn't learn. He was deported to the U.K. where he registered as a sex offender. In 2015, Gary Glitter was found guilty of attempting to rape an 8-year-old, having sex with a girl under 13, and four counts of molesting another minor girl. The offenses occurred between 1975 and 1980. In fact, the victim of uh, Gary Glitter's uh, attacks in Vietnam said she was just 10 years old at the time. And she believes the singer will always remain a threat. What the hell is he doing out there, right? You know what they should have done, taking him up to the Tower of London? Castration should have been his cure. Broadway Bill Lee, uh, do you have the sound of our guillotine? It seems that uh, we no longer use that uh, when I'm talking about pedophiles on a pedestal. Whether it's Michael Jackson or R. Kelly well, Elvis Presley or his cousin, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, great balls of fire. The quickest way to take a pedophile out is castration is their cure. Keep your rocket in your pocket. Or if you uh, use it, you're going to lose it. And then if they're not going to physically remove your three-piece set, which I would do, you could do what they do in the Nordic countries, which is through chemical castration. Oh, yeah. They created that in the 50s in the Nordic countries that are considered so liberal, so progressive. So whether it's uh, Holland, whether it's Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, if all of a sudden you were found to be a rapist, they would tell you, you want to do jail time or you want to sit for chemical castration. And almost inevitably, they would sit for chemical castration. So they're going to release Gary Glitter out there with all of his money. Remember, he's still getting residuals from this song. He's got millions and millions of euros in the bank. He's got a townhouse in King's Court. And you know that he's going to be soliciting children for sex, boys and girls. I mean, why? Why are we releasing him? He is a threat to society. He is a predicate offender. He needs to be uh, incarcerated for the rest of his life because he is a threat to all of society's young. And, you know, they'll say, well, he can't travel, right? He'll get on that that uh, bullet train, go right through, uh, right underneath the, uh, the channel. And before you know it, he'll be in Paris in record time. Ah, man, you cannot trust this guy. What the hell is going on in the minds of the British authorities? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And that reminds me of another Brit. I remember it was right before the Super Bowl. One of my all-time favorite groups, The Who, were performing. Really like The Who. Then all of a sudden I found out that Peter Townsend was being accused of pedophilia. Pedophilia. And then when he was uh, confronted... He wasn't breaking his guitar at the time. That was his hallmark move on the stage. He claimed that he was just doing research. That's why there were so many files that were downloaded on his hard drive, on his computer, uh, in his home. Get out of here. And they bought it lock, stock, and barrel. And I remember I was was there in the stadium. I forget exactly which. It may have been. uh, I forget which one it was. 
Anyway, the point was he was performing with the who, and it just wasn't the same any longer. I'm looking up at Peter Townsend. I'm saying, man, you're a pedophile on a pedestal. You got away with it by claiming you were researching pedophilia, and that's why you had downloaded so many child pornography pictures and acts of children uh, having sex with adults because of research? Please. You know what his uh, defense was, uh, Broadway Billy? Almost like he could call it curiosity killed the cat. Can I say that? You know, my wife Nancy will get very upset. All 18 rescue cats listen to me till the break of dawn like all of you should. I know many of them are getting very upset that I said curiosity killed the cat. No, I'm not wanting to kill any of you cats there. You know, our uh, patriarch is Apollo. The matriarch is Athena. Our senior citizen uh, rescue cat is Tuna, who's AARP. Uh, right now, uh, Whiskers, uh, she is, uh, she's in heat. We got to get a fix. Got to get a fix soon. Oh, man. She's a handful. But curiosity killed the cat. Where did that phrase ever come from? Curiosity killed the cat? So I should say to Peter Townsend, you know, your curiosity about pedophilia that caused you to want to research it, uh, your curiosity killed the cat. What does that mean? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And in league with all of that, it's incredible that we now have two two. Two dictionaries, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, that are telling us what a definition of a man and a woman is. So now the Cambridge Dictionary weighs in. And they have reconfigurated what a man is and reconfigurated what a woman is. Although they don't show any anatomical uh, images to help us with why they're trying to confuse us even more. So they've decided to update their entries for man and woman to include transgender people. So the dictionary's expanded definition of a woman is now, what can we say? An adult female human being. Okay. An adult female human being. I got that. That's a woman. But now they've added an addendum, a second definition, which refers to an adult who lives and identifies as a female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. So, for instance, if all of a sudden, Avery, uh, you're suffering from postpartum depression or what you think is postpartum depression, and you say, but isn't that what mothers have when they've had a baby sometimes? I want to identify as a woman today. Anatomically, I look down, and I don't have the plumbing of a woman, but you know something? I feel like a woman. I want to identify as a woman. And even though I dress like a man, I walk like a man. Oh, yeah. We got to play that Aerosmith song later on. Dude looks like a lady. I feel like a woman today. And you, Broadway Billy, as shocking as it is to you, all 40 years, I know today you're like a sitting shiver because Scott Shannon has retired from WCBS-FM. It's okay, because this is more important than just spinning stacks of wax. What, how, how do you explain this to kids? As adults, we can't even understand this. 
How do you explain this to kids when they start looking in the Webster's Dictionary or Cambridge Dictionary or they look online and it gives you a primary definition of a woman remains an adult female human being? Okay, but now they have the addendum. It refers to a woman as an adult who lives and identifies as a female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. They define man as an adult male human being, but the addendum is also an adult who lives and identifies as male, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Mary is a woman who was assigned male at birth. Their doctor encouraged them to live as a man for a while before undergoing surgical transition. This is what our kids have to try to understand. i got to be completely honest with you. I don't even understand it. I don't even understand it. Maybe somebody out there can explain it to me. Because this has become the official definition of a man and a woman in both the Cambridge Dictionary and in the Webster Dictionary and online. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And while we're at it, curiosity killed a cat. Where did that come from? And I'm applying it to Pete Townsend, who definitely is a pedophile on a pedestal, uh, the key entertainer in the group who that I loved when I first heard them and love them less because of that. It's tainted them. And, uh, wow. Can you imagine if you're coming into this country and uh, you get your green card and you go through citizenship and you learn all about civics and history, which means you'll probably know more about uh, government and more about history than an average American when you're trying to become a citizen and you take the test. And then on top of that, they're trying to teach you English. And how the hell, it's difficult enough to understand English when... uh, They're now telling you what appears to be a man is not a man. What appears to be a woman is not a woman. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, to help us along in the process, because it's reached the floor of the United States Senate, remember when United States Supreme Court Justice Brown was being questioned uh, as part of the uh, background check on her uh, in the floor of Congress? how she was asked about defining uh, who a woman is. You told her that that you couldn't define what a woman is, uh, that you were not a biologist, which which I think you're the, the only Supreme Court nominee in history who's been unable to answer the question, what is a woman? Let me ask you as a judge, how would you determine if a plaintiff had Article Three standing uh, to challenge a gender-based rule, regulation, policy, uh, without being able to determine what a woman was. So, Senator, I know that I'm a woman. I know that um, Senator Blackburn is a woman, and the woman who I um, admire most in the world is in the room today, my mother. Um, it sounded as though well, but the but question me, but, was... But let me ask, under the modern leftist sensibilities, if if... I decide right now that, that I'm a woman, um, then apparently I'm a woman. Does that mean that I would have Article Three standing to challenge a gender-based restriction? 
Senator, to the extent that you are asking me about um, who has the ability to bring lawsuits based on gender, those kinds of issues are working their way through the courts, and I'm not able to comment on them. Wow. Can't even define what a woman is. And so then uh, Senator Marshall Blackburn continued the questioning. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in this context. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a biologist. You have to be a biologist to understand what a woman is and how a woman is different than a man. This is a United States Supreme Court justice. United States Supreme Court justice, right? They're supposed to be the brightest. They're all Ivy League graduates except for the um, last Trump appointee who came uh, out of Notre Dame. But the rest of them are all Ivy League, you know, graduate school, Ph.D., law school, whatever. They're intellectually stupid. Can I have that last cut by uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn asking her, this is Catania Brown-Jackson, uh, now United States Supreme Court Justice. She passed muster. Just explain what a woman is. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Of- She's a woman. All she got to do is look at herself, describe herself. Can't even do that. And, of course, Ted Cruz continued on. He was relentless, uh, considering him uh, self. Well, yeah, I wonder, um, imagine him doing a drag queen reading at a local library for kids, Ted Cruz. I, I could see him being a drag queen. I really could. Apparently, I'm a woman. Can I hear that again? Apparently, I'm a woman. I could see Ted Cruz at a library, you know, using Nair to shave his legs, um, what was that one time um, he said he liked a particular piece of porno? Uh, he hit the like uh, button, uh, then claimed it was a staff member on his cell phone, and I think it had to do with uh, she-men and man-she's or whatever they call that. Apparently I'm a woman. Really? Apparently I'm a woman. Are you sure? Apparently I'm a woman. Ted... You were the guy, the Solicitor General in Texas. I remember interviewing you when you were running against Trump for the presidency of the Republican primary in New York. And I asked you, didn't you try to ban the sale of dildos? Apparently I'm a woman. Well, that said it all right there. And then uh, Ted Cruz uh, was saying, well, if I'm not a woman, maybe I'm an Asian man. Apparently I'm a woman. Does <laughs> uh, No, no. You're an Asian man now, Ted Cruz. You're an Asian man, right? Could I decide I was an Asian man? What did you finally decide that you were, Ted Cruz? I decide right now that that I'm a woman. Okay. So um, it's a little confusing, but I'm uh, sourcing through that. He's an Asian man, but he's also a woman. Apparently I'm a woman. And we would have to respect that. Could I decide I was an Asian man? Look, if all of a sudden he decided he was an Asian guy, right? I decide right now that that I'm a woman. Man, I got vertical. Could I decide I was an Asian man? According 
to the definition now, based on that hour, that day, that week, that month, that year, whatever you claim you are, we have to respect that, Ted Cruz. Apparently, I'm a woman. Does I could see that. Apparently, I'm a woman. I could see uh, Ted Cruz as a drag queen reading to uh, children, the drag uh, queen uh, reading hour. Could I decide I was an Asian man? In uh, Westheimer. Oh, yeah, Westheimer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, in uh, Houston. Apparently, I'm a woman. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go to uh, Steve, who's waiting patiently uh, on the line from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Oh, what happened to Steve? It's- Steve get consumed there. Could I decide I was an Asian man? Did that scare you off, Steve? A U.S. Senator Ted Cruz was confused as to whether he was an Asian man or a woman. Did that really throw you there, Steve? Steve? Are you there, Steve? Oh, my God. Curtis. Yay, Steve. Yay, 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 Steve. I was a little... I didn't even realize I hit the mute button. I'm sorry. Uh, well, no, I was a little concerned that you may have been a gender bender and were trying to figure out who you were going to be before you came on the air. Apparently, I'm a woman. Does... Yeah. <laughs> Curtis, I love you to death, and I don't mean to go back off topic to, like, the whole crypto thing. Yeah, but, no, no, feel free. Hey, look, whatever's on your I mind. Hate, I hate Scaramouche. He's a freaking schlub. Listen, I FTX, all FTX was is like a trading company where you buy crypto through. Crypto is really not a bad investment. I know it sounds crazy, but you could protect. Crypto is down right now because it's in a bear market. If you look at charts, it goes into a bull market, bear market, bull market, bear market, back and forth every few years. Well, well, for for the edification, Steve, for the edification, because there are people who've invested in it who have acknowledged they don't even know what it is. Do you know what it is? It's it's basically, it's not like a a stock. It's, It's kind of... It's a currency, basically. You like companies like American Express. There's all different cryptos, not just Bitcoin. There's Ethereum, Litecoin. It's thousands of cryptocurrencies, and companies are actually doing business with them, like using them to do payment processing and all that. But you could totally protect your crypto by taking it offline so nobody can hack it. If there's a thing they call the cold storage wallet, it's like a USB drive that you plug into the computer. When you buy uh, cryptos from any site, you can't trust any of these sites because they can be hacked, Like or a FTX situation could happen. Once you buy it on one of those sites, you plug the cold storage wallet in, which is like a USB. You load it all onto that. You pull it out. Now, nobody has access to it. It's offline, and you can throw it in your safe and protect it. Nobody can ever touch it. And when the market goes back into a bull market, that's when you sell it. All right, but, but but the point is, Steve, we know currency. You mentioned a different currency. We know at least the government the government is backing up the paper and coin currency. What's backing up they that hate, currency? They hate, they hate crypto. The government and stock people, they can't stand crypto because the dollar is going to shit, and the future, they, they, 
Yeah, but the crypto is so volatile. Oh? Yeah, the crypto uh, is so volatile. It has enormous swings up, enormous swings down. It doesn't lend itself to uh, uh, to uh, build up trust, which you have to have uh, in a currency. You know, I get it. The whole market moves together, though. You'll have times where it goes up and down, but the whole market, when it goes up, it goes up. The whole market goes down. It's not like a stock where you just, like, you know, you depend on fundamentals and good information. Crypto's more comparable to like gold in a commodity kind of rather than a stock. Like every few years it'll go up and it'll go down. It's like kind of it's a currency technically. So it's a it's a, a very shady. It's a, a lot of people don't understand crypto. Right. So it's a very risky investment. You gotta know when to sell because if you're sitting on it, you may be sitting on nothing. If you look at a chart, like a long-term chart of Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin, any of the cryptos, you'll see every couple of years it goes into a bull market, bear market. Right now it's in a bear market. Over the next five, six months, the whole market, even our economies, everything's going to go to shit. Well, do you do this, Steve? Do you just uh, sell as soon as it goes up, not knowing if it's going to exist after that? Really, crypto is not going to zero. I'm telling you that. All right. Well, no way, crypto is ever going to zero. We we we've heard that from many other Bitcoin. Personally, I don't like Bitcoin, but I do like Ethereum, XRP, and a bunch of others. But over the next five six months, if you load crypto, buy some XRP, some Litecoin, Ethereum, and just let it sit for like the next year or two, it's going to go back into a bull market. And you'll you'll make money. All right. Well, uh, at least you were cautionary, Steve, in talking about how it was very volatile and it's a tremendous risk. Uh, But I would say uh, my advice to people is if you're invested in it now, get the hell out of it. Whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's blockchain, whether it's uh, Bitcoin, get the hell out of it. Because it just seems like it is a house of cards. But if you're like Steve out there, you're holding on. Because the more people will pull out of it, eventually you'll be uh, king of the hill. King of crypto. King of blockchain. King of Bitcoin like uh, (laughs) Sam Bankman Freed. Never trust anybody with three names. I mean, would you trust this guy? He looks like a kid. High school, oh, yeah, but, you know, he's bright, MIT, and he had all of his colleagues, and they were from MIT, and they, they had this frat house, sorority house there in the Bahamas, and they were into polyamorous behavior, having sex with one another, sex with trees, sex with monkeys, sex with anything that moved, and they were hyping Adderall all day, which is a legal form of amphetamines. And you're going to trust them with your money? Well, they were a little eccentric. When... When they were worth $32 billion, well, they were a little eccentric. Now that they're, like, bottomed out and they have nothing, oh, they're crazy. Lock them up. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. 
Let me give you an update. Swagger man with no plan. Eric Adams has exited the Club Zero bond. Got little birdies there. Tell me uh, his comings and goings. So there are probably a whole bunch of people wanting to wine him, dine him, pocket line him. Uh, and whatever happens in a private club, which have sprouted up all over the city, stays in a private club. That's why there's been a proliferation of them, including... That's right, the uh, use and sale of marijuana, which uh, the mayor was talking about. We'll get into that within 24 hours. Uh, can no longer take place, and yet it's do as I say, not as I do. If you've ever been to a private club, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And this is uh, Blast from the Past, Aerosmith. Dude looks like a lady. Who is that? Steven Tyler, Coho Lips, Joe Perry. Wasn't it Steven Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen, who uh, had met a young lady, when was she, 14 or 15, and had convinced the mother that she should sign over uh, the young lady to his care, and he took her on the road. I mean, that has all the markings of being a pedophile, uh, if I'm right about that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I think Steven Tyler went to uh, Roosevelt High School in Yonkers and got thrown out because he was smoking marijuana. I believe that is the case. If anybody out there can straighten me out on that, please do so. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Still haven't had anybody explain to me the term curiosity killed the cat. That's going to bring me endless grief at home. My wife's not going to love that. Who is the uh, cat rescuer, the 18 rescue cats who listen when I'm broadcasting because they recognize my voice. Yes, cats and dogs recognize the voices of the humans that they live with. And they're not at all going to be thrilled with me. But pretty much that was the defense of Peter Townsend, who was caught with uh, pedophilia on his hard drive. Uh, the scene uh, of underage kids uh, and kids having sex with adults. And his excuse uh, when uh, they came to seize the hard drive is, oh, I'm researching uh, for a book on pedophiles. Oh, please, stop it, Peter. That's why every time I listen to Who Now, that's what I think about. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Coming up in the next hour... The pressure is going to be on Avery, our uh, producer, nine-time producer and phone screener. He's no longer a telephone talent coordinator. That's a term that uh, Frank Morano, the Mama Luke uh, manufactured. We're not going to use that here for Avery. But uh, we're trying to get him uh, to want to to watch the new uh, Frasier series that is coming out. Uh, that'll be the third venture. Uh, about Frazier, which uh, he originally criticized as being the all-time McWhitey-Whitey TV series. Uh, Even more so than Mayberry RFT. We're going to give him an opportunity. He has uh, crafted 
some cuts from some uh, Frasier programs. And uh, he will give us commentary, and we will take commentary from all of you, including plating the cut of Stevie Van Zandt, who is being interviewed by uh, Sid Rosenberg on his new program called Sid Rosenberg and Friends. When I'm on it, it's uh, Friends, Fiends, and Foes, Monday morning, 7.05, and then I close out the week Friday mornings at 7.05. Stevie Van Zandt, Schmata Boy with the E Street Band of Bruce Springsteen, Claiming that he wants to, he wants, he wants to live with black people. Uh, he thinks the problems in the world can be addressed if white people would just live with black people side by side with them. And I'm saying, what the hell is stopping him, uh, wherever he lives, in an area that no doubt is very wealthy? He grew up in Middletown in New Jersey, which, uh, memory last serves me. About 90% of the folks are white there, upper middle class. They think the average income is about 126000 He's gone well beyond that now with all of his ventures. So wherever he's living, I guarantee you, huh, there aren't that many black people living in that community. Like his, uh, his home slice there, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, right? Working class hero guy, not. Does he live in Rumson or somewhere else? And he's Farmer Bruce. He writes off his property taxes for his homegrown product. And by the way, I don't think there are any black people living in Rumson. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pat, who's calling from Bronxville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pat. Hi, uh, Curtis. All I want to do is talk about Sid. Sid is nothing without Bernard. I can't stand to even listen to him. All he talks about is his family, his wife, his kids, and besides other bullshit. I'm sorry, but I can't even listen. (laughs) Uh, Continue on, Pat. We had to take a little uh, Fell's Nap to Soap through your language. Uh, I I can't even listen to him. He's a moron. Well, he I, really I, is. I tell you what, Pat, you got to listen because you got to write them out to me. I can't listen all four right. hours, Monday through Friday, from 6 in the morning to 10. Uh, I, I you, know. you can certainly listen when I'm on, which is uh, 7.05 Monday mornings and 7.05 Friday mornings. But I need somebody like you to be able to write them out to me to eat the Parmesan cheese. How does he, how did they ever name him? He, he thinks he's a king. He really does. Well, he had a bit of a setback. He thought he was going to be a kingmaker, Pat. He was supposed to have organized a sit-down for the greatest mayor we've ever had, Rudy Giuliani, and the, uh, and the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams. That was supposed to have happened Wednesday night, December 14th, and uh, Rudy turned to me and said, what happened to the, the dinner? <laughs> I said, you gotta, you got to talk to the kingmaker, King Herod, uh, uh, Sid, because uh, it never happened. He couldn't right. pull it off. You know, he thinks he's really a big shot. He does. And I, I, the voice on him, I can't even stand to listen to him anymore. Well, I will tell you this, uh, Pat, uh, when it comes to Sid Rosenberg, he has suffered a humiliating defeat in not being able to match up Eric Adams with Rudy Giuliani. And you know how it happened. Uh, last Friday, Eric Adams uh, supports reparations for those who can trace their lineage to slavery 40 oh. acres in a mule, probably what California is going to assign to their uh, uh, those who can uh, prove that they've uh, they emerged uh, from families that had been slaves. 
uh, like $250,000 a person. We had nothing to do with that. Of course. And and what, what to, Sid, to his credit, said, Eric Adams, you're crazy. He said it three times. You're crazy if you're supporting that. And then I think the uh, love affair fell apart. I think, Pat, uh, the mayor has not texted him back at all since then. Right. I really, it's him and that one uh, at night, Morano, was it? Oh, yeah, Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. There's another one that talks about his family all the time. Well, I tell you what, Pat, you're a good listener. Oh. You listen round the clock, so... I realize that it's going to be very taxing. It's going to create a lot of agita for you and others. But I need to know what uh, Sid is saying, and I need to know what Frank Morano is saying. So I'm going to depend on people like yourselves to rat them out and eat the Parmesan cheese. Would you at least... When is your wife on? I want to talk to her about cats. Oh, great. Well, that's every Sunday night, 11 or 12. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. In fact, out of all the hours that I do on the weekend, and WABC stands for the acronym Always Broadcasting, Curtis, it's the most listened to, it's the most called into of the many programs that I do, 11 or 12. And she's phenomenal. She, yeah. She's, oh, I love listening to her, but I've been called. And it's busy. I mean, she's busy. People have a lot of questions. Yeah. And I just want to tell her, my uh, daughter bought, she always had cats, but she has asthma very bad now. And uh, she got two uh, Siberian cats. Mm. My sister was around them. She hasn't been around a pet uh, in 40 years. They were all over her. She never had a reaction. Never. They were wonderful. She was kissing them and hugging them and tickling them. Never had a reaction. She can't go to my daughter's enough to see the cat. Wow, that's amazing. Well, save that uh, call for Sunday night, 11 or 12, the Animal Welfare Hour. I'm sure my wife is listening right now. That's brought her a lot of knockers. And the 18 rescue cats that are listening well, again, Apollo the Patriarch leading the way. The matriarch is Athena, and the senior citizen cat is Athena. Excuse me, is Tuna. Uh, A-A-R-P, we call her. I think she needs a uh, medallion, the alert medallion. I'm falling and I can't get up because Tuna falls quite a bit. we got to get her a medallion. Anyway, let's go to Bobby calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Hey, Curtis. Um. I always wondered myself what did curiosity kill the cat mean? And I was just thinking there was this uh, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and then Schrodinger made an equation, and he had a, a story about how he could have his cat in a box, and the cat could be both alive and dead, but he wouldn't know for sure unless he opened the box. So I'm wondering if that's what, they mean by curiosity killed the cat because when Schrodinger opened the box, he might have killed his cat. Well, in lieu of what we're talking about now, Bob, does it mean uh, curiosity killed the cat? Because I can't tell if you're a man and a woman, so I got to check anatomically what you are and the curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, that too. I'm telling you. Well, but that's. That is a very difficult explanation. I thought for sure it would be a hell of a lot easier. I mean, I'm going to get grief when I go home from uh, Nancy and the 18 rescue cats by even mentioning curiosity killed the cat. 
and I I accept that's a very sophisticated answer, but we really got to boil it down uh, to its simplicities, Bob. Okay. But no, 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 thank you. Thank you for trying to uh, enlighten us. Boy, that was like uh, you you needed to be at MIT to understand that. Uh, maybe somebody at MIT who didn't turn out to be a Bitcoin crook. Our number is one 9222 Speaking of Bitcoin, it's uh, Michael from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Good morning. Bitcoin is like your digital movies that you bought. They're your movies, but they're not your movies. At any time, they can take them away from you. Well, well so they're your movies for now, but like with a digital movie, they could take it away from you. So it's very similar, Michael, to uh, being a broadcaster here at WABC. I'll finish my shift. I'll take you to the break of dawn at 6 in the morning. But when I return with uh, Anthony uh, Weiner, uh, left versus right, 3 to 4, management may decide they don't want to lend me the microphone any longer, and they take it away. Is that is that very similar? Yes. But why would people want to put themselves financially in such a precarious position that somebody could take that away from you, your investment, with really no explanation? They may not have any choice. We have no choice when these things are made. Ah, but you see, that's the complexity in all of that. It's almost like when you go into a casino, the deck is stacked against you. The house is going to win most of the time. And in this case, it appears to me that uh, the creators, let us not forget, supposedly a Japanese guy, Sasoto Yakamomo, discovered this and created Bitcoin in 2008 at the very implosion of Lehman Brothers and the collapse of, uh, of our fiscal system. And right at the time that Bernie Madoff had a run, People who had invested in Madoff uh, was taking their money out. They needed it because of the crash. And then they found out it was nothing but a Ponzi scheme. So they just replayed it one Ponzi, replaced one Ponzi scheme with another one. And now it's called Bitcoin. And nobody knows who this Japanese guy is. And the only uh, uh, way you would ever learn anything about him is in Bulgaria, where they dedicated a statue to this guy. And, man, Bulgaria is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Woman. Oh, this is Bill Clinton's favorite. Ariana Grande, remember when, um, oh, yeah, Aretha Franklin passed away and they had the big uh, wake sitting up there on the stage. It was Bill Clinton eyeballing Ariana Grande, her uh, her uh, bosom. It was so obvious. Sitting next to him was Scooey Louis Farrakhan and then uh, House Slim Shady Sharpton and when Clinton was asked about it, you know, he was sitting next to uh, Scooby Louis Farrakhan. No, uh, I didn't. Of course, he was eyeballing Ariana Grande. Grande. What a perf. Oh, 
Let's see Ariana Grande is uh, singing this song that God is a woman. And you know Ted Cruz claimed that he sat in that Baptist church with his father, the Holy Roller. Remember, according to Donald Trump, it was his father who had aided and abetted uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in the assassination of uh, JFK. More files coming out on the JFK assassination. But uh, they were in a room quietly, Ted Cruz, his wife, and his father. And God spoke to him. I wonder if God was a woman. Apparently, I'm a woman. I wonder if at that moment, Ted Cruz felt like he was a woman. Apparently, I'm a woman. And because the growing number of influencers now in America is the Asian-American community, if he ever thought of himself not as a Canadian, which he really is, but as an Asian. Could I decide I was an Asian man? Could be. Remember, according to the rules, Ted, you are what you think you are at any given moment of the day. Apparently, I'm a woman. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, some, you're a piece of work to me. Could I decide I was an Asian man? Could be. You know, again, Ted Cruz, knowing you, the whore that you are politically, you will be whatever you think keeps you in office. I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. Yeah. You keep thinking that, right? Like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Remember, you keep thinking that, Butch. Apparently, I'm a woman. Yeah, yeah, you keep muttering that to yourself. There are more women voters than men, right? Did I decide I was an Asian man? No, no, not enough for them to vote you into the presidency. So you keep thinking that, Ted. I decide right now that, that I'm a woman. Sure, sure you are. Sure you are, Ted. Apparently, I'm a woman. Let's go to Ronnie in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Hey, how you doing, Curtis? Uh, not that good. My city, the right. city is falling apart. I feel like, uh, hey, you know, First of all, a couple of things I wanted to talk about. First of all, this, this whole city, this whole town is looking like India with all these bikes riding around all over the place. I came, out, I came off from Yonkers today into New Rochelle. And I couldn't believe that I'm asking people, you know, if they could, you know, check the bus, the bus time for me. And none of these people spoke English. None, none of them. None. No. I, I swear to God. And so, and I'm laughing all night over this. But what do you think of these guys that wear man buns? I, I mean, I can't tell if it's a woman or a man. You're not alone on that. Uh, you know, when I see when I see the man bun at first, I'm thinking to myself, is this a samurai warrior from Japan? Where's the samurai sword? That's number one. Absolutely. But it's then, almost like John Belushi. Yeah, but then I see them and they, they're a little effeminate. So I said to myself, eh, nah, samurai warrior, no. I, I don't go for this. Could you imagine Sylvester Stallone in 1976 in Rocky? With a man bun on. No, but uh, I never thought I would see Sylvester Stallone with Wesley Snipes in a movie wearing dresses. Well, that's true. Okay, I, I got you. Got me on that one. Can you imagine? But, can you imagine? You have uh, at a library. The children are waiting. The drag queens are coming to read to the children, and it's Stallone in drag and Wesley Snipes in drag. 
Yeah, I know. It's pretty sick. I mean, the world's getting sicker and sicker. I mean, you know who said that? Your your mentor at one time. That's right, Bob Grant, who we call that guy is a sicola, a real sicola. Absolutely, but I, I don't. No, I don't. I really, I can't. Today, I'm I'm in Yonkers. All right, I'm I'm on Kimball Avenue. I'm in a bus stop, and this kid, maybe he's like 27, 28 years old. He had long hair, frizzy. I don't know. He might have been half black, half Puerto Rican. I'm not sure. So he puts his hair up, and these girls are looking at him. And he's wrapping it around. He's wrapping it around. He gets his rubber band. He puts it on his head. And I'm looking at him. And I'm like four and a half years younger than you, Curtis. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, what is going on in this world? It's over. If this isn't straightened out, man, it's over. And I can't stop laughing because these people look sick. Well, I tell you this much. You know he's not a hard ass. And I'll tell you why. Because if you got a man bun. Right. And I, I'm in a fight with you. That's what I'm going to grab first and drag you right down to the ground is your man bun. Because that right. that's why if you're fighting a guy and he's like a Boston baldy, right? You know, he's bald. You got nothing to hold on to his head, no hair. But you got yeah. a man bun. Man, I'm going to take that man bun. I got your forehead. And, man, I'm going to introduce you to get a curb real quick. Wham! <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I just I just don't go for it. All right, that's me. All right, that's my particular, you know, taste. I don't go for that. I'm sorry. Man, well, I'm I, I, I tell you what, what we're going to do, Ronnie, is we're going to appeal to every man out there. And I know some of them are wearing man buns right now. Uh, hey, show some pride. Call up and explain why you would uh, wrap your hair up in a rubber band at the back of your head. You can act like a man. What Absolutely. And you spend more time dolling yourself up than a woman does. Absolutely. Sid, Ro- Sid Rosenberg should put one on. Oh, my God. He, he, he's <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? <laughs> he's a baldy. Uh, he's a Boston baldy, Sid. Absolutely. I mean, Sid, I, and by the way, that woman, Pat, I, I agree with her. I'm not, you know, Sid, they should call Sid Sid Rickles. Like, because he has the same laugh, the same personality as Don Rickles. If you get Don Rickles and you put them side to side, the laugh is the same. The uh, Everything about this guy, it sounds like Don Rickles. The only thing he doesn't do is call people a hockey puck like uh, right. Don Rickles used to do. Well, that's true, but I, I don't. I don't listen to. I don't listen to Sid anymore. I mean, when Bernie's gone, I really feel bad about Bernie. I knew someone that knew Bernie uh, from Yonkers, and uh, let me tell you something, uh, Sid. I don't know. His laugh, his insecurity. I mean, it, it, he thinks he's the greatest, and I just don't listen to it anymore. I'm sorry to say it. Well, he does. Oh, he really does. He does acknowledge that he is insecure. He says, "Look, I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. That's I'm a why." Complete idiot. I know that. You see that? He, he's insecure. He acknowledges that, at least, though. No, he does. He does. He really does. And I just, it's kind of weird. But, I mean, he's a smart guy. Don't get me wrong. And he makes sense. You know, he makes a lot of sense. But lately, to be very honest with you, I'm looking for Curtis Lee to go on the radio. Well, I'll tell you guy. what. i tell you what, Ronnie. You can't miss it Monday. Because I'm on Mondays with Sid and his friends. Fiends, foes. That's what I call it when I'm on. Uh, 7.05. And we're going to have quite the debate because he was talking about uh, Russo. He had Russo on. He said, oh, he's the greatest uh, talk radio host when it comes to sports. Mad Dog Russo. I said, what? I confronted him before he left his studios, before I did my uh, 
12.15 to 1 o'clock, uh, lunchtime edition that I do Monday through Fridays. And he goes, well, let's let's get it on on that 7.05. He goes, well, who's your favorite talk radio show host who did sports? I said, I don't even have to think about it. It's Marty Clickman. The great Marty Clickman. My God, he did giant games. He did jet games. He did Nick basketball. He did the high school football game of the week on Channel 11 WPIX. I was like a labor of love. And his color guy was Elston Howard of the New York Yankees. And you know they weren't paying those guys much, if anything. Boy, that, that, boy I, I could listen to Marty Glickman forever. He had that. He, he was one tough Jew, right? Hate that guy. No, no. Well, we're going to debate that. Monday morning, 7.05. Who was that person? I want to beat him up. Marty Glickman, when he was alive, he would knock your schnoz right down your throat. I'm the man. Yeah, you're the man. Madison High School, I think uh, Marty Glickman graduated from. What a great guy. Man, I used to listen to those games, giant game. He'd bring it all to life. He really bring theater of the mind. Dick Modulesky digging in there. Oh, yeah. So good. Andy Rovastelli, Sam Huff, middle linebacker. Yeah, they just stuffed Jim Brown. It was so good. So good. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Now, you know what this is, Broadway, Bill Lee, 40 years at WCBS. I noticed you over there sitting shiver as Scott Shannon is leaving the station, retiring. And you over there with Joe Nolan, our traffic guy, who was over there this morning instead of with Sid Rosenberg and friends. I know because at 7.05, it was no Joe Nolan. And I told Sid, fire him, fire him. That's an absolute disrespect that he would side with FM, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, Frank Morano and Frank McKay, who is the director of operations of our FM affiliate that reaches the east end of Long Island, WLIR. He chose FM over AM, us. 
Put them out. Put them out the pasture. Stay in, stay in Jersey City, Joe Nolan. We don't need you here on this side of the Hudson. Yeah, I'm doing like Musk. You know, Musk. That's it. You're out. You're fired. You're fired. Oh, Trump did that too, right? Remember The Apprentice. You're fired. You're fired. Hmm. Although I do predict that Elon Musk, uh, Elon Musk, will become the Howard Hughes of our lifetime. Watch. He's starting to move in that direction. We'll talk about that on another occasion. But this is the hipsters and the uh, millennials anthem, Mumford and Sons. Speaking of man bun, our last caller there was in Yonkers today and couldn't get anybody to speak English to him about catching a bus. But that brings up in my mind another phrase that I never quite understood where it came from. Speaking of hair. Hair of the dog that bit you. Sometimes people will say the hair of the dog that bit you. What the hell does that mean? Oh, you know, it's like the hair of the dog that bit you. What does that mean? The hair of the dog that bit you. Could be the hair of a uh, man bun. It's just, uh, well... To me, it's just very unmanly, a man bun. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now we're going to take a second opportunity to try to convert Avery, our our nighttime producer, and also our phone uh, screening, to uh, watching and becoming a fan of what you originally described as the McWhitey Whitey Show, Frazier. I did inform our audience, uh, my wife, uh, Nancy, uh, loves the show. Loves uh, Kelsey Grammer and David Hyde Pierce, his brother, Niles. And the father, John Mahoney, you know, the former uh, cop. Uh, it's going to come back for a third time now, a third time. And uh, it's got a big following. So I assigned homework to Avery. I picked two different episodes from Frazier. One in which um, he and his brother Niles were competing to become... Uh, oh, forget what the hell they call it. What did they call that? Uh, you know, when they were popping corks, a bottle of wine, a cork master, right? They were competing against one another to be the cork master. Sheesh, it's sort of psychosexual to me, you know. It's like ha, a butt plug, right? Cork mask, uh, especially uh, David Hyde Pierce. Uh, he might have got excited if I said that. And then the one episode I was looking so desperately to find black people in any Frasier episode, and I didn't have to go far because my wife said, why didn't you ask me? I've watched all the episodes over and over and over, and she provided it to me. So are you ready, Avery, for the re-education of Avery about possibly becoming a fan of the third incarnation of the Frasier series? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So how about if we go to that um, that episode where it's about the wine club, all right? Yeah, you've drunk wine, haven't you, Avery? Me? Uh, I guess. I mean, it's something that black people and white people do, right? They drink wine. Yes, black people and white people drink wine. Okay. So now we're starting <laughs> off at a level plane here. And let's listen to the two brothers, Kelsey uh, Grammer and David Hyde Pierce, discuss this. 
Oh, Niles, finally, you're here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. No, that's all right. It's just that the nominations are about to begin. Now, look, that's what I thought we would do. After you nominate me, I will demure modestly for a moment, and then I'll say something like... I want to be corkmaster. Well, that's a bit artless, don't you think? <laughs> no, no. I want to be corkmaster, too. I covet this post as much as you do. I always have, and I, I think I deserve a shot at it. But, Niles, I've been campaigning for this all week. I was counting on you to nominate me. And I will. I'm just hoping that you'll return the favor. Unless, that is, you're afraid of a little competition. May I have your attention? My friends, as outgoing corkmaster, I would like to thank those of you who stuck with me during the ugly days of Spritzergate. <laughs> but the time has come to pass the tasting cup. Are there any nominations? Niles. It is an honor and a privilege to nominate my brother, Fraser Crane. Yes, I would like to uh, reciprocate and nominate my brother, Niles Crane. Oh. Are there any further nominations? Well, then, um, a show of hands, please, for those in favor of Fraser Crane. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eight, twelve, eight, thirteen, fourteen. And those in favor of Niles Crane. 13. Oh, 14. <laughs> oh, tie. If only our venerable founder, Virgil Heffelwhite, were here to guide us. I'm over here. Oh, sorry, Virgil. I didn't see you. So, um, wh what is the procedure? Blind taste off five bottles. Oh, for God's sake, Niles. That wine spent less time in the bottle. All right, gentlemen, you have correctly identified the first three wines. Let's see if number four can break the tie. Niles? It was ripe, round, and thoroughly seductive. I said Australian Shiraz. Huh. And Fraser, what did you think? Well, contrary to my brother, I thought it was dark, dusky, and supple. But I also said Australian Shiraz. But, uh, <laughs> You're both right. <laughs> we are still tied. Hell, <laughs> Niles. It's a moment of truth. Don't choke. Please, prepare to be stomped like a late harvest Gewurztraminer. Gentlemen, it was jammy, plummy, dense, and chewy. <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind that it was a Napa Valley Merlot. And you, Fraser? A nice big wine with excellent heft. It's Napa, all right, but as I always say, why go Merlot when you can call a cab? Oh. <laughs> I thought this bottle might trip you up. Gentlemen, it's actually a blend of 45% Cabernet. And? And 55% Merlot. Niles wins by 10%. Well, Niles, 
Congratulations. Obviously, the better man won. And Fraser, please. No, Miles, don't be modest. No, I wasn't. Uh, they're starting my inauguration. <laughs> Hail, Corkmaster, the master of the cork. He knows which wine goes with fish or pork. Master, the master of the cork. Now... Hopefully, this might wean you over to the McWhitey-Whitey side. You you heard Niles, you heard Kelsey Grammer, you heard the others. Uh, what did you make of that, uh, Avery? What, the theme? Yes. Well, look, it's important to note that Frazier, uh, Kelsey Grammer made $1.5 million an episode for this show. And uh, David Hyde Pierce, Niles made a million dollars per show. So I call him that. So, one point five million is joking around about wine to one million, and one million is saying, "Well, he wants to be Corkmaster too." Look, to me, again, it's brothers, it's camaraderie. It's obvious that there's a specific, like, uh, demographic they are going for with this show. Not you, huh? Yes. <laughs> that's that's the demographic too. It's not black. <laughs> so, even with that scene there, I c- can't convince you to cross over to the McWhitey Whitey side and watch Frasier. They're going to now it's going to be a third uh time that it comes back to TV. Well, it's the second time, right? I don't I think it's a third uh, uh, reincarnation. Yeah, no, I don't think that'll last. It was a hit cuz it was coming off of Cheers or whatever. But look, Kelsey made. I can't. I can't slide anybody that somehow he got NBC to pay him one point six million dollars for that every episode. So I think he he need his agent needs to be congratulated. By the way, he has a microbrewery uh, in Mid Hudson Valley. He appears on WABC regularly promoting his product. He's been at the Gristini's, uh supermarkets promoting his product. He's like part of the station. Well, yeah, I mean, some time has passed, so he probably spent that money. <laughs> and, a, and a divorce. It throws a divorce in there. By the way, uh tell you a little secret about Kelsey Grammer. He had a tattoo positioned in a area that you would have thought he would have been screaming when they were first put there. Do you know what the tattoo was? You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> I realize with black eyes, they get a tattoo. It's like looking up at skywriting at night. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind, I, of, kind of tough to do. That's what I do. I walk up to white people and I go, "What? I, is there a tattoo that I don't see? And where is it? That's what, that, that's what we do. That's what we do. So anyway, he was a ladies' man, a player. So his wife uh, said, uh, you know, I'm thinking of leaving you, but if you do one thing, I'll give you another chance. And that was to have her name tattooed on his sack. On his sack. Sack, sack, sack? Sack, sack, sack. uh, Attached to his three-piece set. And that's not a knife, a spoon, and a fork. Wow. And he did it. (laughs) Can you imagine the pain of when that tattoo artist was putting his wife's name on his uh, sack. I thought you were going to say the pain for the tattoo artist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
my God. Man, it must pay well if you if you tattoo in God's sack. People always think of the good parts. Like, yeah, you get to tattoo girls and you know in different parts of their body. But now you're tattooing guys on their testicles. Like. Well, he had no choice. The wife said, I'm leaving. And you know, uh, it's like 50% goes with her. No, I'm talking about the tattoo artist. Oh, now. oh, the tattoo artist. Yeah, the yeah, tattoo yeah. artist. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, my God, man. I probably, hopefully he gave him a good tip, right? That's a swing. That's a swing day, boy. You, you up, you, the play, a playmate come in and you tattoo her. Then Kelsey Graham would come in. You got to tattoo his balls. <laughs> That's some ups and downs, boy. <laughs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Ladies and gentlemen, I've tried. We've got a few more cuts from Frazier. If uh, you can please try to bring Avery over to the McWhitey Whitey side. I'm doing my best. 1-800-848-WABC. Avery, on a previous occasion, has described Frazier as the most McWhitey Whitey of TV programs, correct? Uh, yeah, I tell you, I, I agree with his paycheck, though. Now, here's Frazier, and they're talking about the bedroom, the boudoir. Will you be much longer? Almost done. I only ask because Roz and I have this very important job interview tomorrow morning. I'd like to be well rested. Been in there for 20 minutes. No, I haven't. Now I have. You should try this marvelous new facial feel. It's like getting ten years back. Still for the last half hour. This is going to be so much fun. Bunking together like when we were kids. Oh, yes. It's all coming back to me now. I just want to tell you again how much I appreciate your taking me in like this. Not every brother in your position would be so generous. Nothing of it, Niles. You're no trouble at all. The sound of that rain is going to keep me up all night. I'm amazed you can hear it over there in mission control. You mind if I close the window? Not at all. Ah, much better. Miles, what are you talking about? That's just more rain noise. No, it's much more than rain. This is all the sounds of the Brazilian rainforest. Does it bother you? No. Let's go to bed. <coughs> oh, for God's sake, Miles! All right, all right, I'll switch over to Babbling Brook. You know, if you're feeling tense about that interview, I could show you one of my breathing exercises. No, no, just some sleep will do. Good night. Good night.
Isn't it obvious you blew a fuse? You haven't seen anything yet. Oh! <laughs> now, those are two brothers sharing a little space, trying to recreate what it was like when they were two little boys in a bunk bed. That doesn't sort of, like, move you over to the McWhitey-Whitey side, Avery? Again, he made $1.6 million for that, <laughs> for that what we just heard. And he, uh, look, man, here's, here's what I want to say. I'm going to offer you the opportunity to jump over here with me instead of trying to get me to jump over there with you. Oh, oh well, how, well what's going to happen? I haven't figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> You haven't figured that out. You're so busy trying to convert me. Well, no, it's very important because um, I don't want this uh, prejudice to linger against uh, Frazier because there's so many other TV shows we can do this to you. Next up will be Mayberry RFD. I mean, that is like. No, Mayberry RFD. Like that. uh, Look, I'll watch Frazier before I watch that. What? Mayberry RFD. That's not even the real. That's not even the real uh, Andy Griffith. Oh. Hold on a second. You mean you wouldn't even watch that? I mean, look, I, for the sake of argument, I would. But that just sounds, it don't really sound. I, I think we're going to have to f- force you to watch it with Opie and NB and, you know, Goma. Opie wasn't Pyle. there. You, Goma wasn't on it. What? Uh, Goober was. Yeah, uh, Barney Fife? Barney, Barney Fife? Fife wasn't on it either. What are you talking about? It was the it's the bastard stepchild of Andy Griffith. B had a couple appearances, and it was a new head, it was a new lead of the show. Gooba was the only like, holdover. So you did watch that. You did watch that. You see, you you cheated. No, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the like every episode. You cheated on your blackness. <laughs> I can't believe this. No, 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 no. no. Oh my God! Did the brothers know this? No, no, no. That you were at home watching Mayberry RFD, Andy Griffin. Listen to that theme song. Yeah, I mean you were whistling to it. No, the brothers can't watch a show with a theme song like this. (laughs) Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. And then, of course, there was uh, Frazier with his uh, answering machine. Lord, was that the answering machine? Hi, it's Allison Wolpert, and yes, count us in for the 11th. Looking forward to it. Bye. That's wonderful. I so enjoy the Wolperts. Yes. Who was that? Uh, we just got invited to a dinner party at Dr. Crane's. Which Dr. Crane? Does it matter? You get the one, you get that other one. <laughs> Personally, I think the whole arrangement is a little... Is that thing off the hook? What? Oh, my God. What do you suppose she meant by that? Obviously. She thinks we're always together. That we're some sort of couple. (laughs) That's ridiculous. We spend lots of time apart. (laughs) Besides, who is she to talk? Look at her and Harry. They go everywhere together. They're married, Niles. <laughs> Still, there's no reason for her to call us odd. But wait, she never called us odd. Listen. Does it matter? You get the one, you get that other one. 
Personally, I think the whole arrangement is a little... Is that thing off the hook? Ah, see? What? She never said odd. We're getting upset over nothing. <laughs> nothing? Is there a good end to that sentence? <laughs> Personally, I think the whole arrangement is a little what? Charming? Yeah, you, really, you stop overreacting. Well, perhaps she has a point. Ever since your divorce, you've become more and more attached to me. Maybe that's why she said what she said. What? You'll get Fraser, you'll get that Niles. <laughs> she didn't say that. She said you get the one, you get that other one. What makes you think that you're the one and I'm that other one? Because I am the one giving the party and you are that other one. Yes, well, I'm the one that invited her, so that makes you that other one. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's you know the depths of no, your heart. I knew, I knew no foundation whatsoever. All right, wait, 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 wait. This is absurd. Why don't we just call Allison up and ask her what she thinks is so strange about us? We can both get on an extension. Better yet, why don't we both get on a bicycle, build for two, ride over there ourselves and ask her what's so strange about us? Now, uh, does that move you at all, Avery? Look, man, you can't help your family. We all got we all got weird family like that, and people talk behind your back. I, there's stuff you can relate to here. It's just bleached to, within an inch of his life. <laughs> it's like the stuff that people talk about on the ground, like regular people. They bleach it and they lift it up to the penthouse, and now this is the version of it that we are seeing. So yeah, that was you know some clever scripts, and you know. All right, I, I think I got you now. Uh, Nancy has found an episode in which they actually found black people to perform with them in the studio of Doctor Frazier when he does his uh, shrink talk radio program. I think this is with uh, Doctor Mary. Mary. Uh... I should uh, mention that you should feel free to, to, to speak on the air. Uh, you know, Roz often chimes in uh, from time to time. Oh, I can't believe I messed up so quickly. No, 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 not at all, not at all. It's just promise me that you'll, you'll speak up when it feels right. I will. Okay, great. Okay. I'm sure you have excellent instincts. Five seconds. Right, Maria. Uh, I'm listening. Hi, Dr. Crane. Anyway, he's having an affair, and it's not his first. This has been going on since we were newlyweds. How do I get him to change? Well, Maria, you of course know that it's impossible to force anyone to change. But you can work to change yourself. Usually women who tolerate this sort of behavior from their husbands are suffering from low self-esteem issues. Now, you may need some counseling to resolve those issues. Let me ask you a couple may of questions. Can I say something? Yes. <laughs> Maria, Dr. Crane is right. You must make a change. And the first thing you change is the lock on your front door. What? Oh, listen, there's plenty of time for counselors, but at 6 o'clock, locksmiths start charging extra, so you get on it, girlfriend. <laughs> you know, my grandpa Willie used to say, nothing stops a man from playing the field faster than a night out on the lawn, okay? Okay. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Grandpa Willie. Look at here, Tony. You're 35 years old. Now, your parents only had you for the first 18, so if you want to start blaming someone, maybe you need to blame yourself, okay? Okay. Actually, chronic rage problems usually stem from childhood... Oh, uh, Dr. Crane, we're all out of time. So we are. Well, then, this is Dr. Fraser Crane saying goodbye, Seattle, and good mental health. And tune in tomorrow! <laughs>
So now, did that make you feel better, Avery, that a sister was talking uh, and competing? Look, it's not the sister. It's like, look, if you keep putting different seasoning in the soup, the soup tastes good. <laughs> like, now that's a whole different laugh, a whole different feel. And I saw you laughing different. <laughs> he, he tried to hide it, people. Look, I, <laughs> he, he, he's laughing differently in there. Like it's a whole different feel. That other, the other uh, clips were funny. This one was a, a different kind of funny. Okay, so, okay. So this is what Frazier needs. He's going to need more of this as they come back and recreate this. But it's more relatable. Like who can relate to two? yuppie or like you know up in the penthouse just talking about you know the opera and this all day boy this really made you feel good you you came back to life here avery no no look i snickered at at the other clips but this was a, this was a more hearty laugh so this is something that might make you a watcher if she were regularly featured well no cuz it would change the show if she were regular feature regularly featured See, you're not mentioning the rest of the cast. Like, it kind of like it's a balance. His father's a cop, and that's kind of a regular. And then you got the English maid who's kind of a regular. I know, but they're all white. Well, yeah. I mean, you know. I mean that's a problem for you. <laughs> no, no, come on. Don't come you. on. Hey, uh, I mean, let's face it. This is more elite versus not elite. <laughs> more than white than black. Well, let's open up our phone lines as the continuation of the re education of Avery. Uh, takes place here at WABC. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. So you see, Avery, this would be the kind of music... That would go with Frazier. Tchaikovsky. Yeah. The 1812 Overture. Yeah. You know, it was in commemoration of the Russian defense of Moscow against Napoleon as they drove him out. There's some funny stuff, Curtis. Well, <laughs> Tchaikovsky. Very important. I know. I mean, Ukraine does not want Tchaikovsky played because it was Russian any longer anywhere in the world. Not Swan Lake, not the Sleeping Beauty, not the Nutcracker Suite, which is synonymous with the Christmas holidays. They don't want it played, Avery. Sounds like something you would never play in your house, right? You know, I might give it a spin every now and then. It might find its way into the rotation. <laughs> into the rotation. There's no way. That you'd ever be playing Tchaikovsky. But anyway, let's go back to Frazier as we've got, we finally got Avery on the line because we had a uh, black uh, woman who was like the phone screener herself, but also chiming in, uh, Dr. Mary. Oh, I'll tell you what you do. You snap out of it. You know why you're afraid to get married? You think there's some room full of hoochie mamas out there that just waiting for you in case you don't want to do the right thing. Let me tell you something. The only thing you're missing out on is a lot of cold and lonely nights. And I tell you what, there's not one person out there that will disagree with me on that. I do. <laughs> I don't think he deserves that girl. And if he's not man enough to take that leap of faith, then she's better off without him. Louise, is you tripping? Girl, they think tripping? I got four kids. You got to get married. He needs to do the right thing. Why are you looking at a 
Now, that was like uh, you, you, you never felt better. Two sisters arguing. Well, yeah, because by that point, they've taken over the show, and Frazier just, they, he can't even talk no more on his own show. Well, because he's afraid. Because he's afraid. Because he's afraid to seem racist. Exactly. Yeah. He does not want to be called a racist. <laughs> so he just remains quiet, like a lot of white people do. <laughs> and they just, they just continue to keep taking Black people can be hollering, yelling, screaming, and white people stay very nebbishy, schlubby, quiet. I don't want to be... I don't want to be thought of as a racist, uh, even though what Avery is saying right now is crazy. I'm not going to correct him. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want him to think I'm a racist. <laughs> Isn't that the whole theme of that show? That's the, that was the whole. That was the whole. Uh, uh, yeah, the whole plot of, the, of that episode. But boy, that episode really lit you up, didn't it? it lit me up. Yeah, that was funny. Like the other, the other episodes were funny, but in a different way. This one hit a little different. I know, but with the the two sisters and then the initial sister, Dr. Mary, boy, that lit you up. The other ones, when we were talking about Frazier and his brother at the wine club, you know, being cork masters, man, it didn't do anything for you, man. It really didn't. Look, I realized where the jokes were. But again, I understood the jokes. And, you know, I laughed a little. But, again, those jokes are, are geared for, for a certain type of person. And that's not you. I mean, wine jokes. I mean, I can laugh at the situation, but the exact thing, you know. Well, we're going to keep trying to wean you. Anyway, let's go to the phones. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's Richard calling from Washington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Richard. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah. Frasier was a great show, super, it was ultra white, and it's those splashes where different cultures, different colors come into the, come into the play and set them on their tail. I mean, you know, they're talking about bringing this back, and I don't think they can recapture the magic. You know, that's kind of like lightning. Well, remember, it's based in your state. Uh, Seattle. So they, yeah. in order to recreate it now, they'd have to have homeless encampments. They'd have to have Antifa. Can you imagine Antifa chasing Kelsey Grammer and David Hyde Pierce down the block? No, you're killing me. <laughs> is, is Seattle really like that, man? <laughs> um, it's uh, Oh, I, there's not enough time to explain it, but it's not good. And mm-hmm. before you hang up, I just want to say, when you and Avery get together and start trading jokes and laughing, it's like the two troublemakers in the back of a classroom. And uh, well, I can I can uh, assure you that I was a troublemaker in the classroom. Avery, were you a troublemaker in your classroom? <laughs> a troublemaker? Yeah. You know, wise guy, Weisenheimer. You know, I got into some, yeah. shen- I got into some shenanigans. Yeah, see that? You, you, you called us out, Richard. <laughs> I enjoy you guys. Well, thank you, and thank you for listening, uh, for listening all the way from the state of Washington, which is where Frazier is based, Seattle. I know. But a new version is going to have to have Antifa chasing them down the block, all the homeless encampments. Can you imagine their comments when they open up the window because they overlook the city and they have to s- 
smell all the homeless people down there? Well, look, in their in their world, there are no homeless. <laughs> I'm going to get you to come over with me. You keep trying to convert you. I'm going to get you to come over with me, Curtis. No, no, it's important that you uh, cross that McWhitey-Whitey line. Yeah, I got something for you, Curtis. It's Whitelandia. You uh, see, we need to. We need you to come over to Whitelandia. Anyway, let's go to Steve in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. Let me join in the fun. I, uh, let me see if we can get Avery a different uh, perspective on the character of Frazier and Kelsey Grammer. But go back to the character. That was he was a uh, an outgrowth of the show Cheers. Remember, and who was the central character there? Sam Malone. Now, I know Cheers, all white cast. Most of the people in the bar were white. However, put color aside. Every guy, Curtis, you know, every guy wanted to be Sam Malone at one point in their life. A skirt chasing hound dog. I don't care what your color is. Even Frazier in that show was trying to be like Sammy. Fast forward at towards the end of. Frazier, Kelsey Grammer was the creator of Girlfriends, an all-black show. So throwing that into the mix, does that does Avery does that change Avery's perspective a little bit on the character of Frazier and Kelsey Grammer as an actor? Go ahead. Well, a, I did, I'm not gonna, I didn't, I'm not speaking on Kelsey Grammer as an actor. He's he's a talented actor, but yeah. his name, he was a money guy on Girlfriends. I don't think he had anything to do with that show. You, you don't think he creatively had anything to do with that show? No. Do you think that Kelsey Grammer, the clips you just showed me, had anything to do with a show about four black women, uh, best friends, you know, go walking through life and, and taking on challenges? Do you think but he, he, used to, he used to get the credit, Avery? I know. The beginning of it. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, everybody with an EP credit don't have anything going to have something to do with the show. I understand. I understand. But he probably I, has I, some kind of maybe on, financial. Man, come on, come on, come on, Avery. Give him a little. Give him a little credit. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He, he, it was his idea, Avery. He did appear in one of the early episodes too. Come on, as himself playing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you got to push that product. <laughs> What's that? He got to push that product. <laughs> come on, Avery. Come and on. He over. was, and he was just as out of place in that episode as I would have been in his episode. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay. All right. All right. But back to sit. Wait. Back to the Cheers days. He was always trying to be. The, every guy wanted to be a skirt chasing hound dog. He was trying to be Sammy throughout that show. What do you? Uh, Here's the thing about that. He was cooler on Cheers than on his own show. Okay. They made him. They 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 injected more cream into his veins and bleached him more <laughs> for him to do Frasier. He was semi cool. He was just a nerd psychiatrist, but <laughs> when when Sam and all of them got through with him, he was all he was kind of cool on Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. He he married he he married Diane. He I think he slept with Kirstie um Kirstie Alley on there. They almost did. He, he his wife came home. They were separated. His wife came back from the eco pod. Yeah, and he got yeah he got his wife Lilith. You know she you know you know the jokes about her. Well, he was cooler there than on than on the Cheers. I mean, than on Frasier. I understand. That's a good point. That's a good point. They made him more, to use your terminology, they made him more McWhitey. Yeah, I, I get it. I yeah, get it. they That's dropped it. him in the Clorox and sent him to Seattle. 
but, but he was. But Avery, I want to try one more time. The idea for girlfriends was his idea because right? I gave him credit. He was the creator of the show, so he must have been able to relate to women of color on some level. You would agree, right? Do I agree that Kelsey Grammer was sitting in his palatial mansion, and he said, "You know what? You know what would be a great show." <laughs> I came, I came off Cheers, who had point five black people on it, and then I went to Frasier, <laughs> that had point three black people on it. I'm gonna make a show about four black women because I know so much about them. <laughs> And it's going to be a hit. And it's going to be on UPN, the Black Network. Let me let me walk over there and see if they want to do a deal with me. Is that the scenario you set up for me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I guess so. Oh. Well, okay then. I guess anything's possible. <laughs> oh. Steve, you tried. You tried. Uh, but you have to knock yourself out to get Avery to cross over that well, make whitey is, whitey divide. Is it more plausible? Is it more plausible that they came to him and said, "Kelsey Grandma, you have connections. I have a show. All I need you is to get me the meeting, and you can stick you can stick your name on it, and you you, you can just get a check every show." What's more plausible? Hey, well, you're, 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 I, I got to admit, yours. You know, or maybe he knew Diana Ross. Who know? Who knows? We'll never Whatever. Know. I never. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No. Good point. Uh, but, Curtis, I never heard those episodes that you played of Frasier. Those are hilarious. Oh, those are the choices of my wife, Nancy. She's a real fan of the show. She she has it on in the background at times, and I'll be saying, what the hell is that? I can't even understand that McWhitey-Whitey talk, and I'm white. <laughs> So what? What is that? They call a sulamander. What is that? The person with the wine. Whatever they the call it. the corkmaster. Or the corkmaster, but the sulamander or something like that. Sui, sui, something. Uh, maybe somebody out there knows uh, uh, other than Steve what I'm referring to. A sulimini, uh, you know, when the person comes with the wine and they, you know they're, they're doing the taste in their mouth and they're spitting it out. It's a term for that, Suleimande, Salamander, or something like that. I don't, I don't know what you want from me here, Curtis. one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. <laughs> Our attempt to bring over Avery to the McWhitey-Whitey side. But right now, let's go back to the phones. It's uh, Gino calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gino. Yes, Curtis. Um, I wanted to tell you, I think the word you're looking for is sommelier. Ah, that's it, sommelier. Now, what is a sommelier? You know, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about it, but I know they are, the, as you were saying, the wine tasters and the people who gurgle it out and spit it out and taste different wines. Now, did you ever do that, Gino, whenever uh, you were uh, tasting a wine before ordering it for a meal? Uh, 
probably not at the restaurant, but uh, maybe the spit out might have been from drinking too much uh, later on in the evening, perhaps. <laughs> I just cannot remember uh, sitting there with Mad Dog uh, 2020, Wild Irish Road, Midnight Express, uh, taking some and then spitting it out like a, what was the name of that guy again? A sommelier. A sommelier. Can you imagine that with a little Boone's Farm there? Hey, I'm going to be a sommelier with a little Boone's Farm. Yeah, can, you, right. can you imagine? And, the, and also, can you imagine the way, a sitcom? A sitcom with, with a sommelier in it. I took, <laughs> I took you in uh, my cab about uh, four or five years ago across town. Ah, and you didn't shoot me. You didn't shoot me in the back, right? You know, but I, I shook your hand when when I got out, and you know, um, I remember. Uh, you and another guy, um, Chaz Palminteri, also I noticed had big hands. And you know what they say, Curtis, big hands, big personality. Mm. And that's what you got, Mr. Yeah, they say other things about guys with big hands. But uh, hopefully uh, Chaz treated you well. He did. He was a great guy. Well, it's a pleasure that you've educated us. What's the name of that term again? Sommelier. Sommelier. <sighs> Let's go, if we can, to uh, Corey, who's calling from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Corey. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, he just beat me to my to the sommelier, the wine guy. Um, but I happen to know that uh, Kelsey Grammer is actually extremely funny, cool guy, and really nothing like Frazier from the show. That's from people who know him, and I've heard him on podcasts, and he's nothing like that. So not this, you know, the stuck-up McWhitey-Whitey. Well, I remember his, uh, his, his problem, uh, as successful as he was, is his politics lean to the right towards Republicans, conservatives, and uh, uh, he was so successful he was able to overcome that because a lot of people, you know, their politics would preclude them from having a career out there because the deck is stacked against so many people. That's correct. Yep. No, but it's uh, it's interesting because uh, Corey, uh, he was able to overcome that, and I think it was because he was able to morph so well as a thespian, morph so well. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Gigi, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gigi. Hello, the terminology is sommelier. I can't even pronounce it. Sommelier. What the hell does that person do? He just, well, he suggests the wine that you might want to order. And he will open it up and he will pour it in that little cup with the chain. He has like a chain with a little cup and he will sample it. Oh, so he samples it. Yes, yes. Wow, and so it's not even say, you. Not, he, even, not even no, no, you. No, he would, no, he will proceed to pour a little bit in your glass, and he will sniff it, or you will sniff it and taste it. Hmm. Didn't you ever have that happen? No. no, no, no remember, no. I, I was used to BYOB, bring your own bottle. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, what, come white on. Lightning? What kind of lightning? Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, uh, Mad Dog 2020, Wild Irish Rose, Midnight oh, Express, yes. uh, Boone's Farm. 
uh, Ripple, you know, those kind of things. But I got to tell you, the, the places that I would go, Gigi, it was bring your own bottle, which meant there was no sumalier or whatever the hell they call that. Anyway, let's go. What was that? Ain't no places like that in Frazier. No. It's all right. It's all right show, though. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a decent we're, show. We're getting you. We're working uh-huh. on you. I noticed ever since there was the episode with the two sisters. What, what, what you know about this, Curtis? Uh, moving on up. Get some of that. Get some of that, Sliwa. Oh, yeah, drink, yeah. Drink some of this down. Jefferson. Yeah. Oh, man, that guy was like ferociously gay. Did you know that, man? Yeah, I mean, look. I mean, big time. George Jefferson was the model. Sherman Hemsley was not. What? Sherman Hemsley wasn't the role model. George Jefferson was. George Jefferson, and he had a dry cleaner, yeah, right? Yeah, he had seven of them. And we <laughs> saw him first. We saw him first on All in the Family. Yeah, it was a spinoff. That's right. And by the way, you can never have those programs nowadays because they're not politically correct. Oh, no, no, no. All in the family, or Jefferson, or Sanford, so none of those could none of those could live you know, today. I wonder if you could even have dynamite. You know, uh, what was that again? That uh, yeah, sh- good times. Yeah, good times. That's right. Anyway, let's go to Harvey in Amsterdam. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Harvey. Yes, hello, Harvey. Harvey, Amsterdam, New York. You know, it's just the anniversary of what would have been Kirk Douglas's birthday. Although, boy, did he turn out to be uh, quite the uh, marauder against women, and he was never really held to task. I think he, they took the story is, yeah, I know he's sleeping. I should smack him. Uh, I think the story was that uh, Kirk Douglas had raped Natalie Wood. I think so. Well, those guys were brutal back then with the uh, women that they were doing uh, shows with. Brutal. Let's go to Dave all the way out in Las Vegas. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave. Curtis, I uh, you should have Avery enter the twilight zone of the Green Acres. Ah, oh, yeah, that's the other show we're going to have to, with, with Mr. Ziffel. Yeah, or, or, or the New Heart series. Yeah, no, no, that, that, oh, that's great. Uh, you're giving me lots, lots of uh, things to review I have to see if my wife, uh, Nancy, is into them because uh, ne- I myself never really was. Not that stuff. But Green Acres, definitely. Uh, Mr. Ziffel, absolutely. And uh, the hair of the dog was a reference to when you wake up with a bad hangover, um, you should take a shot or a glass of um, what had bit you the night before. Wow. So hair of the dog that bit you. Had to do with being half in the bag the night before you wake up with a headache. Right. And so you just knock another one back? Yeah, you're like Joe Biden all day. (laughs) Oh, my God, you mentioned that. This guy told a whopper of a story today. Somehow a member of his family had earned the Purple Heart. He went on and on. And it turns out the guy never earned the Purple Heart. Uh, it would have been impossible. And, and, you know, it's like it's so common now that he just whips these stories up that we give him a pass. Anybody else that, that we'd say, man, take this guy away. I, I know we're entering the holiday season, but reindeer, otherwise known as caribou, the male drops their, after mating, they drop their horns, their antlers, excuse me. So that means all of those uh, reindeer 
were females that were well, if they identify as female, excuse me, uh, they, they were females pulling the uh, Santa sleigh. Wow, that's interesting. You're right. The reindeers they did not have antlers. Right. Wow. The females did, yeah, but the males they, they drop it after uh, after the mating season. Gee whiz, I never knew that. Yes, yeah, I mean, come out with a T-shirt, you know. I mean, do something. Make a lot of money for yourself. Absolutely. I, I love that, Harvey. Excuse me, Dave. I love that, Dave, all the way from Vegas. Now, when you said make some money, I'm assuming you make money in the casinos? Um, I've, I'm a transplanted New Yorker. I have my New York State pension out here. I have yet other than to walk through. Um, there's a reason casinos make money, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I see. You know, these, these ads out here. They'll still lend you money for three days with interest. Three that, days? Three days, and they'll pay the interest for the first day. And it, to me, I mean, I, again, I, I'm a New Yorker, and it's like, no, that, that's really the most unprofessional thing. And they're on the commercials, you know, in the afternoon all day long. So, again, it's, it's just ridiculous. But, Curtis, I know you're a big baseball fan. Yes. And I, I've spoken to you about baseball before. What do you think about the balanced schedule? Whereas we, in the old days, we would play our um, division opponents, uh, Boston, Toronto, Baltimore, 19 times uh, with the balance schedule every, where everybody has to play everybody. We're only going to see these teams 12 times. Yeah, no, I, I think it's much better when you're, you're battling your divisional rivals because uh, you develop uh, either a hate or a likeness for them. You get to know the players. I think this uh, whole concept of balance uh, is not not in the spirit of uh, what I remember growing up. You look forward to certain uh, clashes. Uh, since I was a Yankee fan, you know, Boston, uh, you would always look forward to that. You would always look forward to the Chicago White Sox because they never had pitching when uh, I was growing up, but they had they never had hitting when I was growing up, but they had great pitching and great defense. Uh, there are too many teams with too many names of too many players who switch teams as free agents, and all of a sudden you got to keep a. It's almost like you got to keep a lineup card just to know who's on your own team. Never mind everybody else's team. Up next, oh, you know what the anniversary was this Friday? Uh, it was the time when Paulie Castellano and Tommy Bellotti got whacked outside of Sparks. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Interesting, uh, earlier on Friday, as Mayor Rudy Giuliani made his way into the studios of WABC, I said, Rudy, you know what today is the anniversary of? He said, no, 
I said the day that Paulie Castellano and Tommy Bellotti got whacked outside of uh, Spark Steakhouse on 46th Street by John Gotti Sr., Sammy the Bull Gravano, and their crew coming in from Howard Beach, 101st uh, Avenue, uh, Ozone Park, the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club. They said, oh, wow. He goes, you know, Curtis, that almost killed my case. I was prosecuting the five heads of organized crime at that point. Paulie Castellano, obviously, not only being the head of the Gambino crime family, but titularly, he was the head of the commission. And so it almost wrecked the case that we had crafted and put together for over two years against the leaders of the Genovese crime family. The Bonanno crime family, Colombo crime family, the uh, Lucchese crime family, and, of course, the Gambino crime family. And he said, boy, did we have to hustle our bustle. Did we have to really uh, get down to it in order to make that case stick? And the battles, he said, were with judges who oftentimes would have to make decisions because the archdiocese was finally cracking down and determining that mobsters choking on their lobsters could not be buried in a a archdiocese uh, cemetery and could not have a mass in a church. And he goes, oh, boy, you should have been in some of those court uh, battles and discussions, Curtis. I said, I would have loved to. I would have said, forget any mass, forget any consecration, Forget uh, any burial in a Catholic cemetery. Put them where they put a lot of their victims, where they wanted to put me. Chemically incinerate them. And let a guy who is well-renowned for that do the evil deed, John Carniglia and his brother Charlie. We'll get into that momentarily. I need the music here, the little stimulation here. As we go back... To uh, December 16th of 1985, it was approximately about 5.30, Broadway Bill Lee. On loan from WCBS, you were still on air there. By the way, uh, it was bye-bye earlier on Friday for Scott Shannon retiring from WCBS-FM. Everybody's sitting shiver there, including Joe Nolan, that outreditor. Let me just say, I encouraged Sid Rosenberg to fire Joe Nolan for being over there instead of being over here. You're going to side with FM, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, Frank Morano, and Frank McKay, who is the head president of our FM station, our affiliate, WLIR, that goes out to the east end of Long Island, huh? You're going to choose sides? Joe Nolan, stay in Jersey City, huh? But anyway, you caused me to digress. I'm going to continue to lobby Sid. Get rid of that guy. Imagine, he'd rather be with Scott Shannon on his last day in broadcasting at WCBS-FM with you, Broadway Billy, who are over there with uh, Joe Causey and all the rest of the guys, right? Oofa. It was about 5.30 at night, and a limo pulled up in front of Sparks Steakhouse. Sitting nearby in a car, having seen the limo pass by, was John Gotti Sr. and Sammy the Bull Gravano. They were in the vehicle, and they had watched as Paulie Castellano 
Tommy Bellotti passed by and pulled in front of Sparks. And now the plan had been engineered. There were four lead guys wearing trench coats and Russian fur hats. But they had an eight-man total hit team as four laid behind. And as soon as uh, Paulie Castellano came out, he got shot six times, one time right in the head. He was dead on arrival. And Tommy Bellotti, he got shot four times. He was the driver bodyguard. Inside Della Croce, the emissary of uh, the Gambino wing that John Gotti Sr. was attached to. I understand this. When they pulled off this uh, hit on the head of organized crime, obviously they didn't get permission of uh, any of the families in the commission. But Gotti was just an acting couple. So was Sammy the Bull Gravano. They weren't even full-fledged couples. But they decided that they had to get Paulie Castellano before he would get them because they were bringing in weight. Between uh, John Gotti Sr., Gene Gotti, they were bringing in hundreds of pounds of heroin. And they knew that once Paulie Castellano found out about it, and don't believe this myth, this myth that, oh, the old mustache peach, they didn't believe in drugs. What are you talking about, didn't believe in drugs? They had all the... Uh, they had all the facilities on the island of uh, Sicilia that were ready to turn the opium into heroin and also in Marseille in France. So this idea, oh, mustache peach, the old timers, they, they weren't in favor of drugs. Well, who set up those laboratories? What they weren't in favor of wasn't getting the kick up their piece of the action. I remember Paulie Castellano was known as a miser. So if he knew you were making uh, $5... He wanted $4 of that. You had to kick it up to him. So you had the uh, lead four guys, trying to remember specifically who they were, and it'll come to me momentarily. So you had the two guys who uh, I knew because they had a chop shop and they had a uh, they had a junkyard on Fountain Avenue in East New York. It was John Carniglia. Now, you may not know this uh, Broadway Bill Lee. But when you're in organized crime, you're not supposed to have a beard. It's like being Orthodox. An Orthodox Jew, you're supposed to have a beard, unless you can't grow uh, any hair on your face. Well, when you're in organized crime, Italian organized crime like Cosa Nostra, notice you almost never see them with beards, right? On occasion. But John Carniglia sort of looked like Santa Claus. But he wasn't a jolly old guy. This guy was a uh, stone-cold killer. Him and his brother Charlie, they grew up in Ozone Park. They had that junkyard on Fountain Avenue. And what they were best known for is they would take uh, murder victims of the mob and they would chemically incinerate them in barrels. When I was shot multiple times in the back of that cabin on June 19th of 1992, if plans had gone according to plan. They would have drove me out to that junkyard and they would have poured me into one of those barrels and chemically incinerated them. And then they would have brought my bone over to the Linwood Diner where the Gottis would be sitting around with all their, with all their, uh, with all their hangers on and they would have said, here's Sleewa's bone. Boom. They would have thrown it into somebody's minestrone soup. Ah. Right there, the Lindenwood Diner. Off of Linden Boulevard, near the uh, Conduit, Howard Beach on one side, East New York on the other side. 
Let me tell you, back then it was wired up like a Christmas tree by the FBI. The FBI, it stood for forever busting Italians because that was before 9-11, when all of a sudden after the attack, the uh, acronym became forever busting Islamists. So you had John Carniglia in the lead. He shot Paulie Castellano in the head. Down he went. Then he shot Tommy Bellotti. And he was followed by Salvatore Scala, Edward Lino, and Dominic Pizzonia. Meantime, the second group of four was Angelo Quack Quack Ruggiero. You know why they called him uh, Quack Quack? Because the guy couldn't keep his mouth shut. He was like a, a female Yenta. He would talk and talk and talk on the phone, and the FBI would say, yeah, keep talking, Angelo. We got Memorex tapes here. Keep giving them all up. And then it was Tony Rampino. So they had an excellent paramilitary plan. It was exercised. And as uh, Paulie Castellano was bleeding out, along with his driver, bodyguard, Tommy Bellotti, then the car that... um, John Gotti Sr. and Semi the Bull Gravano were in, slowly passed by. John said, uh, do you see Paulie? Do you see Tommy? And he said, yeah, yeah, they're dead. They're dead. They're gone. Hmm. Now, it's interesting. Uh, they disappeared for a while because everybody wanted to know, hey, who authorized the hit on the head of not just the Gambino crime family, but organized crime? The... Uh, son-in-law of uh, Carlo Gambino. And so um, they were mulling around. They were being asked questions. You guys know anything going on? And he said, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're doing the deep dive, but we'll, we'll find them. Don't worry. We'll let you know. Apparently, the Bananos accepted that. Uh, the Columbos accepted that. They were too busy battling one another. But the uh, Lucchese's were a bit skeptical and the Genovese... Vinny the Vinciganti and Benny Eggs Mangano, they said, nah, nah, nah. We don't buy this at all. In fact, we think you guys did it to your own guy without any permission from the commission. So we're going to get you if it's the last thing we do. Took them five months. And then all of a sudden, the Genovese crime family met with the Lucchese crime family and they said, we want your guys, we want your guys, Victor Amuso and Anthony Gaspipe Queso, who uh, would be able to plant bombs in people's cars. We want you to put a bomb in the car that John Gotti Sr. is going to be in with Frankie DeChico, who is his, uh, his consigliere. He's got to come to Dyker Heights. They're going to be a meeting. We want you to blow up his car. And so they uh, wired up the car. They saw Frankie DeChico in the car, and they thought the other guy was John Gotti Sr., but John Gotti Sr. had something come up, and he couldn't go to the meeting. And then all of a sudden, they they hit the button, and boom, Frankie DeChico was blown to smithereens. There's John Gotti Sr. He's saying, I'm going to get my vengeance. I'm going to get my vengeance. And finally, the Genovese guy said, hey, let me tell you something. You're lucky to be alive, right? You're in, in the head of the Gambino crime family and the titular head of organized crime. It's squared. You got our guy, Paulie Castellino and Tommy Bellotti. We got Frankie DiCicco and the other guy in the car. Too bad it wasn't Gotti uh, Senior. And so they left it that way. Man, people forgot already. This past Friday was the anniversary 
of the assassination of Paulie Castellano at Spark Steakhouse. And I applauded. I said, yeah, love it. Because I told this story before here. It's part of my mob talk. Years before that, my mother, Francesca, had been diagnosed with, uh, oh, severe heart problem. Like Bobby Darren had the same problem. It'll come to me momentarily. But anyway, the only cure at that time that was known during the Depression was to make a bone marrow soup. You had to get the bones. And so my Uncle Steve was the only one working from the family at that time. He had come from Detroit. He was a brewmaster there at Stroh's. And uh, he got a job in Patterson, even though he was living in Brooklyn with my Aunt Mary. And he would take the path trains from the uh, from the uh, tunnels, uh, the Hoboken tunnels, all the way out to Patterson. And he would work every day, and he would come back. And on a Saturday, he went over to the butcher shop on 92nd Street and Avenue, Ellen Canarsie. And who was the butcher in charge? Paulie Castellano. And he said, uh, sir, would you be kind enough to sell me some of the bones? Because we need to make uh, my niece, Francesca, the bone marrow soup. Because she has an ailment. And it uh, right now, it's uh, the only way to get it in check. And Paulie Castellano looked at my Uncle Steve. My Uncle Steve was Polish. He wasn't Italian. And he said, hey, yo, why should I give you these bones? I can sell them to the rendering plant. They turn them into uh, dynamite. They turn them into uh, gunpowder. I get a hell of a lot more money from the rendering plant than I'd ever get from you. He says, name your price. I'll give you the money, please. This is for my niece. She needs it. And you know what he told my uh, Uncle Steve? Get the F out of my butcher store. I never want to see you again. So my Uncle Steve goes home and he speaks to my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, obviously the father of uh, his wife, Mary, Mary Station. And he tells uh, him the story. And my grandfather gets very upset because my mother, Francesca, had rheumatic fever. That's right. Exactly what Bobby Darren had and so many others. And you were told you better not move out of your chair because your aorta might explode, you know, like John Ritter had. So they would keep you sitting there. They wouldn't let you move, and they would feed you this bone marrow soup. There was no bone marrow soup. So according to my Uncle Steve, my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, said, that's Schifosa, that's Fachim, uh, Paulie Castellano. And years later, he would tell me that story. He would say, you know, we were trying to help your mother. At that time, she had rheumatic fever. And that's Schifosa, that's Fachim. Paulie Castellano would not sell the bones so that we could make the bone marrow soup. And in fact, he kicked your uncle, Uncle Steve, right out of there. 92nd and L. On one side of Avenue L, there was the movie theater. You had the Lucchese's there with their social club. The other side, you had the Gambinos with their social club. But I never forgot that story. So when I heard that Paulie Castellano had gotten whacked with Tommy Bellotti... I didn't know who did it, but I was there, yeah. The vengeance is done. Obviously, nobody from my family, but hey, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Old school, Old Testament. I believe in that. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not New Testament. Even though I was raised a Roman Catholic, I'm an Old Testament guy. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And how ironic, that was back in 1985. Speed it up to 1992, which was just seven years later, and the very guys I was applauding for whacking Paul Castellano, uh, their crew tried to whack me. Shot me five times with hollow point bullets in the back of that yellow cab as I was coming to WABC. Michael Ianati, he's out of jail. He did 20 years for that. He's out of jail. Hey, Avery, you may have to track this guy down. Tell him, hey, why don't you go over there to Rodman's Neck, you know, where the police take their target practice. Uh, maybe you should take some more target practice because you never shot Sliwa in the head like you thought you could. See, is that ballsy there, right, Billy? Hey, hey, maybe you want to come back for more, huh? You little pisher, you schmendrick. Pisses me off to no end. But imagine, in 1985, I'm applauding the shooting of Paulie Castellano for what he had done to my mother, Francesca, by not selling the bones to make the bone marrow soup to my uncle, uh, Steve. And just seven years later... Members of his family, the Gotti crew, trying to put me six feet under in a pine box. And they almost succeeded. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, and I was reminiscing uh, earlier today. When I start talking like that, everybody gets out of my way because they figure, uh-oh, they may come and finally want to finish him off once and for all. In this hour, I'll also discuss the upcoming movie that's starring, believe it or not, our own Sid Rosenberg. Now uh, the show is called Sid Rosenberg and Friends. And with me, uh, add to that the uh, addendum, uh, Fiends and Foes. Sid Rosenberg, friends, fees, and foes. Say that ten times fast. Every uh, Monday morning, I'm on with him at 7.05, and I close out the week as the closer uh, at uh, 7.05 on Fridays. And, oh, yeah, on this particular Monday, I'm going to be going at him. He thinks that Mad Dog Russo of WFAN, formerly when he was on with Francesca, was the best sports talk show host of all time. He couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. I will be defending one of his peeps in our battle royale. Marty Clickman, the best. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But now let's go to the phones, and it's to uh, Original Rick in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Original Rick. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. That was hysterical between you and uh, Avery. I've, I've been calling Avery every week for months saying, when are we going to get to the Whitey McWhitey shows? And, of course, you do it the one time I'm not listening. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I heard part of the, the Frasier, part of my Frasier. I worked with Kelsey Grammer for many months. Oh. He is the, a prince of a man. Is that, what the, is that the expression, prince of a man? Um, he, he's the regular guy. You know, he's not like a pretentious like in, in Fraser and stuff. He would hang out with I'm the door I was the backstage doorman. Hang out with the doorman, with the stage crew, the, you know, he he just was a regular guy. It wasn't like, Oh, I just want to be with the stars kind of guy. He would talk he, he had some very racy stories, you know, very funny. Was he uh, hitting on the showgirls? 
Oh, no, 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 no. He was in love with his new wife, Kate. Well, which wife was that? The second, the one after after the bad one. Because you do remember he had to make a vow to his wife in order for them not to go their separate ways. In this state, it would have been 50% uh, for each. Uh, he had to get his male part uh, tattooed with his wife's name on it. No. Yep. The, the sack. So that if any lady ever got down in proximity to the erogenous zone, she'd probably look at that and say, who's this? Well, well you know, it, it was Carmela, I think you're talking about. Uh, she was like uh, on the, 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 wife, the wives of Beverly Hills or something like that. All right, Remember? so no one's that. So there's Carmela, and who was the second wife? Kate. I Kate. think he, he would have preferred Kate there because Carmela had some extra letters, so you could have imagined how much longer it would have taken the tattoo artist to put Carmela on that. He would have been screaming in pain instead of having Kate uh, written on his uh, sack. Well, Kate, Kate was like 100% different than, than uh, Carmela. But he, uh, when he got married, he had this, the uh, wedding at the theater, at the Long Acre Theater. During, he, was, during, he was in the Lacage. He was the head of, you know. The he was in Lacage La Fold? Yeah, he played George's. The, now, hold, you know, the, now, hold the, on the, a second. Not, not the guy that dressed up. He was, uh, uh, I mean, look, in Frazier, he was a, a bit effeminate. And Alcacho yeah. Fole, a bit effeminate, right? Well, not really. He played the straight guy of, of that character, you know? You sure he didn't have a proclivity no, in that no, direction? No. no, no. And there were no kisses in the show between the men. You know, Alcacho Fole. What, what was in that? Harvey yeah. Firestein? Yeah, yeah, Harvey. That's right, I'm Harvey. Yeah, I was just going to say, his voice precedes him, yeah. I'm Harvey Firestein, who you looking at? You don't like the fact that I shaved my legs tough noogies. <laughs> it was Harvey, Harvey Firestein. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he invited not only all of us to the wedding, the entire cast and crew, he invited us to the reception at the Waldorf. Now, you know how much that must have cost, like a hundred and something people? And how much a plate at the Waldorf? You know, wow. no, no, nobody does that. You, you're lucky if you even know the guys getting married. He invited. I'm working with you people. You're my family, and you're coming to my wedding. And it was it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. So you had the run of the Waldorf. I couldn't go. I was working. Oh well, you door. missed I'm it. Backstage door, man. I can't go anywhere. I'm the guy that's got to watch the place while you're out playing. You I've know? never, I've never been a big Waldorf man, but this past Monday they had a gathering for the Manhattan GOP. This uh, Chinese couple, they own the top two floors in the Waldorf. The top two floors, because it's now not just a hotel. You know, uh, you can own your own uh, condos there. Right. And I got to tell you, the view from there. Drop dead gorgeous. Uh, that that apartment that these uh, this Chinese couple owned from mainland China was incredibly gorgeous. Uh, so I can just imagine uh, downstairs uh, what a uh, wedding or a festive gathering would be like. Well, and and, and off the subject, do you know what the the uh, feud the Waldorf has had with the city for the last like hundred years, right? No, tell me. Okay. Uh, their loading dock, you have to park your truck across the sidewalk. There is no real dock. It's just on the building, and you have to back your truck up and block the sidewalk. And 
they they could never get it designated as a loading block. So I was a truck driver for 10 years. Every time you park at the Waldorf, every single truck gets a ticket. There's a guy that just stands outside all day long just giving tickets. That's his job. And so when you deliver to the Waldorf, you already, you know, figure in the cost of that ticket, that $100 ticket or $200 ticket. You can't park at the Waldorf without getting a ticket. And they've been fighting this for like 100 years, ever since the Waldorf. Wow, so, so they, they clip you with a $200 ticket. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he literally, the guy stands there all day long. That's his job, giving out tickets at the Waldorf. Yeah, that would make sense uh, because the city just is always looking to raise revenue any way it can. But uh, well, it's nice to know, original uh, Rick, that Kelsey Grammer was a stand-up guy. Stand-up guy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Brian, who's calling from Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Curtis, my man, how are you? I've had better days. <laughs> hey, listen, I've been listening to you forever, and I actually met you back at SUNY Cortland when uh, my freshman year in 1990, you and your... Uh, you and your ex-wife, Lisa, spoke there. Oh, that's right, SUNY Cortland. Now, SUNY Cortland, isn't that up near uh, Binghamton? It is, it is. And it's also, so there are many, uh, many staffers there at the uh, WABC that are SUNY Cortland graduates. And rest, rest, his, rest in peace, Bernie's daughter is a graduate of SUNY Cortland as well. I believe our own Dominic Carter went to SUNY Cortland. Oh, I didn't know Dominic did. I think he did. I'll ask. I'll double check. Gotcha, gotcha. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, Kelsey Grammer uh, actually owns a brewery up there in uh, the Catskills, in Margaretville. Yeah, I think it's a microbrewery. He's got his own uh, brewski. Uh, he's appeared on WABC promoting it. He's gone to Gristiti's, uh, the supermarket chain of our owners, operators, John and Margo Katsimatidis. He's done personal appearances there. My wife... Uh, uh, was so upset with me one day, I told her, oh, you know, Kelsey Graham is going to be at the Gristides that we go to, which is over by 84th in Columbus. She goes, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I love Kelsey Grammer. Wow, boy, I had to earn some brownie points for that faux pas. <laughs> well, hey, I just want to say, man, thanks for all the great radio over the years. And uh, I love, uh, I, I got one last thing. The, the Probably the two of the funniest things I've heard you and Avery do is what was the one uh, – the time you guys were bust on Frank Morano and you, you were playing some song, some rap song or something that he was playing of uh, some some guy he knew's kid or something, and you guys were you guys kept playing that back and forth. And, and oh, I think, oh, I think that was of Captain Kirk. You know, he plays uh, songs that Captain Kirk sings, uh, that uh, Jerry Springer sings. He claims that he he has it on replay on his headphones. They're like the worst songs in the world. The worst. <laughs> yeah, but you it, it wasn't Captain Kirk. It was somebody's somebody's kid or something, and you, you kept playing that. Oh, oh, I think it was uh, Eric Adams' uh, son who is competing. <laughs> Uh, in the American Idol version in Albania. In Kathmandu or something. That's right. It's uh, Albanian Idol, and you know the fix has to be in on that. It was the word itsy bitsy, something like that. He didn't copyright infringement, trademark infringement. You know, in Albania, anything goes there. 
But it was the worst rap song uh, I'd ever heard. And then just her reaction. I mean, Avery just kept. And then playing his, playing Frank Verano's reaction to it, it was just like, you could tell if he didn't want to say anything. It was like, oh, oh yeah, that's. Oh, good. you don't want to miss it. In 24 hours, uh, Avery will have more uh, clips uh, from during the week of Frank Morano, and we will be reacting to that. He is the gift that keeps giving to our show, the gift that keeps giving. You, you guys are funny. We'll keep it up, man. And it was great talking to you, Curtis. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Paul in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paulie. Yes, Paul. For the month, for the, instead of having to watch a whole series, there's a few, uh, you know, I can think of a series with Whitey, like Whitey on it, uh, Abbott and Costello. That goes back a ways. Oh, yeah. Adam, Abbott and Costello. Uh, Costello is from, uh, Patterson, New Jersey is Mr. Bocigaloop, Mr. Fields, who is the uh, landlord. Yeah, I, I, have you ever seen that, Avery, uh, uh, Abbott and Costello? I mean, that is totally McWhitey. He's seen that. So, yeah, we'll definitely do a critique of that. That's for sure, Paul. And then, you know, if you want, uh, you know, another one, a movie that, you know, the Bahamas comes up, they have uh, James Bond uh Thunderball. Thunderball. Have you ever seen Thunderball? Uh, no, no, Avery no, hasn't seen that. We're, we're going to enlighten him, Paul, between yourself and our many listeners. We're going to eventually lure him over to the McWhitey-Whitey side if it's the last thing we do. And Clint Eastwood, you know, the, the enforcer. Oh, there's, 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 there's so many, Paul. There's so many McWhitey Whitey uh, films and TV programs that, uh, yeah, you're going to have a lot of homework to do, Avery. I just hope um, that you won't lose um, your Yuyo Asiatic black uh, sensibility in being exposed to uh, all this McWhiteyness. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Kenny in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kenny. Hey, Curtis. I call to talk to you about your fake rat fink friend called Frank Morano. Okay? Mm-hmm. But before I get to that, I got something to tell you, and uh, it involves you and your boy Avery Day, okay? Oh, okay. You got your boxing gloves on? We're ready. Knockout punch, okay? We're ready. We're ready. Oh, tell Avery to listen in there, okay? Okay. He's, uh, he's listening. I know you ran for mayor, right? Yeah, yeah, I lost to Eric Adams. I know, you lost. That's why I'm calling to tell you, Curtis, you lost being mayor, okay? You don't have to play like you keep liking black people anymore. You don't have to keep kissing up to Avery. You can stop doing that. I don't have to do that any longer? You don't have to do it no more, Curtis. That's what I call it. T- tell Avery, too. Maybe he doesn't realize it, too. You don't have to put on this fake act like you like black people. Hmm. I don't know, but it's... <laughs> it's I don't know. It's yeah. I don't know, but it's not. It didn't work for you for the. You know. It yeah, they not, like theater of the mind. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't you didn't work. think that works, Avery? That uh, I'm faking it pretty good. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear what you got to say. Yeah, Avery, you think uh, I'm faking it pretty damn good? Uh. 
Come on, Avery. Tell are you, them. Tell them are the you faking deal. it good? I mean. Like you really like black people. You know, come on. Well, yeah, on the air, on the air, I, I buy it, but you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what after I'm, the year, he's yeah. not running for man no more. He don't got to fake it. Yeah, when the show when, when the show is off, though, you know. Yeah. 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 Do, do you guys hang out? Do you guys like your homeboys? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, right? yeah. No, okay, tell him. Okay. Anyway, that uh, that was the knockout punch, Curtis. We can deal with that later on. But I call to talk about your rap thing, friend Frank Morano. No, uh, Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. Uh, what do we need to know about him? Because we're going to be playing his cuts in 24 hours. Okay. I don't know if you remember me. I called you about two weeks ago, and I told you I saw Frank Morano talking crap about you on the uh, A&E documentary, Gotti, Father and Son. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to find out. I asked you, did you confront him? Did you, did you, did you confront this punk? Call Frank Morano, and I bet you was crying a little, like a little girl. Oh, please, Curtis, don't hurt me. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. Don't hurt me. We want to know what happened. Did you confront him? What went down? To be uh, honest, Mama Luke Frank in Staten Island. Be honest with you, we have not seen one another since you called. Okay, because he's running from you, obviously. No, no, no. Actually, I think it's been more my schedule than his. He's shown up the normal time. I basically had to do the bird and then come back, and he was off air. But you're right. Uh, Sunday night, he comes in. Uh, Dominic Carter's on from 12 to 1, so I finish at 12, the animal welfare hour. So I will stay around the extra hour and confront him on that. And, again, could you tell uh, all of our listeners the name of the show so that they can – they can view it themselves, so they'll know exactly what you're talking about, Kenny. Oh, yes, yeah, this uh, A&E documentary. It's called um, Gotti, God, uh, Father, and Son. That's what it's called. It's A&E, Gotti, Father, and Son. And uh, it's about um, Gotti Jr. doing this documentary telling his life involvement with his father. You know, And they get to a point in it near the end where after he's in prison, um, uh, Gotti Jr., after he gets sent up to prison, um, he's getting ready to get out, and then he says he's, he's in prison, and he's, he sees that they've got an indictment against him, just as he's getting ready to get out, and then that's when you get shot. So um, then they cut to, like, Frank Morano, you know, and because Gotti was talking crap about you, oh, this Curtis, uh, I don't believe anything. And they got Frank Morano, all of a sudden they see in the documentary, say, oh, yeah, no, Curtis, yeah, he talked a lot of stuff too, you know, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I didn't even realize he was in this. So that's what I called you up, and I, 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 I let you know what's going on. No, no, in fact, what I'm going to do is not only will I confront Frank on this, but I'm going to get the cut from the A&E documentary, Gotti, Father and Son, and play it on the air so people can yeah. see how he stabbed me right in the back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, he's probably making out. He's probably got a lot of them. He's going to be crying. I know he's going to be like on his knee. Well, Curtis, please don't hurt me. I didn't. I forgot to tell you. Oh, don't hurt me. Don't put me down. I know. I want to hear all of it. We want to hear all of it, all right? I promise you. I promise you. Luke Frank in Staten Island. I promise you, Kenny, we will definitely do that. I forgot all about that. Forgot all about that. That's right. The A&E documentary, Gotti, Father and Son, where Frank sticks the shit right in my back. After Gotti sticks the shit in me one way, Frank does the other way. It's like the Ides of March. A two Brutus, Frank. It's... <laughs> 
Another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewin. Wow, I had an interesting conversation with Sid Rosenberg. You know what's coming up, guys. Um, we're going to need a crane to get him in and out of these studios. You think he's got a swollen ego now? You think he's a narcissistic personality now? Well, I believe it's in April they will have the rollout of the movie that he stars in, Gemini Lounge. And I had tried to convince him when he was up for the parts. I said, well, you ought to be like Chris, uh, uh, oh, man, Chris Rosenberg. That's the Jewish guy. He was a 13-year-old kid at the time. He was dealing uh, marijuana, nickel and dime bags. I think it was outside of the mobile station across from South Shore High School on Flatlands Avenue. And this guy, Roy DeMeo, psycho boy, basically, like, adopted him. And so they were like the first links of Murder Incorporated. Ah, the killing machine, excuse me. And then all of a sudden, the two brothers join Joey and Patty Testa and actually uh, Anthony Centaur. I taught all three of those guys how to play stickball and touch football. And they weren't difficult for me to deal with then, but oh, all of a sudden they dealt with Roy DeMeo and the rest of those supreme cuisines, those uh, Italian stallions who had only uh, calluses on their tuchus from sitting down so much, never working, always looking to rob and rip off hard-working Italian-American peoples. But, oh, yeah, Roy DeMeo, Anthony Centaur. Oh, I think back. And I was telling, uh, telling Sid about Gemini Lounge, which he was never in. And the Gemini twins, who became known as Joey, Joey Testa and Anthony Centaur, they were like Siamese twins, two peas in a pod, soup in a sandwich, horse in a carriage. When anyone ever had to get whacked, Roy DeMeo left it to uh, Joey Testa and Anthony Centaur. Now doing triple life without parole. Patty Testa, he got whacked in his uh, fix-it shop uh, right before the end uh, came about. But it's interesting. I said, why didn't you want to be Chris Rosenberg? Why didn't you want to be the Jewish mobster? Ah, nah, you want to be Italian. I said, you know what happened to Chrissy, right? He, got, he created the Cuban crisis. He ripped off some Cuban drug dealers down in Miami. And then uh, essentially Paulie Castellano called up Roy DeMeo and said, hey, we can't have any problems with the Cubans. So you're going to have to whack Chris Rosenberg. He said, he's like a son to me. You got to whack him. And he knew if he didn't whack him, he'd get whacked. So if memory serves me correct, Roy DeMeo pumped the first shot into Chris Rosenberg. It didn't kill him. And he wasn't able to fire another shot. And then it was Anthony Centaur who came behind him and just, boom, just piled it on. I think that was like 1983. It pretty much started the... Uh, the uh, the Roy DeMeo uh, murder machine back in 1979, the same year I was organizing the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx off of uh, Webster Avenue and uh, East Fordham Road at that Mickey D's as night manager. In fact, Roy DeMeo was such a psycho boy that when Paulie Castellano finally figured out he had to have him whacked too because of his relationship with uh, Jimmy Coonan and the Westies, 
He wanted John Gotti Sr. to do it, and John Gotti Sr.'s response was, Are you crazy? That's psycho boy, Roy DeMeo, too hot to handle. Uh, that's the kind of psycho boy he was. So you know who ended up killing Roy DeMeo and stuffing him in the back of a car? The guys who were part of his crew. Who? Joey Testa and Anthony Centaur put two bullets right in the back of his head. Wow. Uh, does, does, does Sid know what he's getting involved with here with the Gemini Lounge? Does he have any idea? April, are we even going to be able to deal with him? He's going to be strutting around like a peacock more than he is now. You know, he's going to be talking, oh, you know, I'll be going to the Academy Awards and, you know, there'll be the uh, Golden Globes and uh, you name it. Apparently it's uh, going to be a pretty damn good movie. But, uh, I mean, we can't even deal with his humongous ego now. What is it going to be like once he's starring in Gemini Lounge? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ed in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Good morning, Curtis. Yes, Eddie. You know, you and Avery have such good chemistry together. I mean, it doesn't matter what topic you talk about. You could talk about the fact that there's 157 different types of mustard in the supermarket. You guys would make me laugh. I laugh so hard my face hurts when you and Avery are together. <laughs> well, see, now, Avery, you got to deliver tomorrow with the Frank Morano cuts. The pressure is on Avery. I mean, he's up there with Tony Powell. He's funny. Yeah, Tony Powell, that's right. And he was from Staten Island, Tony Powell, when he was, he joined the uh, Imus in the Morning crew when... Uh, he, Imus uh, came back after eight months on the shelf being fired from WFAN, and then they replaced me and Kubi with the Imus crew, and they added Tony Powell. Yeah, he had a condo down by the ferry. Yeah, no, no, I I didn't know him that well, but I do remember him talking uh, quite a bit about how, uh, I don't know if he was born and raised in Staten Island, but he was certain like he was Staten Island-centric. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. Listen, I was... Frank Morano was talking about good movies for kids because a lot of movies today they're so they're all woke. Mm. So um, I tell him about this movie that's hard to find. It's a short movie, eighteen minutes long, made in the fifties in Paris. No dialogue, no subtitles. It's a simple story of a ten-year-old boy who walks to school and this helium red balloon follows him along the way. And my son was like two and a half, three years old. He loved it. He woke up the next morning. He goes, I want to watch the movie. I want to watch the movie. So then, you know, and then, you know, I knew Frank had nobody on the board because he never picks me up first after a break. So he comes back from a break, and he's talking about he changes the subject from kids' movies to the resurgence of female armpit hair. <laughs> and when he picked- when he picked me up first, I knew the board was not lit up because, you know, I always bust his chops. So when he picked me up first, I said, uh, yeah, I told him about the movie. He goes, oh, thanks. You know, I'll check it out. I said, it's tough to find, you know. And then I even went on Amazon, and I sent him a link to, to buy the DVD. And uh, and I said, hey, if you want the board to light up, instead of talking about armpit hair, you should talk about pubic hair. Oh, my God. He hung up on me. What? So, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a joke. So right? he censored you. He basically censored you. Yeah. So then I, I, I hang up. I turn the radio on, and I, I just got the end of it. And after he hung up on me, 
He goes, well, you know, I, I, I can't trust a guy like that. I'm not even going to take his advice about the movie. I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, sorry. I was, I, you know, I, I was giving him good advice yeah. you know, about you know, his son. Well, you so see, goes, uh, what you see is um, I think what it is is uh, he's still got uh, the nerves of a rookie. Uh, you know, he, he's new to this. He's got his own nationally syndicated show, but uh, he doesn't have a, a lot of years of experience, so... You know, anytime you say anything that's somewhat questionable, his probably first instinct is to drop you instead of to allow you to keep talking. Yeah, well, then he goes, I'm the least judgmental person on the radio. Ah. And I was, like, laughing to myself because every night he has this uh, segment where he denounces people like he's, uh, you know, Judge Roy Bean or somebody. <laughs> You're right. He, denunciations. uh and then he has uh, what, another day he gives accolades, you know, in which uh, he uh, he praises people. But you're absolutely right. And that's why everybody's got to get ready. In 24 hours, Avery will have taken his um, surgical um, knife and will have uh, extracted from uh, Frank's programs this past week, Monday through Fridays, one in the morning to five, the other side of midnight. And we will have so much fun, because I don't even think Frank realizes when he says certain things how he doesn't seem to understand how it pokes fun at himself. But we're going to bring all of that to the surface. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is a sound that would repulse Frank Morano, who has no love uh, in his veins and arteries for members of the FBI forever busting Italians before 9-11 and afterwards. The acronym stood for forever busting Islamists. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Ron calling from Michigan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ronnie. Good morning, Curtis. Curtis, also forever busting Indians. Ah, that's right. Excellent. Frank, uh, you know, Frank, I got to defend Frank. The the other day when that caller just called in, Frank allowed me to tell an armpit hair joke, the whole joke, and he said it was cute. Oh, so he didn't censor you. No, and it kind of surprised me. You know, he let me get the whole story out. I don't know if you want to hear it. It's real quick. Of course, of course. Okay, this uh, drunk uh, American goes into a bar in Paris, okay, and it's a hot summer day. And, of course, there's no air conditioning, and all the women are wearing uh, tank tops, and nobody shaves their armpits, the ladies. So the drunk's in there, and this uh, lady's waving to the bartender at the other end of the bar for attention, and the drunk sees her, and he says, buy the ballerina a drink. So the bartender go buys the woman a drink, and she weighs back to the drunken American. And the bartender turns to the American. He says, how do you know she's a ballerina? And he says, only a ballerina could lift her leg that high. <laughs> I like that, Curtis. I like your laughing. That, like that. that was good. That was good. We uh, That was top shelf five-star, Ron. By the way, I got beef with uh, not just Frank Morano and Sid Rosenberg and his so-called friends now in the morning, Lou and uh, Macedonian Phil. But I got beef with Bo Snurdly and his crew 
He took some shots at me claiming, uh, Broadway Billy, better get ready for this, that I know nothing at all about Prince, a.k.a. the artist, a.k.a. full of himself. Uh, so in the uh, final hour, five to six, uh, I'm going to give him a panoply of different Prince songs along with the many acolytes that he had. But up next, we're going to have to delve into the uh, whole business of the Trump cards and wonder if these are the same kind of cards we used to collect, the top baseball cards, where you can put them, uh, you know, with uh, uh, close pins on the uh, wheels, you know, the uh, wheels of your big chief... Uh, Twin bicycle, right? Check this out on the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. think that Prince, a.k.a. the artist, uh, was referring to uh, my Red Beret? Yeah, I've had Guardian Angels in uh, Minneapolis who used to pass his club downtown uh, Minneapolis. But uh, I digress momentarily. The reason I'm playing Prince and in the next hour we'll be playing a holy accoutrement of Prince songs along with his many... uh, uh, many acolytes uh, and individuals who are contributing to his uh, overall musical prowess is because I was challenged in terms of my knowledge of Prince by, of all people, James Golden, who's coming at you uh, from 7 to 10 today. You can normally hear a Monday through Fridays from 4 to 5, but Saturdays it's 7 to 10, and I hope some of you will bring to his attention Curtis knows more than you know about Prince and his um, sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys that have been part of his career when he was alive and well before he died of what they called an overdose of fentanyl. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But this is what uh, James Golden had to say earlier this week on his show between 4 to 5, right before the uh, John Katsimatidis roundtable discussion at 5. I wonder if Curtis ever heard of Prince. It's a good question. Hmm. 
We need to ask him one day, has he ever heard of Prince? He knows MJ. I know, but that's because he has this... Yeah, he's got a... Thing. Um, yeah. The MJ. Yeah. Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal, huh? Thing I don't know about the androgynous uh, prince, a.k.a. the artist. Uh, We'll have to get uh, a guy who thinks of himself as a musical curator, not James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, up to speed in the next hour. But right now, oh, well, you know, the headlines say that the January 6th committee is expected to announce referral of criminal charges to the Department of Justice against Donald Trump, including insurrection as of Monday. So that's one of the big stories. Then we had the Trump cards that came out, like the old Topps baseball cards, although they're digital now. And uh, I just want to know, as they were selling out fast and furiously, I think they were charging $99, and I think they uh, graded out to uh, end up making Donald a ton of dough. About $4 million on the first day, and I think they doubled in value up to $200 a digital card. But I'm interested in, like, the old Tops baseball cards, you know, where we could put them in the spokes of my big chief Schwinn bicycle, and they'd be going... Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? one 800 Or you could go to the schoolyard and you could flip them and match them, you know, heads, tails... Or flip them up against the wall and play topsies. How many of you played that? Flipsies and topsies with the old-fashioned tops baseball cards and used to have to take endless trips to the dentist because of that cheap gum that was put inside. I'm sure with Trump's card offerings, there was no gum, uh, digital gum in his package. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So on that note, uh, can't quite get my head around what an NFT card is, but here's Donald Trump talking about him. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital Cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but it's what we have or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses, and they are beautiful. I'm also doing Zoom calls, a one-on-one meeting, autographing memorabilia, and so much more. We're doing a lot. My official Trump digital trading cards are $99, which doesn't sound like very much for what you're getting. Buy one, and you will join a very exclusive community. It's my community, and I think it's something you're going to like, and you're going to like it a lot. They also make Perfect gifts. So you can buy them with your credit card or crypto. All you need is an email address. Go to collecttrumpcards.com and buy your Trump digital trading cards right now before they are all gone. And they will be gone. 
This is my first official Trump trading card NFT collection. And you get a chance to meet me. Go to collecttrumpcards.com right now. And remember, Christmas is coming. And this makes a great Christmas gift. No what? purchase necessary. Boy, welcome to the Well, Trump was right about that. He sold out in one day. And the value went from $99 per digital card to $200. Sold out. He made himself $4 million in just one day. That was phenomenal. Now, I wonder, though, since he's selling these cards now, as I know that Avery must be a person who sits at home and watches the uh, Home Shopping Network or QVC, can we expect Donald Trump to make an appearance on QVC or the Home Shopping Network hawking these digital cards? <laughs> Who was it? The best one I ever saw there was Joan Rivers. Remember how Joan Rivers was? Graduated Erasmus High School. Oh, man, she was uh, she was on top of the world, the queen of home shopping uh, addicts. I don't know, mostly women who would watch that morning, noon, and night, they'd just be buying up everything. If it wasn't Home Shopping Network, it was uh, QVC, although I don't think that's on cable any longer. I think it's uh, it's on digital. Yeah, Joan Rivers, Erasmus uh, High School, grew up in East New York, Brownsville. Then I think uh, the other one that I saw oftentimes uh, hawking products on uh, Home Shopping Network was Suzanne Summers. You know, uh, one's a solo, two's a team, three's a crowd. What was that with John Ritter, Suzanne Summers, and that other young lady? Three's Company, whatever the hell that program was. Our number is one 800 I can just imagine Donald Trump on QVC or Home Shopping Network. The spirit of Joan Rivers be upon you, Donald. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jim, who's calling from Old Bridge. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hey, how you doing? No, not how you doing. I've had better days, too. <laughs> uh, listen, flappers, flappers on, on bikes. I had one on a, on a spider bike, a purple spider bike. Now, what kind of cars did you put on yours? Because I wouldn't have put my Tom Seaver on there. No way. I was no. going to put some guy from a Tiger or something on there. No, I usually uh, I usually used rookie cards, had the clothespins, put them on the spikes, uh, the bicycle, uh, uh, the spirals of the bicycle, and uh, then try to make as much noise as possible. Absolutely. Do you remember also putting a little piece of leather in between the uh, the spindle on the back just to shine it up? No, I that, that, that I don't remember. And what kind of bicycle did you have again? I had a purple spider bike with a. Uh, with a, a, a white banana seat. Wow! You know, see, I had uh, I had the big uh, Schwinn, uh, uh, big uh, Chief Schwinn bicycle. Yeah, I, I w- yeah, I flip cards too, and you know, I would never use my Tom Seavers or Cleon, Le- you know, any, any any good guys from the Mets or anything like that. I just use somebody I didn't know about. <laughs> now, Jimmy, did you ever flip cards, toss cards, compete uh, with your cards versus other people's cards? Oh, yeah. In the schoolyard, I flipped cards. I didn't hit them against the wall, but we flipped cards. I was pretty good at it. I was pretty good at that. It was, you know, we did both. 
we flipped the cards and we also, you know, spun them on the ground and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Well, that you always had to watch that you weren't giving up a Mickey Mantle or a Willie Mays or a... No, I still have. Matter of fact, I still have my Hank Aaron's and my Willie Mays, and I have all those cards still. The other ones are all dog-eared because I just didn't care about them anymore, you know? Wow. Wow. That's incredible. About, about how many cards did you have when all was said and done? Uh, probably uh, three or four hundred, five hundred maybe. But, you know, they're just like, uh, it was like maybe 69, 70, 71. They were the years I kind of collected at that time. And just, you know, I don't collect them anymore because just just too many to collect. I don't do that anymore. What happened happened to those that you had collected? I don't know. I think my mother threw them out. (laughs) The whole box. Yeah, shoe boxes. Shoe boxes full. And, like, I used to do the checklist and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the gum, you know, there was nothing like the smell of that card pack with that gum in it. That first card always got stained by that gum, you know. But it, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Right. And then uh, sometimes that gum uh, that would come in a slab would be, like, somewhat stale and it would just crack. Yeah, it was. It would crack. Yeah, it, it was always it was always stale. Hmm. But, you know, there's something about the smell of that gum. And, you know, you put it in in there and broke your teeth, but it was worth it, you know? Right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Those, <laughs> you've taken you've taken us back on uh, the time machine. Uh, yeah. I, you know, Curtis, you should have had a TV show back in the 70s because it would have been perfect, like right between, like, all the family and the Jefferson and all. You, you would have had a great and CPO Sharky, you know, and all that stuff. You would have had a great time back then if you had a show, you know, because you're, you're funny as hell. Well, there's no doubt because uh, back then you could be politically incorrect. We didn't even know what that word was. Now, oh, my Lord. They, the uh, snowflakes are out there. They get offended by anything. You can't make ethnic jokes, racial jokes, religious jokes. Uh, you can't lampoon people. uh you can't attack no. your friends as well as foes. You know, you have to only attack your foes. I attack everyone uh, equally. Uh, I understand that, too. I, I understand that, you know. And uh, have you ever met Don Rickles? No. No, I, I saw, certainly saw him on TV in his many That's appearances that. with Johnny Carson. Uh, he was great. and He was great. You know, he, he was not totally not like he was on TV, you know. Just like uh, Jack Benny was not like he was on TV and the radio. But, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, he was a sweetheart, you know. And it's sad to see him go. George Carlin, too, he's another one. Oh, George Carlin was the best. In fact, we we, we got to uh, resuscitate that. If you can make a note of this, Avery, uh, uh, there's a George Carlin bit that my wife Nancy played for me the other day about getting sick. It is yeah. The most hilarious bit I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of his bits, which are hilarious, but it was just, like, so good. He was yeah, just he, so quick. He was quick, and he, he would just take, take common things that happen to people every day or observations, pretty, pretty much of what his comedy was all about, observations. And he would just spin them around. And, like, it, and, you know, it, it was it was hilarious, you know, it, it was sad, you know, that it happened for real, but it, it was hilarious the way he uh, he pointed him out to you. 
Jim, you know? uh, Jim, you gave me memories of my uh, old Topps baseball card collection, which uh, was in uh, these uh, shoe boxes, and I had a lot of them. And uh, I was very good at winning cards, although uh, whenever I would take somebody's cards that were of great value, like uh, the Mickey Mantle card or the Willie Mays card or the uh, limited edition rookie cards, I- I'd give it back because it was normally kids either my age or younger and they, they'd start bawling and crying, and I'd say, hey, good practice, good practice. But I made the big mistake that every time one of these guys was traded, I would take a big pen, and on the front of the card, I would write the, the guy's new team, which basically oh. rendered the card uh, no longer usable because they say that I had desecrated the card. Yeah. Well, you know, we didn't collect cards because of you know that. We no, they were the guys. No, and we you know, used to we used, used to memorize all the stats in the back. You know where they were born and raised, how tall were they, how how how, yeah. how uh, you know how much they weighed, uh, what they did in their rookie seasons. Uh, we had that all memorized. Yeah, that, that was that was great fun, you know, and and uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I love that that time period, you know, back in the seventies, you know. I mean, nowadays I don't care, but back then it was it was important. You know, they were heroes to us, idols actually. Yep, so, and, you know, and you know the value of the cards is so great now that when the men and the women go in and print them, they basically have to strip off all their clothes on their way out to be able to show that they haven't purloined any of the cards. Uh, be- yeah. because they were having a problem with that at a printing press. I think it was either in Jersey or, or New York where the Topps, uh, uh, main printer was. And some of the printers were pur- purloining the cards. And then obviously, uh, they weren't as valuable, uh, if the market was flooded with those cards. Yeah. Now, did you, did you collect Don Russ? I only collect the Topps. That's all I had around my area. Yeah. You no. have Don Russ. It was just Topps. Topps baseball cards. <laughs> Uh, they were the only ones really being sold. Then they had, like, monster cards. Uh, a lot of kids used to collect those. I was never into those. And I see my sons were into Pokemon cards. I can never understand that, Pokemon cards. Uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, and all that. Uh, did you collect wacky package stickers? No, I wasn't into that. No, those were kind of cool back then, too. You know, that was like, you know, a... a spoof on all the products, you know, Campbell's Soup and Rice Krispies. It was it was cool. That was another cool thing. Yeah, and then they had right. they had football cards, but they never really caught on football cards. It wasn't like baseball yeah. cards. And basketball cards, too, which like a different size. They were, like, tall. Yeah, it did not catch on. It wasn't like baseball cards for some reason. Uh, well, anyway, baseball generally had more cards. Uh, football cards, I can remember... Frank Gifford uh, was uh, Del Schaffner. Uh, there was Y.A. Tittle for the Giants, but I never, never was uh, attracted in terms of collecting uh, football cards, baseball cards. I was gaga goo goo. Wherever there were baseball cards, I was more than happy to bring a whole pocket full and compete and try to win myself uh, a bunch of more cards by flipping. You know, matching heads uh, and matching tails, and then flipping them up against the wall, playing topsies. Right, and also the Harlem Globetrotters was another another thing that was big. I thought back then, huh? it was like fantastic. Yeah, now do you know who uh, you know who briefly was a uh, Harlem Globetrotter when he got out of uh, 
Kansas University. Will, Isn't that, uh, Will Chamberlain? Will Chamberlain was a Harlem Globetrotter. Yeah. That was yeah. incredible. And and remember the team that would always play against the Harlem Globetrotters yeah. and would always lose? The Washington Senators? Washington something. I think it was the Washington Generals. Generals, yeah. And yeah, then that, there was this was this guy, their captain, this guy named Herb something Klotz or something like that. Maybe somebody out there remembers. And he would have the two-handed set shot. And I think maybe on two occasions out of the hundreds and hundreds of games that they played all over the world uh, and on the road, the Washington Generals actually won the game. Really? Now, they, they practiced with them, right? They had to practice with them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He traveled with I mean, them, practiced with them, or, or would pick up other ball players on, on when they were on the road, you know, who would be uh, the Washington Generals. Yeah. That, that, that was fantastic. You know, Curly and Metal Ark and, and Goose and all those guys, they were just hilarious. Yeah, you no, know? great entertainers, great entertainers. And when the Globetrotters came to town, they'd pack them in. Yeah, absolutely, because they were just, they were great, especially with the kids. You know, they loved to play with the kids. <laughs> yeah, the fact that Wilt Chamberlain was a Harlem Globetrotter, to me, was like, uh, I didn't see him play as a Globetrotter, but just reading about it, I said, wow, it comes right out of college, he becomes a Globetrotter first. Wow. But Amazing. do appreciate it. Uh, going back on the time machine as we uh, talk about uh, – we talked. <laughs> Sorry, but you got it. We, okay, but you, you're a great guy, and you know I I listen to you as much as I can. And I just can't believe you know the terminology you use, and it just it just makes me laugh. You know, some of the things I would say, you know, now it's like, wow, this guy is like in my mind. You know, it's great. Well, we're taking it. We're taking it to the break of dawn, Jim. Taking it to the break of dawn. Nobody nobody falls asleep on yours truly, and especially in the next hour as I battle. Bo Snurdly, a.k.a. James Golden, who's coming on from 7 to 10 this morning. And I hope somebody of you remind him that he questioned my knowledge of Prince. By the, by the way, just mentioning Prince, it's a whole panoply of others. Sheila E., Vanity Six, Morris Day and the Times. No, Morris Day and the Times, when I saw them performing years ago, that was like uh, an ancillary group of Prince. They're singing Jungle Love, and it reminds me of what Bruno Mars does now. I- I'm wondering if Bruno Mars was basically ripping off Morris Day and the Times, you know, where he's got like 17 guys in the band and they got choreographed dancing. Is that a possibility? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Suffolk County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby. Hi, Curtis. Hey, thanks for keeping me company all night, man. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I got a couple things for you. Eric Adams. He's not running for mayor right now, but he's building his war chest. Of campaign funds. Yes. So, you remember like three weeks ago, he said that uh, New York City is going to become the crypto finance center of the world. Who gave him campaign money? Sam Freed. 
That and is correct. He realized, yes, and the day before, he realized, he realized Sam is going to, who knows what, let slip out of his mouth testifying. He made a bunch of calls, and he got the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York on the phone and said, hey, man, you got to get this guy to clam up. He got arrested. Hmm. Yeah. Well, see, with Eric Adams uh, and also the other mayor, Suarez from Miami, they've been promoting uh, Bitcoins, blockchain, cryptocurrency, uh, Ponzi scams. In fact, listen to him. Even when he was confronted, uh, Robert, with all the information about the collapse of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin industry, he doubled and tripled down on it. I believe in the new markets and the new currencies, and I'm encouraging my young people to learn about them. We had a, a crypto summit um, that was uh, partnered with the owners of um, the New York Nets, uh, where we brought young people in to learn about these industries. These industries are not going to go away because they reach low points. This is an industry that we must embrace. I'm looking to further leaning into uh, blockchain and other technologies. Yes, my, my money's already there. I took my first three paychecks. Yeah, he took his first three paychecks, Robert, in uh, Bitcoin, and you haven't heard him taking any paychecks after that in Bitcoin. No, uh, learn how to lose your money is what it is. But, but can you imagine this, Robert, as this entire business is collapsing? He's wanting to teach children in the school system blockchain, which is turning them into white-collar criminals, you say to yourself, what are you doing? These kids can barely read, barely write, barely do arithmetic, and you're, te- you're teaching them blockchain and Bitcoin? <laughs> I know, man. It is crazy. Yeah, instead of being a stick-up kid in the streets, you become a white-collar stick-up kid with a number two sharpened pencil. Oh, yeah. You can make more money this way. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's bad. It's bad, Robin, and I got to tell you, Jay-Z, he's another one, came out of the Marcy Avenue Projects. His claim to fame as a rapper was he shot his brother. Uh, He made a uh, rap song out of that. It went platinum. Now that he's a billionaire in partnership with the NFL, he's actually uh, set up a school at the Marcy Avenue Projects where he's grown up to teach the kids there Bitcoin, blockchain so that they can become white-collar criminals instead of street thugs. Unbelievable. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Gift from Patrick Juve to all Americans during the disco era. This classic disco dance song. I remember I used to whirl and twirl on the dance floor to it like a whirling dervish. A disco song with meaning. Didn't come from an American, came from uh, Frenchman Patrick Juve. His gift to America. And when you consider the lady in the harbor, 
gift to America from the French people, the Statue of Liberty. By the way, we have a promo, uh, Broadway Billy, that I am going to uh, eviscerate tomorrow, 24 hours from now. Uh, Chris Libertini, our imaging guy, talks about uh, Ellis Island being uh, New York. No, Ellis Island is New Jersey. Ellis Island is New Jersey. Statue of Liberty is New Jersey. You know, we take everything for New York. We're like greedy, 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 greedy. We're moochers when it comes to that. Ellis Island, Jersey. Statue of Liberty, Jersey. I'm going to have to straighten them out on all of that. But anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Francis calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Francis. Yeah, hi, Curtis. I'm so glad you took my call. Uh, You know, your run for mayor exposed a lot of dirty laundry. And what I'm calling about is Fox. I'm going to ask you a question. You do not have to answer me because I'll understand. All right? I want to know who it is over there that is putting the muzzle on these people for two years about the border. Now, when you say who, where, you said Fox? Fox, Fox. Nobody wants to watch it anymore. They keep they they keep skirting around the answer. They pretend they don't know. Of course, they do know why the board is open. And when something doesn't ring true, it's because it's a lie. And that's it. The border is open because those people were brought here to vote. That's the new voting block for the Democrats. Chuck Schumer just said the other a couple of weeks ago he wants to give them citizenship and voting rights after 30 days of being here. That's all it's about. But why? Who's stopping Fox? They they wouldn't endorse you, Fox. And I know they wanted to, but oh no, they couldn't endorse you. Absolutely. So they endorse a Democrat. Well, let's uh, let's correct that, uh, if we can, Francis, uh, because there are so many entities. The New York Post endorsed Eric Adams, uh, both in the primary and general election, uh, general election against me. Fox itself is not do endorsements. It's the national uh, uh, news uh, 24-hour cable station. Uh, although they've done a lot of coverage of the border issue, uh, more so than the other cable uh, networks, CNN and MSNBC, uh, the local five, uh, Channel 5 station, the Fox station, they do not do endorsements, uh, but they gave an inordinate amount of attention to uh, Eric Adams as opposed to myself, even though for many years I was regularly featured uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on Good Day Early Call New York where I'd be on from like uh, 4.45 to 4.55, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But they gave far more play to Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, no doubt about that. So that covers the uh, three en- entities. But basically the New York Post led, they gave uh, Eric Adams their endorsement. They didn't even give me an opportunity uh, to make a presentation. So, you know, uh, the deal was done. It was a fait accompli. But, hey, that's the way it is. You just push on. Let's go to Bobby, who's calling from Woodlawn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby? Morning, Curtis. How are you? I've had better, better days, Bobby. Yeah, right. 
Hey, guess who else played for the Harlem Globetrotters? Baseball player. Huh. Who is that? No. Okay. Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson, that's right. Bob Gibson came out of Omaha, Nebraska, and played for the Harlem Globetrotters. You're right. Yes, he did. Well, that was a college hotbed, the, that that area, Utah, you know, in, in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, Bradley. These were all damn good teams. No, no, you're right. And uh, definitely Omaha, Nebraska, that's uh, the home of the college uh, College World Series. World Series, yeah, yeah. So when you were picking up the baseball cards, were you constantly getting a guy uh, who was just not that good, but his name kept showing up in the packet? <laughs> yeah, too often, uh, in fact. Uh, you would get uh, some scrub. I remember for me it was uh, Roger Repose who was going to oh. be uh, – he was going to take over for Mickey Mantle, right. Uh, yeah. Didn't get enough Roger Maris. It's got a lot of Tommy Trashes, uh, a lot of Tommy Trash when they thought he would be the next Mickey Mantle because he was a switch hitter. He wasn't. Roger Repose, Ross Muschito, uh, who uh, was supposed to be a replacement for Mickey Mantle. Yeah, uh, but they uh, I get a lot of those cards, but you were always looking for the premium cards, which were obviously the Mickey Mantle card, the Willie Mays card, and there were few, if any, of them. I kept on getting this guy, a relief pitcher named Sid Monge. <laughs> Sid Monge was traded so much that 90% of his cards you got, the logo on his hat was blacked out. Oh, that's right. There were times we'd have baseball cards where the logo was blacked out because you're right, they were in transition, not in terms of becoming non-binary, but in terms of being traded from team to team. Yeah, I think this guy played for about eight different teams as a relief pitcher. And you kept getting him in your package. Always, always. I never in a Met uniform, you know. I grew up in Brooklyn. I was a Met fan. But we actually we were talking about Joe Pepitone a couple of weeks back. Oh, so yeah. good, Joe Pepitone. Well, he had his tough days. He did, he but when he was uh, he was on that diamond, man, he was he had multiple skills. A great first silk. baseman. He, he, he was silk with power. Yep, he, and, and could play center field. Got... Center field, he, he would basket catch. That's right. That's right. And an arm like a rifle. Totally. And think of it now. Back then, you had guys uh, doing basket catches, Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente, Tommy Agee, Joe Pepitone. Now you never see anybody basket catch. Never. Well, I think you get thrown off the team. Yeah, but think about it. I In, in high school, I basket catched uh, when I was playing center field for my high school team. There you go. You're, there you go. When you catch the ball... It's closer to your arm to throw it. Yes. You're in your wind-up already. Right, but they'd always think that you were hot-dogging. I remember my coach would say, stop hot-dogging out there. You know, put uh, put your two hands up when you catch the ball. Get out of here. I can catch you with one hand. Meantime, I got the, the arm ready to whip it in. No one playing baseball today ever saw Willie Mays play. 
Yeah, no, no, it was great. And to see Roberta Clemente make that basket catch and then whirl around and just like. Oh, thing of beauty. Absolutely. Yeah, he was an archer out there. Absolutely. Yeah, but you notice that went uh, passe compose. You don't see anybody making basket catches. They used no, to they no. used to let the guys uh, on the sidelines play pepper before the game. Then they stenciled up no pepper, no pepper, and they would do all kinds of uh, incredible tricks with the ball as they would uh, pass it back and forth, throw it, bunt it. Uh, I loved watching pepper. I saw it in the old uh, polo grounds, uh, nineteen sixty two. The Mets. That was the first game I ever saw. And they were playing Pepper, and I was, like, mesmerized. And then uh, the next year I went, stenciled on the wall, no Pepper, no Pepper, no Like what? People were getting hurt from Pepper? Baloney. Okay, go back before you and I were born. There was the Gas House Gangs, Pepper Martin. And that's the reason they, they basically invented that trill. Oh. And that's why they called it. I see. Pepper. I- and but I mean, they you could do tricks. It was entertaining. It was like when you watched batting practice. Uh, and for the Yankees, you'd have Frank uh, Crosetti there with his fungal bat hitting those high fly balls. Number two, That's right. the old crow. But you'd wonder well, why? Why is it you could hit that with a fungal bat? I never got a, an opportunity to hit a ball with a fungal bat. Uh, but they. Uh, but the perception was if you hit it with a fungal bat, it would go straight up in the air. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, I, there were guys who could do tricks. There was a coach with the Angels named Jimmy Reese. Now, Jimmy Reese, you could pick out a seat in the outfield, and he could hit a fungo, a line drive, right to the seat. mm that and that you can look it up. I don't know how you would now, but uh, but th- this is all good stuff, Curtis. Where did you buy your baseball cards? Most of them. Oh, candy store, candy store. Yeah, mine was yeah Blondie's in uh, Windsor Terrace. Yeah, mine was. Uh, I forget the name of the candy store. It was right there on uh, on Flatlands Avenue between eighty eighth and eighty ninth, and I go there and. You could tell when they got a new load in because you didn't you didn't want to get the same like if it was coming in the same box that the last uh, group had come in, it's a pretty good chance you were going to get the same card. So I would sort of well, yeah, a lot of Sid Munch in there. And yeah. Wally Moon, I used to get a lot. Oh, Wally Moon, that's right. Wally Moon, you're right. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was classic, that. Wally Moon. <laughs> now, he was a Dodger, right? Yeah, L.A. Dodger. And he had the uh, the Dodgers played a season in the L.A. Coliseum. And on the left field line, it was so short that they put up like a 50-foot screen in left field. And Wally was a lefty, but he had the agility to bloop the ball over the screen. They called it a moonshot. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing some old black and whites of how they reconfigurated that Coliseum to make it uh, playable for baseball. But, oh, man, you were right. What a short porch that was. Yes, long, long right center field was like 440. 
Yeah, and I, I remember Forbes Field, where Ralph Kiner had hit oh, a few bombs. God, yeah. That was, I mean, their, their stats were like way out there. Their center field was like, I think, even beyond Death Valley at Yankee Stadium. They put the uh, batting cage out in center field and play. It was incredible. And I looked at these fields. Uh, and then you have uh, little bandboxes like Crosley Field in Cincinnati. Little bandbox. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, was, uh, it was great. Classic, classic uh, baseball, Bobby. You brought me back in the time machine. I felt like uh, Rod Sterling in uh, Twilight Zone. And it all came because of the Trump cards, although they're digital cards, and it's just not the same. But it's amazing. He they sold them all out one day. He made $4 million. Each card went from $99 in evaluation to uh, close to $200. Uh, they can't get enough of those collectibles, that's for sure. Anyway, let's go to Steve in Middletown. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hello, Curtis. Good morning. Thanks for keeping us company. I love your show. Hey, look, this baseball card thing. There's a place called Middletown, New Jersey, and there's a thing there. Some of your listeners, somebody listening, it's called the Food Town Clown. Thing's about 70 feet tall. It used to spin around, big novelty thing outside our grocery store, and that's where we used to open up our baseball cards on our uh, Schwinn Stingrays with banana seats and 48-inch sissy bar. So, the one card I could never get, you guys talk about scrubs and things you put in your uh, spokes with your mom's clothespins. I could never get J.C. Martin. You remember J.C. Martin? He was a catcher sure. for the 69 bats. Sure. sure. I, think he also, I think he also caught for the Chicago White Sox. He did. And, uh, I rem- you know, at 62, I, rem- I forgot half my life, but I remember that moment vividly. When I uh, went into Food Town, went in there, I don't know, three cents, five cents a pack. First thing you do was open up that wax pack and you shove that gum in your mouth. Priorities, right? Absolutely. And, uh, there you go. And uh, who did I get in that pack, Curtis? Who? J.C. Mart. Wow. I was overjoyed. Now, look, uh, here's another thing. Flipping. Did you guys flip baseball cards? Did you do that? Yes, flip, uh, you match it. So if uh, you flip tailsy, right. then I'd have to hit tails. Well, yeah, but see, you're going into a thing where you guys used to, like, throw them or something. We were a little more civilized. We kind of played warlike with a deck of cards with them and did colors, yellow, purple, red, blue, green, orange, this type of thing. And you would call no shades because you remember how some were red and some were pink. And, sure. You know, we play in shades sure. or no shades, right? Sure, sure. Right. So, Right. So, look, uh, after you guys expended your cards out of your back pocket with the corners bent and all that stuff, and you kept your good guys, you never flipped your good guys, Seaver, Willie McCovey, you never did that. No. No, no, they were valuable, too valuable. Right. But after you guys went, you know, brown, yellow, green, red, blue, and nobody was winning, you exhausted your cards, you called bottoms or middles, and which means you either, you know, pull the card from the middle, and now we just try to win that way. There was one kid in the neighborhood, I'm not going to mention his name, and he would call middles or by whatever, and he'd start pulling that out slowly, trying to get a look at a color to see if he, you know, from middle, see if he was, oh, I don't want that one. And we used to call him a cheater. 
but uh, baseball card stories. Right? Ah, now, uh, now that's in Middletown, New Jersey, right? Yeah, the Food Town Clown outside of the old Food Town uh, grocery store. Yep. Now you yep, know, you know, you know who uh, grew up in Middletown, New Jersey. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people. Me. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Stevie Van Zant, uh, Schmata boy oh, with the yeah. E Street Band. They threw him out of high school because he wouldn't uh, cut his hair. But I want right. to, I want to play for you a cut of what Stevie Van Zant said because I know Middletown, New Jersey. I would estimate. Yeah. Population now about 90% white, maybe uh, 6% yeah. Hispanic, and then a few Asian, a few black. What yeah. he what he said this morning, because I know he doesn't live in Middletown any longer. He was on with Sid Rosenberg on the morning show. And listen uh-huh. to what he said about what he thinks the world should be like. My problem okay. with society is we're not dealing with the fact that, you know, why do we have black neighborhoods? Okay. That 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 you know that 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 should be the first discussion. Okay, what 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 caused society to have black neighborhoods? I mean, the first you know, the biggest scam ever perpetrated on the black population was telling the black population that black neighborhoods was their idea. You know, the the black the hood. You know, the the, the black community. You know, it's not their idea. We shouldn't have black neighborhoods. When, when are we going to invite black people to join the rest of us in America? That's what I want to know. Now, Steve, uh, I I don't ever remember him inviting black people to live in the neighborhood that he lives in now, which has to be a 1% place somewhere, probably on the Jersey Shore. Well, these guys are all like that. Now, these guys back in the day when they were kids, like we were and stuff, and whatever you're trying to get started and thing, and them in the music industry, these guys never would have talked like that. But now that they're where they're at in the world, they have what they had, all of a sudden everybody's got a mouth on them. So, uh, look, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure where well, he lives and his pal Springsteen and stuff, They, I know. I know. How yeah, I, I would recommend, Steve, that they go move uh, to Newark, New Jersey. Although Cory Booker, the so-called senator, right, claims, oh, you got a townhouse in Newark. You never see him in Newark. He's always in New York City getting wine-dined in pocket line. Such sanctimonious hypocrites. Let's go to Roger calling from Massachusetts. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Roger. Yeah, I thanks. Hey, do you happen to know what the origin of baseball cards? Was it something simply to sell the but chewing gum, or did they anyone foresee this trading cards and something more valuable than others? Do you happen to know any, any of that? And how long, roughly, when it, was it start in the forties or whatever? Was it simply to sell chewing gum? That's all. I think it was, but I don't. I can't say for sure, Roger. Uh, it was certainly a way to promote baseball, which then was the national pastime and no longer is. It's now Smash Mouth American football. Uh, I imagine baseball needed to be promoted. Well, remember, they, that's what made them so popular is that they would tour in the off season, They would play exhibition games. They were constantly mm-hmm. barnstorming. They don't do that anymore. The season's over. The season's over. They play golf the rest of the year. Imagine uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig would barnstorm, and they played down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I'll never forget reading that a 18-year-old girl had been signed up to the local, uh, um, the local independent league minor league team, 
And she struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig twice. Twice. And we had uh, we had a female who was playing for John Katsimatidis' uh, Ferry Hawks team, Independent League. And I remember saying to the general manager, man, you gotta, you gotta pitch this girl. They'll, you'll pack them in. Oh no, you're the manager. Get, get rid of the manager. Are you kidding? A girl who can pitch? Hey, the girl in Tennessee, 18 years old, struck out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig twice in the same game. Now, Tell me that you wouldn't be dragging your daughters and granddaughters along if there was a female pitcher in a male league, uh, as exists in the independent league where the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks play. Our number is one 800 Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. With yellow feathers in her head. You know, if you got one more face left, his face would snap like an old rubber band. Anyway, let's go to Fred in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Freddie. Hey, good morning, Curtis. How are you? Oh, uh, sorry. No problem. What's on your mind other than the state of your health, right? Anyway, you were mentioning Marty Glickman. Wasn't he a tremendous athlete? Yeah, he was a sprinter at Syracuse University. He was in the relay team, U.S. Olympic relay team, him and his partner, and uh, the head of the uh, International uh, Olympic Committee came by and said to the Americans, you better have the two black guys uh, run instead of the two Jews because uh, in the 36 Olympics, having uh, two uh, black guys was less offensive to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis than having two Jewish guys run. Unbelievable. Hey, one of the guys that I used to love was Don Cricky. He was on High Miss. What a sense of humor. And the guy had some pipes. Yep. No, no, Don Cricky, one of the best. But I will tell you, everybody, make sure you're listening in. I'm on with Sid every Monday morning, 7.05, and I finish out the week uh, Friday, 7.05. But Monday... Our battle will be over who is the best talk radio sports guy. Talk, not just games, talk. Uh, He said Mad Dog Russo. I said, get out of here, Mad Dog Russo. What are you talking about? Marty Glickman. Without a question. Marty Glickman. Did Ranger, excuse me, did uh, Nick Games. Did uh, Giant Games. Did uh, Jet Games. Did high school football. That's right, on Channel 11, A Labor of Love, where Elston Howard, the New York Yankee, was the color commentator. No, 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 no. Marty Clickman, hands down. And I'm going to really push it to Sid Monday, right at 7.05. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa.
take that. Bo Snurley, a.k.a. James Golden, will be coming up at 7 o'clock, 7 to 10. And his whole crew, uh, Rich Rider Bali, senior producer, and all of his sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys. You know, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, they fashion themselves as music impresarios, and they really know nothing about nothing. In fact, it was uh, earlier this week, most Snurley's on Monday through Fridays, 4 to 5, before the John Katsimatidis Roundtable discussion at 5. And him and his members of his crew were taking shots at me as if, uh, well, I want you to listen in. You, you, uh, you assess this for yourself. I wonder if Curtis ever heard of Prince. It's a good question. Hmm. You need to ask him one day, has he ever heard of Prince? He knows MJ. I know, but that's because he has this... Yeah, he's got a... Thing. Um, yeah. The MJ. Yeah. MJ, huh? Michael Jackson. Pedophile on a pedestal. <laughs> Do I know Prince? Flamboyant. An androgynous person. Didn't know if he was man, woman, or frozen vegetable, I'm telling you. But I didn't know uh, Prince. But I certainly passed by his club in downtown Minneapolis. Obviously in all purple. While patrolling with the Guardian Angels. And that was that time, you know, purple people eaters, the Minnesota Vikings. But purple was the color of uh, Prince. A.K.A. <laughs> because you couldn't just call him one name. The artist, formerly known as Prince, or simply the artist. And then Remain, he changed his name to uh, some kind of unpronounceable symbol. I had no idea what the hell that meant. But he was, like, flipping out there. Anyway, uh... We're going to devote this next hour to talking about everything involving Prince and all of his acolytes and everybody that ever contributed to the legacy of Prince, including many of the women who were drop-dead gorgeous, but all had unique personalities to them or themselves, unique backgrounds, unique histories, one of whom I met in a very, very difficult situation in which uh, I didn't know what to do. She was in the ramparts. It was, it was 1992, and I was leading the Guardian Angel effort there as we were cracking down on crack dealers and crack users in MacArthur Park. And uh, in the wee hours of the morning when the sun would come up, Groups would be in various areas like chickens scratching in the ground and trying to come up with a granule of crack so that they could beam themselves up to Scotty. And I saw this woman and I said, that's one of, that's one of the Prince, Prince band members. And I remember some of the guardian angels said, nah, nah, she wouldn't be up there scratching for crack. She was. She was a stone-cold crackhead in 1992. Now, let's see if any of you who are followers of Prince and the many editions of Prince and the many uh, 
sort of uh, tributaries, we'll call it, the uh, little rivers that flowed from Prince, some other artists and other groups uh, that were directly attached to him. If you know who I'm talking about, who had, by 1992, had become such a stone-cold crackhead that she was out there in MacArthur Park along with hundreds of others when the uh, sun would come up, scratching in the dirt for any particulae of crack so that they could put it in their crack pipes and beam themselves up to Scotty. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The thing that um, I marveled at with uh, Prince was like Bobby Vinton, the Polish Prince, he could play all the instruments. I mean, Prince, you give him any instrument that the band would play, and he'd be playing it. And obviously, I think for most people, he came to everybody's attention in 1984 with the song in the album Purple Rain, and then the uh, the movie that was a direct follow-up of that with the band Revolution. I think I got most of that right. But they claim that he accidentally died from fentanyl at his Paisley Park home, and I, I just don't buy that. I just don't buy that. The one thing I'll always remember uh, about Prince is that upon his death, he had no will and testament, nothing written down. The guy was worth hundreds of millions of dollars with so many songs that had never been published, hundreds and hundreds of them that had been stashed in a, state, a safe, videos that had been done but never published, never had gone uh, on MTV or any of the other uh, streams. And uh, it had to go probate. It had to go surrogate. You never want that to happen. If there's one thing you want to learn from Prince, his life and times is no matter who you are, you may not even be able to carry a beat or sing in a shower. Hey, come up with a will and testament. You do not want to leave it so that there is nothing official in terms of what your wishes are upon your passing, in terms of whatever property you might have, whatever wealth you might have, whatever equity you might have, how you want to divide it. Because upon Prince's death, there was nothing, not even a piece of paper. People were shocked. Shocked. Here's a guy who sold over 100 million records worldwide. That's got to rank him amongst the best-selling music artists of all time. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And uh, you might have asked, uh, was Prince his original name? Yep. His father gave him his name Prince upon birth. Although I got to tell you, he wasn't fond of that name. No, 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 no. Because uh, he preferred to be called Skipper. And even though when you looked at him, you, you say to yourself, God, androgynous. The guy was a jock. That was a jock in high school. He played football. He played basketball. He played baseball. Yeah, Prince. You'd say to yourself, get out of here. And he was born an epileptic. He had seizures until he was like uh, about 11 or 12 years old. Then he goes home one day and he says, Mom, I'm not going to be sick anymore. And she said, why? He said, because an angel told me so. And he never had an epileptic seizure thereafter. And let me tell you something. They grew up hardcore. Members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. <laughs> Have you ever dealt with Seventh-day Adventists? And it turned out to be Prince, right? Look, look, look. Wow. 
think of it. So he's in Minneapolis. You have the Jackson Five, the Jacksons, Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal. He's over in Gary, Indiana. They were Jehovah Witnesses. Prince is a seven-day Adventist. You would have never thought that they would have even permitted people with those kinds of musical talents to go on the road to be able to perfect their talent and become the stars and starlets that they became. And then uh, Prince, after a brief time of living with his father, who bought him his first guitar, Prince had to move into the basement of his neighbor's. He called him the Anderson family after his father threw him out. I'd like to know why his daddy threw him on his tuchus. But at Central High School in Minneapolis, he was a star. Now, this is Prince, Mr. Androgynous. Football, basketball, baseball. <laughs> hey, you think you think Bo Snurdly knew that? Of course he doesn't. Did you know that... Uh, Prince was the opening act for Rick James. Opening act, you would say, well, Rick James was hot, but you would have thought it would have been reversed. He was also the opening act for the Rolling Stones on the U.S. tour. And uh, apparently he really brought the house down because in Los Angeles he appeared on stage in a trench coat and black bikini briefs. And immediately the audience started throwing trash at him. Trash. Oh, yeah. And then he had a side project called Time with the lead vocals by Morris Day. And like I told you, I told you originally, Morris Day, right? I would swear that Bruno Mars is a spitting imitation of Morris Day and the Time. You know, they have a backup band of about 17, an orchestra. I said, man, that's... That's right, where Bruno Mars must have gotten his gig from. Totally Xerox copying Morris Day. Remember, Morris Day would strut in with the greasy kid stuff on his hair. That's at a time, remember, when they were using the uh, Jerry Coral relaxer. And they had the uh, bubble top uh, hats, you know, little plastic hats. And be a hot day. And then all of a sudden, that grease would be coming down the side of their head. Oh, my God. Yeah, let me hear a little bit of this. Take that, Bo Sturdy, Jungle Love. Good jams. We forget. See, Prince didn't mind the competition from within because he had a lot of that. He actually promoted those that had talent, brought them on to his tour, had them go out on their own tour, and was constantly competing with Michael Jackson. Competitive rivalry that lasts for years. Now imagine the Purple Rain album sold 13 million copies in the U.S., 24 consecutive weeks at number one. The film won Prince an Academy Award. So he had the number one album, number one single, and the number one film in the U.S. simultaneously. 
But that didn't impress me at all. What impressed me is he is an androgynous guy, right? Looked like a strong gust of wind and knock him over. And he was a star in football, baseball, and football at his high school in Minneapolis. So we're not talking some farm in the middle of Minnesota. We're talking Minneapolis. Wow. So good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. How dare post nerdly. A.K.A. Rich Rod of Holly insult my knowledge of Prince and everything that proliferated from Prince. But, you know, it didn't stop there because uh, where there was Prince, there was always so many others. There was Prince the musician. There was Prince the artist. Prince the singer. Prince the dancer. Prince the total performer. And then there were his sidekicks. I'll never forget seeing Apollonia for the very first time. I said, ooh, Apollonia. She co-starred in Prince's 1984 film, Purple Rain. Absolutely. It's on the cover with him on uh, Rolling Stone magazine. A lot of people don't realize that she was from uh, Oakland, Oaktown. And she was a Mexicano. Oh, yeah, yeah, a Cholita. Did you know that? Uh, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, you know, I know you were you were sitting shiver for Scott Shannon's retirement earlier today at WCBS-FM. And Joe Nolan, our traffic guy, decided to be over there instead of over here with Sid Rosenberg and friends. He should be fired for that. But I bet you all you jocks there at WCBS-FM, Scott Shannon, Joe Corsi, you, Broadway Bill Lee, you had no idea that Apollonia was from Oaktown and that she was a Cholita, huh? Huh? You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> you know, she dated uh, David Lee Roth, Van Halen, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that uh, she was in the uh, CBS primetime soap opera? With her boyfriend, Lorenzo Lamas. You didn't know that, did you? Yeah. So good. Don't ever question my knowledge about Apollonia. Mexican Cholita, huh? And then also there was Sheila E. Sheila E., oh, the queen of percussion. She played the congas and the timbales. The congas and the timbales. I remember seeing her in the film Crush Groove. You know, with everybody doing freestyle and all that. And I never realized the problem she had. Her entire lung collapsed. And she claimed that she was semi-paralyzed from playing drums in her six-inch stacked heels for so long. And that caused her lung to collapse. I don't know about that. Might have been what she was smoking. Although she wasn't the crackhead. No, 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 no. I know many of you are thinking, well, maybe it was uh, Sheila E. Nope. It was not Sheila E. There was a hardcore crackhead amongst some of the females who were flocking around the androgynous prince. Was he man? Was he female? Was he non-binary? You figure it out. All I'm going to repeat is he was the star baseball player football player and basketball player at his high school in Minneapolis. 
I would have never figured that out. You think Bo Snurley knew that? Huh? Of course not. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And remember Magic Johnson, he had that failed talk show. He thought he could do a late-night talk show disaster. Well, she was the leader of the house band. Yeah, Sheila E. Remember, he'd say, hey, Sheila, play those congas. Play those timbales. Yeah. She was dropped at gorgeous, too. In fact, she formed a female group, the acronym COED, Chronicles of Every Diva, C-O-E-D. Oh, they're so good. So Apollonia, Sheila E., and then probably the one gal, or the many gals, that I can't stress it enough, the androgynous prince had, man, woman, frozen vegetable, non-binary, whatever was Vanity. Now, Vanity, wow, that was a tough one to figure out. First off, Vanity was born in Niagara Falls on the Canadian side, the better side. If you've ever been in Niagara Falls, the American side, you say, what the hell happened? Apocalypse now? The Canadian side, oh, they got an amusement park, casinos, it's great. <sighs> but she actually became... The nasty girl. You couldn't have been more freaky, deaky than Vanity was. And then eventually renounced everything she had done with Prince and became a holy roller and went out there on the road and renounced what she called Satan-like activities, which she had been participating in, uh, and her new life. She was the gal that I saw scratching on that hill in MacArthur Park in the ramparts with the other crackheads. Six o'clock in the morning when I was patrolling there with the guardians. I said, is that vanity? And the other guardians said, that's vanity. Scratching for crap. Putting it in the pipe, beaming herself up to Scotty. 1992, I'll never forget it. It can't be vanity. She's like part of Prince's team. She was. She basically took a dive and became a hardcore crack addict. And then all of a sudden she found God. She became a holy roller. And uh, she, uh, I guess, I guess you could call it a roller coaster ride. Sometimes uh, she'd be spiritually motivated by Jesus. And other times she'd be back on the crack pipe. Man. I remember when she first hit Vanity. Prince had a group, if I remember correctly, in which her name, he called her. Now, this is in the early 80s, right? Vagina. That's the early 80s. And the group was named Hookers, the Hookers. And then all of a sudden, the censors moved in because I think he was, uh, I forget what the label was at that point. Maybe somebody out there can correct me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But they said, no, no, no. Why not just call it Vanity 6? And then they had that hit, Nasty Girl. Oh, wow. That blew it up. And if you wanted to know who Vanity looked like, Vanity, in a way, was like a uh, Diana Ross light skin, light skin. 
incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And remember, Vanity was in the episode of Miami Vice. Yeah, Miami Vice. Uh, I think she was sampling the product at that time. And then she was in that uh, film with, um, I think it was called Action Jackson with uh, Carl Weathers. You know, fresh from Rocky 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 or more. And Sharon Stone. And she also appeared buck naked nude in Playboy magazine. Now, this is a woman you talk about from one extreme to another extreme. And just about when you thought she couldn't be any more decadent and debaucherous, she would once again find God. She'd be a holy roller and she'd be dedicating her life to God. And she went from uh, being Rick James's girlfriend to Prince's girlfriend and then being hooked up with Billy Idol. Now, think of that. Is that freaky deaky or what? So here you have Rick James, right? He's doing cocaine. Then you have Prince. God only knows how many drugs he was doing. And then she's with Billy Idol, and he's doing cocaine, mad cocaine. Yeah, let me hear that. And then uh, Motley Crue, she's hanging out with Motley Crue. She hooks up with the bassist, Nikki Six, who says the vanity taught him how to freebase cocaine. I mean, when you take the oxygen and you're putting it onto the raw cocaine, you could turn yourself into a torch at any moment, and he's freebasing because of her. Now, you think that's crazy? So vanity, she's a holy roller one second, freebasing the next second. And she gives up the drugs, goes back to being a holy roller, then comes back to being a crackhead. Then all of a sudden she's completely sober. So Broadway Bill Lee, she marries football player Anthony Smith of the Oakland Raiders in 1995. Everybody comes together and says, you finally crawled out of the belly of the beast. Is that it? But... The problem was she'd start inviting homeless people into their home for food and offering them showers. She would also give out her number. So her husband, the football player, Anthony Smith, got really pissed off and then started to domestically abuse her. So they separated. So he ends up getting arrested for domestic violence because he's he's uh, basically shadowing her. He's stalking her, and then he gets involved with another woman, and later he's convicted of committing three murders. I think if you had any dealings with vanity, that's like the Black Widow spider. Yeesh. And then she went back to being a holy roller. She renounced her stage name, Vanity, and reverted to Denise Matthews. She traveled extensively throughout the South, and gave her testimony of conversion to Christianity. Upon her complete recovery, Matthews ended her performing career by cutting off all ties with Hollywood and shunning her former life in show business. And if you had said to her, you remember your days with Prince? 
Nope. Never heard of him. And then, unfortunately, after a 10-year crack cocaine addiction, how she survived 10 years on crack is beyond me. She had to undergo 20 minutes of dialysis five times a day because her kidney had basically stopped functioning. And then she passed away. So out of all those women, Sheila E., Apollonia, Vanity. Vanity was the one, oh, my God. Here, there, and everywhere. So I'm wondering, uh, James Golden, who's on at 7 o'clock, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, and Rich Radavalli, your senior producer. I don't know anything about Prince, huh? I don't know about any of the side groups that he set up, huh? You want to continue to perpetuate that fallacy or vanity? Oh, God, was she uh, tons of trouble? Sheila E. or Apollonia? Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pump up that volume. Yeah. Take that, post Nerdly. Rich Rider Bali. Francis Skinny Man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. At home there were 17 year old boys and their idea fun. Is being in a gang called the Disciples High on Crack, toting a machine gun. The Disciples from Chicago, my enemies, toting a machine gun while doing crack. Time. Never figure this out with Prince, right? He's an androgynous little guy, strong gust of wind that blow him over. Meantime, he's the star football player, basketball player, baseball player, and hanging out with the black gangster disciples. Turn on the telly and every other story is telling you somebody died. Sister killed a baby because she couldn't afford to feed and it was sending people to the moon. In September, my cousin tried reefer for the very first time. Now he's doing horse. It's June. So good. We forget how great Prince was and all of his ancillary uh, stars and starlets and groups. Oh, it was real good. Sitting on when a rocket ship explodes and everybody still wants to fly. You know what I'm going to recommend to our uh, owners and operators, John and uh, Marco that I do an hour of Prince. Yeah. So good. Baby, make a speech, Star Wars fly, neighbors should shine at home. But if a night falls and a bomb falls, will everybody see the dawn? Time. You know what is wanted his name to be his father gave him the name prince i told you upon birth he wanted to be called skipper skipper could you be any more white than that skipper oh my god This for hours and hours. 
Go to the phones. It's Troy calling from Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Troy. Because it was good. I want to tell you about uh, the uh, Prince Photojays back in 1984. Uh, hold on a second, Troy. Speak up a bit. I can barely hear you. But I want to tell you about what the uh, Prince Photojays Photojays which producing issues back in 1984. Uh, Come inside my thicker wall in 1984. Can you find that? Play that? Oh, uh, definitely. You see that? You see that? We're, we're going to handle a request line here. You think you think Bo Snurley could handle that? Come on. You really think? I mean, can, can, can I hear that cut again where he was demeaning me about Prince? Do I know Prince? Can, can I hear that, please? I wonder if Curtis ever heard of Prince. It's a good question. Hmm. We need to ask him one day, has he ever heard of Prince? He knows MJ. I know, but that's because he has this... Yeah, he's got a... Thing. Um, yeah. MJ. Yeah. That pedophile on a pedestal, Michael Jackson, hell no. But I did say the prince was androgynous. I didn't know if he was a man, a woman, or non-binary. But what was shocking to me, I can't say it enough, in high school, right in Central High School in Minneapolis, I actually spoke there one time. He was the star on the football team, the basketball team, and the baseball team. Now, I played football, basketball, Baseball, I was a star in neither. When you look at him, Prince, you would think he would be the star of the football team? Hell no. Basketball team? No. Maybe him and Rick James, right, having a dunk off on one another with Dave Chappelle. And baseball? Anyway, let's go to Robert, who's calling from Long Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Bobby? How you doing? Uh, hold on a second. Uh, Robert, take us off the of speaker. You got to speak right into the microphone. I can barely hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, loud and clear, Robert. Uh, I apologize for that. Um, Prince uh, played various instruments, too. It was rumors that he played 27 instruments. Yeah, the only other person that I could even equate to Prince, because uh, I saw him in concert, was the Polish Prince Bobby Vinton in which he played every instrument in the orchestra that accompanied him. Wow. But no, you're right. P- Prince was apparently upon his death, there were 500 songs that he hadn't even released. He had made videos. He had made the, uh, he had actually uh, taped the audio versions of it. He was a prolific songwriter they didn't want to keep releasing his music because they said it would flood the market. Music like this, you could have flooded it all day, all night, Robert. Definitely. 
And it's sad to the fact that he got addicted to opioids. It was because of the surgeries on his hip from dancing around with the high heel shoes. Yeah, and remember, he'd be on the stage jumping around, throwing kicks. Uh, almost he'd be doing a little Van Halen-esque uh, kind of uh, uh, escapades. And uh, I will tell you this, having used fentanyl myself in pain, it is an amazing painkiller, but you can so easily abuse it. I can see. Remember, he's not the only one. Recently, we had uh, uh, the guy who died from uh, using fentanyl patches. His name will come to me momentarily. His uh, song has been uh, considered the hallmark of the Trump campaign at many of the Trump rallies. Uh, it'll come to me anyway. But no, fentanyl has been a killer to many. But I got to tell you, out of all the painkillers I've ever taken, because I've had to be on painkillers, having been shot, having been injured so many times, is morphine. Fentanyl is better than morphine, better than the oxys, Vicodin, Percocet, uh, Tylenol mixed with uh, Advil, whatever you could come up with. Better than a St. Joseph's baby aspirin. But if you abuse that fentanyl... There's a pretty damn good chance you're going to be six feet under in a pine box. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. As I have responded to the challenge of Bo Snurdly and Rich Radabali, who said that I knew nothing about nothing about Prince and all of his sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys. 1-800-848-9222. Another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Don't worry. I won't hurt you. I only want you to have some fun. So good. How dare you challenge me, James Golden?
clear the deck. It's Curtis Sliwa doing the Prince Hour. Because you're not going to hear it with Tony Orlando or Cousin Brucie or Vinnie Madugno. But since I was challenged by James Golden and Rich Radavali, I had to throw down, throw down on the microphone, pull out the jams. And I'll never forget when Prince teamed up with my favorite Chaka 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 Khan. Which he did come to my house. That was that was so good. And then when he appeared with Madonna, like a prayer, love song, playing that electric guitar, like you said, who the hell is playing that guitar? And he said, that's Prince. You're kidding. And he didn't want any credit. Nope. Nope. Oh, so good. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC, all part of the entertainment that we give you here at WABC on the weekends. Enough of the politics, morning, noon, and night, Monday through Fridays. Yeah, I know. Trump is great, DeSantis is better, and Biden sucks. That seems to be the theme of every talk show host and hostess here at WABC, except for yours truly. Because we're going to turn this mother out. Man, even those of you who have no rhythm, naturally Avery is directing that to the McWhitey Whiteys out there. You could be toe-tapping to this. You don't go to sleep on me, Curtis Sliwa, no. And you don't challenge my prowess, my musicology. No, no, you don't do that, Bo Snurley. You don't do that, Rich Rider Bali. Thank all of you folks listening right now. When Bo Snurley comes on from 7 to 10, you make that phone sing and ring, and you said, Curtis Lee would turn the mother out with Prince and the Revolution and Apollonia and Sheila E and Vanity. Now, on a more serious note, this is a message to everybody out there. Y'all know that uh, Prince obviously was abusing drugs for many, many years and then turned to fentanyl, the most powerful of all the drugs. I know having used fentanyl myself, and he OD'd on it, although the uh, autopsy report says it was from counterfeit pills made to look like a genetic version of the painkiller 
oxys. Wow. But he had nothing on paper. Imagine when they when they broke into his safe at his Paisley Park estate. They found 300 songs that had already been recorded, videos. They found an amazing array of things that he had produced and created. But when they tried to figure out his last will and testament, he had never, ever put down a last will and testament. So this all had to go to probate. You want to avoid ever having to be in surrogate court or probate court. It is Michigan. It is crazy. So the probate case stated that no will had been found after searching every nook, cranny, and corner in that house for a full month. So the twice-divorced prince was neither married nor known to have fathered any surviving children. So under Minnesota law, where he lived in the absence of a will, this meant that in addition to his full sister, Prince's five half-siblings also had a claim to an estate, totaling millions of dollars in cash, as well as real estate stocks and cars. Now, take a guess, uh, Avery, as to how many people, when they heard this information, claimed to be a half-sibling or a descendant of a Prince. 700 people came forward and said, I'm related to Prince. Show me the money. I'm related to Prince. <laughs> and so then they drilled uh, into his vault. And uh, they obtained a blood sample for DNA profiling from the coroner who had performed the autopsy and then whittled down that number from 700 and said, are you willing to take a blood test? Because we'll match the DNA to Prince's. And I think 700 became like seven. Can you imagine people hearing this and then deciding, oh, no, 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 I'm related to Prince. I'm related to 700 people lined up to take the blood test, figuring, what do I got to lose, right? Anyway, let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. You want to furnish you there? Loud and clear, Tom. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Listen, you know, you're banging Prince over there, you know, so it brings me back to Sheepshead Bay Avenue U over there. You know, confined to my one little spot, figuring out, trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the next rest of my life after being, um, uh, you Tommy, know, Tommy, Tommy, this uh, this all this Prince. all came from hearing Prince, Tom. Prince, yeah, Prince party till it's nineteen ninety nine. What what's the other ones I like? It's oh, pretty, oh, crack with a machine gun on my. That's hilarious. Oh man, that Black Ace of Disciples. These are, the that, these are the things that kept 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 me alive during the time. Kept my spirits up because some days never ended. Like I'm talking to you today, the same. Understand? I'd love to tell you about it, but I can't. I can't get up the uh, tree that's growing further enough to jump to the next branch. Oh, wait a second. Let me let me there. figure that out. You can't get enough further enough in that tree to jump to the next branch. Yeah, you know. Oh, oh, okay. Let me let me give you a cue. There's something to get on here. Let me see. The wooden nickel manhole cover. What was it? Frank Marana with the with the. Uh, what was that Michaud thing? Remember that? Uh, 
How about the first time? The first time up in um, Flushing, you called it from the car. What was it? Uh, with the Lundy's? Lundy's at the. Ten times and more. Let's go uh, to Joe calling from Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. How you doing, Curtis? I uh, I love your show. Um, I got a couple of stories about Stevie Van Zandt. Uh, I went to a good friend of mine is friends with him, and I went to a wedding. At, that he was at, and he sat with my aunts and uncles. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, back in the day, we lived, we, we grew up in Owensville Park, so it was a t- tight little area there. So my aunts and uncles were there, a lot of my relatives. And we were only allowed to go up and, you know, meet him, but we weren't allowed to talk to him the rest of the night. He was, like, breathing different air than us, okay? Now, do you know what his house he refuses to have any African-Americans working for him, okay? But this guy wants the rest of the world for everybody to migrate together. I mean, this guy's a joke. Hold on My a second. Hold on a second. Let's, uh, the fact that, you know, let's go to— Why do uh, have black neighborhoods, okay? That, 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 you know, that, that, that should be the first discussion, okay? What, <laughs> what, what caused society to have black neighborhoods? I mean, the first, you know— the biggest scam ever perpetrated on the black population was telling the black population that black neighborhoods was their idea. You know, the, the black, the, the hood, you know, the, the, the black community, you know, it's not their idea. We shouldn't have black neighborhoods. When, when are we going to invite black people to join the rest of us in America? That's what I want to know. Yo, you see, this guy makes no sense. Why, why doesn't he just move to Newark? Curtis, exactly. But listen, I need you to call out Sid because I call Sid now and then, and he's always like so rambunctious and he tells it how it is. But he didn't say boo during that interview, like you said already. Well, the I mean, reason, the reason, Joe, the reason he couldn't say anything is remember, he just left the Upper West Side to uh, the Irish Riviera, the Ponset, Bell Harbor, Crazy Point. Not that many black folks living out there, so he wasn't one to talk, that's for sure. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. 
You can't touch this, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, a.k.a. Rich Rider Bali. Don't ever, don't ever try a musical throwdown with me again. In fact, let's go to uh, James, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, James. Curtis, I got to tell you, man. You, I, I got to tell you, man. You made, you made my morning and my night, man, and the rest of my year, man. Because this dude right here that you're playing, he deserves that kind of respect. Let me just share the story with you real quick. When I used to work for a place called Depository Trust. I had went to see Prince in 86 for the first time. And I invited 25 people from the office. Do you know, man, when we went to the show, Prince blew us out. I ended up meeting a, a, a woman at the job that I started taking. And I was like the man for like the rest of the year. Why? Because I took them to a show with real music, real musicians. And I just want to say to you too, man. I didn't like you years ago when I first met you when I was in high school because you was too rugged. You know what I'm saying? But as I evolved in life and started paying attention to how you roll and your street knowledge, knowing the jolly stompers and stuff like that. Yo, Curtis, man, you get props this morning, baby. I just want to let it be known. You know what I'm saying? You was a brother on the low. Talk a lot about traffic. What brothers do, but I love you, man. And thank you for thank you for giving. Well, no, no, I know, but James, uh, just shout, do a little shout out to James Golden and let him know never challenge Sliwa's prowess when it comes to the streets and music. Well, okay, I'll do it. Don't be challenging my man Curtis, man, because you know he go back with the jolly stompers and he down with the peach bombs. You just can't, you know, you can't mess with that. All right. That's for sure. I appreciate that, James. You get props, Curtis. I love you, baby. Enjoy the rest of the month. You got it. From the streets to the sweets, right here at WABC. See, that's what it's all about, bringing joy, entertainment on the weekends. We're not going to hit you over the head with politics. No, 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 no. See, that's the beauty our owners and operators, John and Marco Katz-Matidis, have said. No, no, no. On the weekends, we want entertainment. We want people feeling good. Because Monday through Friday, that smile is going to be turned upside down into a frown. Trump is, he's fading. DeSantis is God. Biden sucks. No, no, no. We didn't do any of that in the last six hours. We touched on what the news was, but then we got right into theater of the mind and entertainment. And we finished it with Prince. And, you know, when you play his songs, you realize how really good he was. And how we took it all for granted because it passed by so fast. And we got to get into that time machine from time to time and take you back so you can remember just like me and our crew here at WABC.